Okay, well, welcome everyone. So welcome to orientation. Thank you all for being here. Um, just because we're also online. My name is Sharon Ashworth and I'm the vice chair of the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission. And it's been a long time since we've been face to face. So I'm really looking forward to today. Um, we've got a full and informative agenda ahead of us and I'm really excited to get to it. I wanna uh, thank the staff for helping us put this together. They've done a whole lot of work in getting this going and thank the subcommittee who contributed many ideas for the topics. That subcommittee consisted of the chair, Sinclair, commissioners Carter and Rexroad, and myself. So thank you all for submitting topics. And before we go any further, we should probably have Planner Avery Corner go over the Zoom instructions. Thank you. And good morning, everyone. I have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. This meeting is being recorded and will later be added to the city's YouTube channel. Public comment will not be taken during today's meeting. Unless you are participating in the meeting, please remember to mute yourself and, and turn your video off. This will help minimize distractions and allow the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You'll still be able to hear the meeting while you're muted. The chat function for this public meeting has been disabled. All chats will go directly to me. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And I'll turn the meeting back over to the chair. Great. Well, we're just starting off today. If we look at our agenda, we are going to start with uh, uh, some welcome remarks um, from Jeff Crick, Director, Planning Services here at Douglas County Conference. Great to see everybody in person this morning. Um, just a couple of housekeeping things related to some other items here to remind yourselves. Uh, during today's discussion, uh, you cannot discuss items that are pending before the board or that will be pending after the board. So kind of if you're going to use an example, use one from a little bit later on, not one that is upcoming or has recently passed through the board. Um, and also keep in mind, this is an open meetings act kind of situation. So we'll be following the Kansas Open Meeting Act and open record requests on those things. So um, otherwise, uh, coffee is going to be available because this office runs strictly on coffee. So there will always be coffee going the restrooms are just out that door and across the hall there. And the break room is just on the other side. And if you need anything for the breaks, just let us know. And we'll be able you know, to accommodate that one, including if you'd like to see the space and enter what planning and development services looks like on, on the other side here, let me know. We can make that arrangement. But we're glad to have you all here today. And looking forward to very good and, and great conversations that we'll have. So good to see everybody. Just a couple more housekeeping items, too. Um, Echo the coffee. If you get up and you see that the coffee's getting low, let us know. We, we are going to refill those as much as possible throughout the day. Um, and then you probably saw that bathrooms are just right outside here. Um, and then um, if you decide that you do want a hard copy of the packet while we're here, if, if anything else that we can print off or get for you, just let us know. Great. Thank you. So what we start off with today, as you can see on your agenda, does everybody have an agenda? Okay. Uh, it are the upfront questions. So the reason we're starting with upfront questions, there's a couple of goals here. Uh, so one is to uh, ha have any questions brought up uh, about policies and procedures that maybe the new commissioners, newer commissioners have. And of course, there's always questions about policies and procedures uh, that some of us who have been, have a number of years under our belt still have as we serve. So, uh, we want to get those up front so that we can either answer them as we go through the program today, 
or they can be parked as the term goes for addressing at the end of the meeting if we don't get to them through the topics. So does anybody have a burning question? They would like to start out with something you just couldn't quite get to on a Zoom call. <laughs> so now that we're here in this cozy setting, does anybody, I have a question to start us off with, but I wanna go with somebody who's just a burning question. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> I was start us off, please. Start us off. Okay. All right. I'll just get us just to get us started and warmed up here for upfront questions. So I've got mine written out here. So because I thought about this um, a lot. So many of the applicants that are coming before the planning commission have hired consultants um, and they have planning staff that takes them carefully through the planning process. So my question. Um, is about the members of the public that submit comments in writing or in person at the commission meetings. And they generally don't have the assistance of, of consultants. Uh, I know staff is available, but my question is, is how does the public come to staff with questions? How are they guided through the process if they wanna comment on an item before the commission? What sort of guidance is available to them? Yeah, good question. Uh, so that would be my question to start off. Do we, are we just taking questions that were answered throughout the day or is this yeah, back or when it, when it, if it comes up, if there's a good point for it or it's parked till the end, yeah. if it doesn't get addressed. So other questions. I have one. Mine is a little more general. I would be curious to know, um, from staff's perspective, what are some pet peeves about how the commission currently is handling things? And I guess you maybe ideas from other times. And slash, what could the commission or commissioners do better from your perspective as the professional staff? Charlie and Gary, you guys are new. What's what sort of <clears throat> plummets you in here? Uh, well, I, I said this to someone who is not on the commission. When we talk, well, we're changing the AB7 to the GZY and whatever the changes are. And, and that means precious little to me. <laughs> That's right. So I... I uh, <laughs> I listen and think, oh, well, here's really what you're talking about. But the acronyms, and if you've been here for however many years you've done it, uh, it probably has more meaning. So other than that, the, I always get my stuff printed out. Uh, I, I see other people doing the computer. I, I like to take notes on mine. And so I appreciate that Becky prints that out for me. I, I'm about to take credit for that, but that's all Denny. <laughs> oh, Denny does that. Um, I would say I think there, to me, there is a lot of extraneous material that appears on these pages. Um, but I'm glad to have it in, in print. Uh, earlier, whoever it was, 
Oh, where you were mentioning somebody coming on the board. I don't know why people wouldn't want to do this. And then uh, Jerry said, well, you have to want to serve. And I don't know why people wouldn't. It seems to me, from my perspective, this is a great place to be. You get to have some input on things. Um, I, I, I wonder at times why would a 75-year-old man be picked to represent a portion of the county? Do I really represent a, a significant group of people? Uh, some of you are considerably younger. It seems to me it would be a, a great thing if there were younger people on here that could give a different perspective. Uh, I am not a detail person. Some of you, I, I marvel that you see the detail in things. Uh, I don't see that as my role, as the, the detail. I'm more of, I think, a bigger picture person. Uh, so I don't know that I have questions, but I, I'm glad I'm doing this. I'm, I'm glad I'm on here. Were I the king of the world, I don't think that's going to happen today. One day. One <laughs> <laughs> <Long> day. <laughs> I, um, I would question why, why am I on this? I didn't apply. I didn't reach out and say, oh, I want to do this. But when I was approached, so how how are people picked from this? Yeah. A couple questions. I think um, when there are there are categories of things that come to us, let's say sidewalk variances is one example that seem to have a conclusion already made, yet it comes before the commission to say yes or no. And that's really puzzling to me. So I guess the question is, <clears throat> um, where can we learn what all those things are, what fits into that category? And I'd also love to know what happens if we vote to do it anyway, even though we will say we're not supposed to. <laughs> I'd love to understand that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Sorry, and also, I'm not quite sure I understand your question. So there, there are categories of things that come before the commission, like, a, for example, one I remember not too long ago was a variance on a sidewalk request to, to, to not do one in a certain place. And the rule said you have to do it. And there's quite a conversation about, look, the rule is the rule, and we don't have the authority to not follow the rule. Therefore, we need to vote in a certain way. So if it, if it is a rule and it's not something that's up for discussion, why does it come before the commission? And second, if, if, that, if what I'm saying is accurate, and maybe I'm just completely wrong about that, if what I'm saying is accurate, what happens if we vote against the rule? Or does it change the rule? <laughs> so which, which, right, which, which you led us towards, Jim, which I thought was fantastic. We haven't, I don't, haven't seen that come back up yet, but uh, we probably won't. I remember Jim saying, uh, laughing when you talked about sidewalk issues, apparently have been the bane of this group's existence for years. Another question, we, the three of us were talking a little bit about um, the Planning Commission appointments and city versus county appointments. 
and the responsibility that every commissioner has to an item, whether it's in the county or city, regardless who appointed them. I have a pinup opinion about that, but I'd, I'd love to know if there's, is there an expectation that if your city, you really focus on city of your county, you are given you know, more weight in a, in a decision. Love to understand that. Any questions from our veterans here? <clears throat> once, once back, he gets the number. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> these are all I think I did a pretty questions. good job of listening and writing there. <laughs> no, these are all great questions. Our role of the planning commission in the CIP process. Uh -huh. And our role of the planning commission in transportation planning. <laughs> I have a question for staff and it's how far off the rails should we be allowed to go before you start raining us in? <laughs> it seemed like when, when, when Scott was there, he, uh, he maybe stepped in before we were kind of fully, you know, uh, fully all of our ideas out. Uh, but then Jeff, you kind of led us to our own devices. And I just wonder where the boundary is and uh, if, if, if you'll act as a safeguard for us. Always will. <laughs> I'm not sure I even understand that. <laughs> what, what would be out of bounds that we could talk about? Um, a very out of bounds conversation <laughs> is uh, you would not be allowed to appropriate money for the city or the county governing body. <laughs> I mean, in any discussion that I've heard over the last however many months I've been here, what what is it that would be out of bounds? I've never heard anybody say, why don't we appropriate money and go party? We've bumped up against Kansas statute a couple of times. I think there are more technical things too. Like if 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 there's a an application and there's a business associated with it, and we might start discussing like the value of that business coming to the community. And that's not really mm -hmm. within not our, that's not yeah. land use issue. And yeah. so we could, we could start talking about that. And sometimes it may be helpful if no one on the commissioner is saying like, hey, hold on a second. We, this is interesting, but that's not exactly one of the factors we should be considering. That's why we have okay. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I guess, so a question, an example would be like, maybe Jeff would be like, you know, Commissioners, it's very interesting, but just to remind you that the issue is, you know, whether or not this application is appropriate from a land use perspective and not from whether or not you want, you know, uh, some sort of drive, particular brand or community uh, okay. company. Yeah, it's, or type of business. it's a shiny yeah. object syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is a, you know, it's, it's almost diversion. You know, you get the public coming in. These are great people. We love these people. We like their idea. But we're land use. And what happens down the road with that changing the land use for that parcel of land? Not who's going to be in there today. It's who's going to be in there next or the third 20 years down the road after that. Well, I think it's also a little bit of equivocation on what is planning. I mean, there are lots of different types of planning. There's, you know, economic development, there's community development. And, you know, in a way, we're the 
Metropolitan Land Use Planning Commission, not just the Planning Commission. There's a lot of, I think, I think when our ambitions exceed what we're entitled to do, it's because we have interests in other, other ways of planning that exceed our authority. I think there's also maybe some gray in those things. So I think one benefit maybe of having like a longer leash is that commissioners can can argue or not argue, but like, you know, go back and forth about what they think. I mean, someone may think that's out of our bounds. Another person may say, well, it might be, but I think it's relevant to this factor. We ought to be talking about it, which kind of goes back, I think, to what you were saying. You know, if the, some people may think there's rules, hard and fast, and we need to follow those and we can't deviate. And other people may think there's there's leeway. I mean, that's why that's why there's litigation. Everybody, everybody, every lawyer says, every lawyer says it's clear cut. Here's the rule. This is the result. The other side will say, no, it's clear cut. And it's, it's just, there's different perspectives. So I think to your point, though, about um, you know, getting at different values as opposed to strict. I think we're we're driven to that in some ways, like uh, having to determine uh, um, community benefit. That's a values conversation. Right? Is this, does this outweigh that? It's not a, it's not an objective. That's not a, not an objective thing. It's subjective. Not to spoil the later on and get spoilers out. We're gonna have a conversation about the difference between those two kind of interactions that you have versus quasi-judicial versus a legislative action because your role substantially changes in how you do that, and that subjectivity will also change the way that that role introduces. So. I will give away all the agenda, but I think we're primers <laughs> for a great conversation later on. I have another question, and it's probably the one I've asked every time we've met for planning commission training is, uh, what voices do we not have, and how do we identify that for the governing bodies that appoint people? Because we don't get to a point, like we know better who we don't have uh, or what we need, but we need to be able to communicate that to the governing bodies. We've done that so well in the past <laughs> with the county. And I'd just like to build up on that if I could, because I think you say we, we know who we don't have. I think a lot of the time we don't know who we don't That's, have. Yeah, the topic is we, we better than we yeah. better know who we don't have. We should know, yeah. It's like we, we don't cover some of these throughout the agenda. We have a lot to discuss at the end. That's right. <laughs> Make some room. This is our new person. Well, I don't know if that's appropriate. I should, I should probably uh, yeah. let the commission know this. Yeah. Um, we've had two adjustments to your roster in the last few days. Uh, hopefully, I, uh, you will correct me if I say his name wrong here. Pedro Barota was appointed as the city appointee that will come on board on June. He's uh, joined us via Zoom this morning a little bit. And I think it's, it's well within rights if you'd like to ask a question or find some things. Uh, be fair, he has not gone through his, his board onboarding process at this point in time, so he's probably got a lot of those. And Commissioner Shanklin has let us know that he will not be serving out, uh, not be waiting for reappointment, so he will be a terrible pin. <laughs> so we'll have some open seats to on the county side of the left point. But, so to welcome Commissioner Barona to the meeting. If uh, might be a little bit busy in the morning, but we definitely glad to have him here. So, um, that was in the middle of the roster adjustments that we had in the last few days. And I guess if uh, Mr. Barodo 
who used the hand signal, I guess, at some point in time. He could and wave. Wave, <laughs> wave frantically at us as we <laughs> go through this. Maybe that will work. So are, are, do we have any other questions before we move on to the next topic? And we'll just sort of keep an eye on these and see if they come up through the agenda that we can address the Could questions. Could we add as we go? Just, just looking at the questions, <laughs> right. like they've gotten longer. Right, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we, we should keep an eye on them as we go through. So, uh, did, you question? did your first question get on there? Yes, it got on number two. Okay. Don't worry, if we run out of whiteboard space, we have those large sticky notes. No. We can transfer okay. it and get it to the back of the room and sticky notes. Good. Don't worry about overrunning the board. Okay. <laughs> so, anything else? I'm sure we'll come up with more. I have at least one person I don't know. Hi, I'm Karen. I'm the, I'm the newest planner, Drew Bilby. Oh, nice to meet you. The, newest. the what The newest planner. The newest planner, okay. Yeah. Drew? Yeah. Okay. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. Okay, so I guess then we're on to discussion topic number one. Um, our discussion yeah. leader is Chair Sinclair for yeah. meeting preparation. Leader, more of like, a, I feel like a moderator. Yeah. Uh, but I think where we, uh, staff is gonna, and oh, we got Luke on, just, the, on yeah. Zoom. Okay. So yeah, the first thing is um, we'll hear from Luke, uh, sort of, I think, talking about the life cycle of so we can get the background of what staff is involved in um, as part of the planning process. Is that right, Luke? That's correct. I'm ready when you guys are. Go for it. All right. I'm going to give me a minute to share my screen. Okay. Good morning, commissioners. Well, that's different. That's uh, weird to hear, but good morning to you guys all. Uh, Luke Mortensen, Planner with Planning and Development Services Department. Want to thank you all for being with us this morning. Um, as uh, Chair Sinclair just noted, uh, Jeff and Becky have asked me to provide some additional insight into the planning processes and some of the roles that applicant staff and, of course, you guys take on during the life of a planning submittal, um, both before and after PC considerations. So we will go ahead and get started. The first stage in a planning commission agenda item is a pre-application meeting um, with the applicant. And generally these happen you know, around seven days prior to application. Um, this meeting can be with a lot of different folks. It can include planning and development services department, our MSO department, fire prevention. Some items require city managers uh, representative, Douglas County staff, even um, KDOT. Uh, it depends on the project, but we invite those that are needed um, or that we think we'll need for an application. So during a pre-application meeting, staff um, assist the applicant in, de in determining the submittal requirements um, and which applications and information should be provided. So this could include um, site drawings, traffic impact study, drainage study, um, sometimes a retail market study, different studies and analyses such, like, such as those um, that may need to be provided with the formal application um, that, that are necessary to demonstrate that the proposed project will meet city code and general compliance with our comprehensive plan. Uh, 
Um, at this stage, we also identify potential variances or roadblock, roadblocks um, and outline them. Uh, over the pandemic, we've transitioned to mostly pre-apps um, virtual meetings. Um, this has actually been really beneficial um, as for applicants and for staff as we've all been able to share screens and materials and you know, applicants, if they're not local, they don't have to physically be in, in Lawrence to um, at this earliest stage of their development process. Great. Once a complete application is submitted, you know, about seven or 10 days after that pre-application meeting, um, it's processed and logged into the city's internal um, programs and distributed to multiple reviewers for comments. So internal reviewers are similar to those that would have been in the pre-application meeting, um, but they include planning, um, our MPO and transportation planning folks, historic resources, building safety division, MSO, you know, engineering, fire, police, parks and rec. Um, there are also a significant number of uh, external reviewers, AT&T, Black Hills, Evergy, Midco, um, USPS, County Health Department, Register of Deeds, County Surveyor, um, just to name a few. It, depending on where the project is, there may be individual township reviewers, that sort of thing. So review comments are collected by the individual planner that are that's assigned by the planning manager and a review comment letter is sent to the applicant with all of those comments, you know, um, cited to each reviewer and what changes or additional information may be needed from the applicant. This process is repeated as needed to review revisions and additional documents provided by the applicant during this process. Multiple rounds of review are sometimes required and the length of review time um, reduces as the subject matter narrows. As the review process, process continues, the applicant may work more closely with some mm -hmm. reviewers than others. Um, the, planning manage, the planner manages an application through this entire review process and through the required boards and commissions. Um, and so it's important that these individual planners maintain those clear lines of communication which each, with each round of review uh, and each reviewer, both internal and external. Planning Commission applications follow the timelines on our meeting calendar, which you are all very familiar with. Um, sometimes these timelines are a little bit longer than some applicants expect. And part of our job is to explain why, you know, it can be a multi-month process. Um, but for example, an agenda item scheduled for next week's um, May Planning Commission, it would have had a submittal deadline of, of back in March. Um, and if you as the Planning Commission makes a recommendation, it will go to the City Commission in July. So, so like I said, sometimes Folks are a little bit surprised at the length, um, but it's all about neighbor notification, public notice, you know, agenda calendars. There's a lot that goes into these calendars. After an application has worked its way through the review process, planners will prepare a staff report for the planning director to approve. Projects are scheduled to be heard by planning commission approximately nine weeks after they're submitted. Um, as required by code, notice requirements are completed at least 20 days prior to planning commission. A legal notice is published in the newspaper. Um, letters are mailed to property owners within 400 feet um, inside the city and half a mile outside of the city limits, as well as notification to neighborhood associations um, if they exist. 
uh, and public notice signs are posted at the site. Um, planners field and document inquiries from the public throughout this entire process. Those are often included um, in your agenda packets. The Planning Commission agenda packet is managed by our admin staff using a web-based program called iCompass. Um, planners enter their staff reports and attachments into that program approximately a week prior to the packet being posted, and that allows for additional review by the planning manager and the planning director. The Planning Commission agenda packet is posted at least five days prior to your meeting, and then notification of that packet posting, I'm sure you all receive it, as well as any updates is emailed to a distribution list of about 700 folks. So each application that we receive requires um, a level of, appro of approval. Um, some items are strictly administrative, which are reviewed and approved by us, or require consideration and approval by the Planning Commission, the City Commission, the County Commission. And one thing that our, our reworking of our land development code may include is, is um, a, a reworking of these items. You know, what items can be approved by staff? What items should be reviewed and considered by the different levels of commission? That's gonna be a really important discussion um, in the next you know, few months here. Uh, ruin Luke's Sloan's presentation. You actually have a copy of this in your orientation packet of what those approval levels are, so you can see this listed anytime. Awesome. So, after Planning Commission provides recommendation to the governing body, so the City Commission or the County Commission, agenda items move on to those commissions for final approval. Public hearing items such as a rezoning or special use permit have a 14-day protest period be between um, a, you know, planning commission consideration and their forwarding to the governing body. So planners provide updates and outcomes to the applicant during these process, during this process with um, action letters and, and um, lots of email communication documenting you know, what has occurred at each individual meeting. Once approved by the um, requisite governing body uh, and conditions of approval have been met, if there were any, documents are released to our building safety division for building permits or they're recorded at the Douglas County Register of Deeds. Materials, processes, actions, and outcomes of each case are documented um, within our internal uh, city systems um, so that those can be uh, tracked long through history. It's very important that we have um, good tracking of timelines of, of even after a project has been approved so that we know um, how it worked through our process. So to make some of these things a little bit more clear and concrete, I've selected a subject property that had a number of planning processes take place um, in the semi-recent past. Uh, 508, 508 Michigan Street is an existing um, residential and commercial lawn care provider. It sits on the east side of Michigan Street between um, fifth and sixth, kind of near the new, um, what is now Heartland, formerly Anderson Rentals. Um, since 2017, the property has had a number of planning processes take place on it um, before it could become Green Touch, which it is now. Um, and this is a good example of, of what you may see as a planning commissioner. So on the screen right now, you'll see a list of the planning processes that um, some of them require planning commission recommendation, while others are handled totally administratively or by the city commission. 
So both the rezoning and the comprehensive plan amendment require planning commission consideration. The minor subdivision replat in this instance required a planning commission approval, uh, variance approval, and the site plan component was administrative. So this is all information that you're totally aware of, um, but always good to review. So like um, I mentioned earlier, during this specific pre-application meeting, planners worked to flesh out with the applicant what they really wanted. Um, it's not uncommon that applicants aren't fully aware of, of their final outcome of what they'd like or what the poss final possibilities are. So it was our job to walk them through you know, the land development code um, and make sure that everybody was on the same page of what the desired outcome was and how you know, they may be able to get to that. Determining what it is that they want will guide, obviously, the rest of the processes and inform staff's next steps. So this minor sub 19-00217 um, um, is a good example, and, and we'll walk through that. So here is just a little bit um, of additional information of where we are. On the left, you'll see the original West Lawrence plat. This is one of the oldest plat documents in the city. You'll see a lot of those original city of Lawrence lots that are pretty um, common in the central part of the city. And then on the right side of the screen is the minor subdivision document of what was reviewed by the planning commission um, a few years ago. So in early April of 2019, so coming up on a couple of years ago, or yeah, about a couple of years ago, we had a pre-application meeting with the applicant and his design professionals. Um, that included an engineer, an architect. Um, and so even prior to the pre-application meeting, we had made contact with the applicant with our public inquiries. Um, and so those are phone calls or emails that come through to planning staff um, at the very beginning of the planning process. So at that meeting, we discussed the minor subdivision um, to combine the existing platted lots that you saw on that previous screen, those West Lawrence lots, um, and the major site planning process to construct the proposed equipment storage structure and the proposed new use, that construction, sales, and service, the lawn care use. So both the minor sub and the site plan required very planning staff have to instruct and inform on the different types of variances and the different bodies that consider them. Beyond variances, we discuss anything else that may come up. Um, for example, at the site we're in the regulatory floodplain, we would discuss floodplain development permits. Um, if the site were located within a locally enlisted historic environs, we would discuss the HRC um, review process. Um, during the pre-application meeting, we would also discuss um, the best time for our non-planning reviewers to discuss or to communicate with those design professionals. Um, so for example, it's an opportunity for our MSO engineers to speak directly with um, the design professionals who are providing those technical, um, uh, technical documents. And to discuss, um, so planners don't know everything about the building code or fire code. And so it's a perfect time for those um, specific reviewers to provide that information. You'll see um, that the applicant took the pre-application meeting notes and submitted formal applications later in April. Um, by the end of April, staff had completed our first round of reviews. Um, not only did planners complete their own reviews uh, against the land development code, but they collect and distribute the comments of all the reviewers. So this includes some of those, those names that I discussed earlier, our MSO, Parks and Rec, 
Midco, Everage, et cetera. Um, these include you know, internal and external people. This is where planners need to function as high level communicators. Planners become the link between reviewers and the applicant and his or her design professionals. Um, it's really, really important that information flows um, smoothly between these groups and staff. And we work hard to be good stewards of everyone's time and resources. Um, depending on the applicant's response to the reviewer's comments that get sent out, um, there may be additional rounds of review. Um, and these become much more tightly focused. The timeline for review gets much shorter, can be just a day or a few days um, as they're focused on individual elements. So now we're getting to the point where you all as the planning commission would first get involved with the planning item, even though it may you know, already well be on its way through the department at this time. From the first pre-application meeting, staff um, had identified that due to the infill nature of our example lot 508 Michigan, a variance from the subdivision regulations for lot width and lot frontage uh, were required. Because staff had communicated this early in the process, the applicant was able to prepare his variance request and staff could make a recommendation for you all to consider. You'll see that the Planning Commission approved this variance request. Um, we work hard to place these on the appropriate agenda so that no part of the remaining review processes get held up by a commission agenda um, that may not be for three weeks or four weeks, depending on the um, commission. So once the planning commission considers this variance request, the gears continue to turn. Um, in this instance, the MSO department had asked that the applicant dedicate the utility easement um, via that minor subdivision replat to encase an existing sewer that crossed the property. Uh, this required city commission acceptance, but no planning commission action. Additionally, the applicant requested a number of variances based on hardship. So those were considered by staff and the board of zoning appeals and were necessary prior to final approval of the site plan. Finally, staff had to coordinate a use of right-of-way agreement between the city and the property owner to continue allowing the business to use a portion of the Michigan Street right-of-way um, for its parking needs. So you can see in this application, there were a lot of moving parts that were dependent on each other, but then also dependent on your consideration as the planning commission and the consideration of other boards and commissions. So just some final items, you'll see that um, with a very responsive applicant and a number of administrative and commission-based processes, both the minor subdivision replat and the site plan were completed within a few months, mostly over the summer of 2019. Uh, and I would say that my main takeaway, oh, change slides here, here we go. My main takeaway for you all today, and I, and I think you all pretty understand this pretty clearly, is that the planning commission's role sometimes is one of just many stops along an application's route. Um, it's an important stop, but really it's part of the larger development process. Um, and that's very important because your recommendation guides the city commission on some items. And as you're very well aware, these items can be really difficult sometimes. Um, and your consideration of land uses in our community um, can be a very impact, impactful uh, decision. So your decisions often will change the actual physical landscape of both the city of Lawrence and Douglas County. 
Some projects are simpler and may have a single application while others like 508 Michigan have multiple. Um, these applications are submitted and reviewed concurrently and we really do work hard to keep them together, but that's not always possible. And then finally, planners are aware that during our presentations and our staff reports that we may speak with some technical or code intensive language and it may seem like we're always referring to something within the code. Um, we really do work hard to speak and present in a way that you know, the majority of people can understand it. Um, but it's also our way of keeping a ball rolling, keeping this application moving down the track as efficiently as possible um, and in a, in a code compliant manner. So finally, uh, as you are all very well aware, our land development code is not perfect. However, one thing that it does well is spell out everybody's role um, in the process. And so I pulled these screenshots from the rezoning section of our code. Um, and they're helpful reminders if you ever need them of what your role as the planning commission is. Um, you'll also see that the city commission's role, staff's role, those are all outlined. Um, their role and then the options of what they can do. And so these are helpful reminders. I know I review them, you know, before I give a presentation and before I draft a staff report, just as a reminder to myself. All right, with that, I'll wrap up and I can uh, stand for any questions or um, toss them to Jeff or Becky. So hopefully I, this was helpful. Thanks, Luke. Uh, do people, I think we ought to ask questions now if we have some Your chance. I'd love to. Um, okay. I, I was uh, yeah, okay. I, I have a, <laughs> a question Luke, about um, the example of 508 Michigan. Um, when an applicant has to go through these multiple steps as opposed to just one or two steps, is there a fee associated with each one of those applications? There is. So yes, we have. Oh. A, there's there's going to be a, a minor subdivision application that has a fee. What's the fee? What, how much are we talking about? Uh, it just depends on the applications. Um, on Monday, I could have probably told you it off the top of my head. On Friday, <laughs> let me look real fast. Just, just rough. I mean, every um, $5, $500, $5,000. Luke, you got some numbers? Well, yeah, so it, it depends. So some of the things we do for, for are for free. So for example, zoning certification has no fee attached to it but a special use permit has a fee of $750. And so the items can range, you know, from $0 up to a couple hundred dollars. Um, in addition, there may be recording fees. Um, so if a minor subdivision needs to be recorded at the county, those we will collect those fees and then that pays for the recording. Um, we can provide our uh, fee schedule. And then we can provide a link to Douglas County's recording fee schedule as well. But there are there are review fees involved for sure. And yes, site plans will range depending on their complexity from $50 to $400. Luke's exactly right, $725 for a special use permit to go exactly through the process. Plats, um, we're talking about, you know, minor subdivisions, $100 plus recording fee. The city plats themselves could be anywhere between $300 to $500 plus the recording fees. So everything along the way does have a step. And then that one I pulled, I think we got to point out that you don't know about is there's actually building permit fees that come along with that. So it's all the application fees and there's a building permit fee that comes along too. And it doesn't even constitute all of the design professional fees that someone incurs to even go to your meetings and have the documentation to be there. Um, I can give you an idea of one right now is, you know, you might incur three to $4,000 in surveyor fees to even have a minor subdivision land at our, our office for review. Where is that? 
less any of it. And so it's it's not a cheap endeavor by any stretch. And in the rural portion of the county, for instance, a site plan is $50. Certificates of survey are $100 because they haven't revised their fees for a long time, but they're getting ready to update them. And these, you know, these are flat fees. No matter how much time the planning department puts into an application, it's the same fee. Right. So like if the site plan is with this for three days, it's $50 fee, but if it's with us for three years, it's still a $50 fee. So it's it's not something we incur on a monthly cost. It's just at the time of submission. So, you know, and I will share the secret that no one is, it's not really a secret, it's the time it's money when you're talking about development projects. So we try to expedite and have things run concurrently as much as possible. So we will run the building permit reviews during the site plan reviews, during the commission reviews, so that whatever that slowest portion of the calendar is, is the only portion of the calendar we're looking for. We want to have all the other applications wrapped up and ready. So whenever the governing body acts or that you act, we can immediately go to those next steps without holding anybody back. And I would presume the applicant never believes that. Um, some do, some don't. <laughs> and you know, it's and Luke kind of alluded to it. Sometimes it, it is um, things that are beyond our control. The you know, design professionals have a bit of a slowdown or they're working through some details. And so we'll get the comments back and may not hear anything for a month or two while they're working out some of those details and technical things on their side, and then they'll come right back in on it. So when you see a, an item deferred from your schedule. It's usually deferred because there's a, the work that's continuing. It's just not to a point where we can get it ready for you yet, or they can get it ready for you. So they'll often show back up a month or two down the line because just, there's something that popped up that needs to get fixed, and that time is is hard to find. Sometimes. Other questions? Yeah, a couple. Um, Luke you used the term green touch. When you were describing a, a project um, and, at a certain state, did I hear that right? Yeah. So Green Touch was the name of the um, of the lawn oh, care company that went into that space. Okay. Thank you. Sorry. But thank you. Um, um, you also talked about a fourteen day protest protest petition. Golly. <laughs> um, timeline. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we have, um, so for example, if, if there was a special use permit and the planning commission recommended approval to the city commission, starting the day after that recommendation, there is a 14-day period where uh, property owners within a 200-foot buffer have the ability to sign and submit a protest petition to the city or county clerk, and that will be validated and kind of um, put together in a memo format and present it to the city commission. And they may also come in, in the, and speak to the, themselves at the city commission meeting, but it is a formal way for those folks, those property owners within 200 feet to express their, you know, their opinion of the recommendation. Got it, thank you for that. Um, yeah, Jim, can I yeah. fill in some gaps on protest petition? Yeah, please. Protest petition, it has to be signed by the landowner. So if it's a rental property, you got to track down the actual landowner and get them their signature on it. It has to be notarized. If the actual landowner is under a guardianship, you have to get the guardian to sign it and supply the letters of guardianship to go to the buyer to verify that that is a valid signature. 
if you get a certain percentage of the adjacent landowners, you've got a valid protest petition, which forces a supermajority vote at the decision-making stage. So the city commission would then have to be four, four votes four five, yeah. um, in, to vote contrary to what the protest petition is. Right, gotcha. And the same applies for the county, where you force it into all three would have to be. Thank you. It doesn't really matter at the county level because to pass it needs two of three and the supermajority is two of three. three so. <laughs> they would have to have it. They have to have three. They have to go unanimous. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Everyone's aware wow. the protesting petition is in our code, but it's actually governed by state statute for things mm -hmm. such as rezoning and special use permits and conditional uses. Those are all governed by state statute. Mm -hmm. The one that's really governed by our code is the nine day protest petition with an administrative site plan. And so staff can administratively approve the site plan, but if anybody wants to protest it, there are certain grounds you have to meet, which do not constitute the same 20% of the area requirements of the state statute. So under the site plan that you will you don't all see, but this is one you probably hear about frequently, is the applicant, the city commission, a neighborhood association, or any owner of record within 400 feet can protest the site plan and it automatically elevates it to the commission. So there's there's lots of different levels of protesting in the way that the code works. And that's when it's at the city commission level on that, is that a de novo hearing? Yes. You said on what? De novo. de novo, that means they don't take into account what happened before. They hear the staff presentation, okay. they hear all the arguments, uh -huh. pro and con, whoever that shows up, and they make a decision independent of whatever the planning department has done prior to that. Hmm. So when I start talking about what are the votes going to be? Uh -huh. This doesn't matter. Where I made the gap of just saying it didn't matter about the wrong thing. <laughs> it was a number of county commissioners that were going to have to agree with each yeah. other. Yeah. <laughs> One last question for Jeff. Um, thinking about the timeline it takes, and 508 Michigan is a great example. Um, I think it, if I heard right, it represents a pretty clean, efficient beginning to end. The costs that applicants bear um, could range from a little bit to a whole lot. How do you think about weighing the support you give applicants to get through an expensive process as quickly and efficiently as they possibly can? How do you, how do you balance that against the responsibilities you have for good thorough planning? It is a balancing act on that one, but I'll tell you, if it's a simple application of the most complex applications, staff is going to be fully dedicated to getting that through as fast as possible, as thorough as possible as we can. Things that we always promise to you all is we won't advance an application to you that is not code compliant. So if staff recognizes there's something in there that is not code compliant, like they don't have enough parking, but setbacks are being violated or something like that, we won't, we won't send it up because you don't need to see it at that point because you can't actually approve it anyway because you would be approving something that's out of sort. So we will try to get that sorted out as best we can before it goes up. But we always try to do it as fast as we can or as thorough as we can at all times. And one of the other questions we get is like, and I get this quite frequently is, we're talking a flat fee, do you really invest you know, $5,000 worth of hours in a $50 application? My response is yes. It doesn't matter what's moving, it needs to be fast and efficient for the other side. And just good customer service because if I was on that other side, I would want this all moving as fast and thorough as possible. Too. Thank you. Would this be a good example to ask the question of? Is let's say that this particular project, 508 Michigan, 
uh, was something that the neighborhood did not want. And there were, they were submitting comments. So in terms of the, at, at the notification process, when they've been notified, they get the letter like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this horrible thing is happening. And they want to write comments. At what point, so this gets back to my question, would this be a good example to say, okay, at what point, what, what happens then with that member of the public and staff? So Jeff, can I jump in on this one? Yeah. Yeah, so um, this was actually related to the BZA component. Part of the Green Touches application was seeking a variance from the off-street parking material standards. They wanted to do gravel instead of um, like, a, like a concrete or, or asphalt. And um, we got some neighbor comment on that because we had also sent out notice for the variance component. And there was quite a bit of um, support, actually. They had recognized that they believed that part of the neighborhood had some drainage issues. And so they were in support of the applicant's variance request. So some folks um, called us and just you know gave us a, a voice support over the phone. And myself personally, we'll, I'll note that in the staff report on X day, you know, the property owner of this property called in support. We don't usually will unless they want us to. We won't you know name them individually. Uh, we we like when they submit written communications because that gets included in the agenda packet. And then in this instance, we had some people come to the meeting and support. So in that role, staff was providing information of you know when and where the meeting was, how to come speak at the podium. Now we provide them a Zoom link um, if they require that. And so that would be the staff role in helping. Uh, a neighbor uh, or just a member of the public voice opposition or support. The other thing we'll do is we'll tell people exactly about the code and what it does, what that protest petition section looks like, what are those next steps going to look like. One of the things I think Mary and Becky and everybody in the room will, that are on the staff will mention is we spend a lot of time talking to people about, you know, finding commission isn't the ultimate step for a lot of applications. There is one more beyond it. A lot of people think your action is the end of the end of the discussion. And we have to remind people is that most times that's not the case. You're you only recommend up to the governing bodies. And so we remind them that this is not done tonight, or this is, you know, there are steps following after this. So it's, you know, in many ways, if you think about it, it's, it's a very bad analogy, but I'll try it anyway. We're a little bit like the UN. We're going to have people going on one side for one thing, we're going to help them through the side, and when the public comes to us, we're going to help them understand the process and guide them through their side of it at the same time. And so it's really our role to manage both sides of that coin so that everybody has equal opportunity to participate in the process when they, if they want to. And one of the things probably, I don't know why it's the best kept secret in town, but it is, is on the planning and development website, there is a PDS dashboard that will show you every building permit that's been submitted, every rental license that's been submitted, every application that's been submitted. And when you click on those dots, it'll tell you the planner's name. And then when you click on that, it'll give them their contact information. So anybody can pull up anything, see who to reach out to, get a hold of the planner working that application so they can get all the information right from the person who is hands-on with the project. Is there a difference though in what, I mean, I assume there's a difference in the sort of service you would provide as a planning department with a member of the public and an applicant. Because in my view, it seems like the applicant is a customer sort of, they're paying all these fees. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I mean, you, you work you work for the city and, uh, or, you know, for the community. And so you like, you almost have like an obligation in a way, or it seems like you would to, 
to respond to, to uh, community members' input. But it, like how you can't spend the same amount of time, you know, the resources too, it doesn't seem to like uh, walk a, you know, a neighbor through, here's all the requirements. This is, you know, why we think this is okay or this is why we're concerned about it versus like doing that same thing with the applicant, right? No, we'll do that. Okay. It's not as very uncommon. We'll come, neighborhood associates will come in, we'll sit down with them, we'll show them all the integrations, show them exactly what the code requires, and here's why we're coming to this resolution. So we'll sit down with the neighborhood or anybody that wants to meet with us and talk about it, just like we will with the applicant, then we'll go through the code. So, no, we try to make sure that we're doing the exact same thing for both sides. And with that understanding, as a development professional, will understand some things differently than the neighborhood association may. So, we spend that time to educate about the process and you know, what can and can't occur. Like we can't deny something because it's, you know, let's, let's just pick on a real business, you know? We can't deny it because it's McDonald's. It's a fast order of food use. So it could be a McDonald's today, it could be a Dunkin' Donuts in the future, it could be something else down the line. People will say, I like, I want this use, I just don't want this restaurant. Well, you, it doesn't quite work that way. We will stop and explain that. And so, no, we will exactly spend that, we will mirror that time together. So, Staff has always had a really good understanding of this, and I will give credit where credit is due. This was here long before I got here. Was we will spend the time it needs to get the public information they need to be 100% ready, the same as we will get an applicant 100% ready. You serve everybody, regardless of the position they are in it, and then code is your North Star, code is what you're working towards. Absolutely. And uh, one thing, sometimes neighbors bring up things you haven't thought of, and maybe it's not actually a code item, but it's something you relay it to the applicant, and maybe they just want evergreen trees in their buffer area, or they want more landscaping. There's just something, and you relay it, and they make the change, you know, and so it's something, sometimes they make a project a lot better. They bring up ideas you hadn't even thought of. And we've had a few times where we just take their comments, relay them to the applicant, and, and then the neighbors are, they're pretty satisfied because they got heard. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to tell them, you know, the applicant, we told the applicant, but they, they weren't willing to make the change. But a lot of times they are, because if it's easy to do and they can get some good, good natured feelings for the project. It's not, it's not a common thing in Zoom anymore. I'll say probably before the pandemic, it was very common. We would have the applicants and the neighbors sit down in the room with planning staff and we would, we would walk through it with everybody at the same time. So that they could hear the comments and learn the same information. So it's not uncommon that we have three-party meeting about the project. Zoom's made it a little bit more difficult, a little bit less, um, a little bit less preferable. I think people just don't want to do it on Zoom. Mm -hmm. But it's not uncommon that we will sit down with everybody in the room and, and have that discussion and go through those different processes. That does seem like a very well kept secret. <laughs> just judging from some of you know whether you read the letters to the editor or whether you're you know some comments below commission it seems i don't think the public really understands that they have that that you have that capacity to help them and i, I think a lot of it goes through is if you don't find people won't reach out to us they will reach out to, at a commission meeting or they won't look for the yellow sign and that they see it showing up on an agenda and that's what gets it or their neighbor will mention it and so what happens sometimes is they're not they're not tracking the channels where we typically would put this information out so the moment they find about it is the moment it's at a hearing and then i think that's where you see a lot of that kind of coming up but um, there's a lot of a lot of applications and mary said through quite a number of those three-party meetings we're, we're working through those things and trying to get a resolution that works for everybody and adheres to the code and meets those parts and it's 
Um, it's an endeavor sometimes, depending on the projects, depending upon the issues involved, but it's always something we try to do. And always available for the meetings. Can I ask Luke a question? Uh, you walked us through the, the sort of process. If you, it, how many, um, well, if you had like a hundred people come to different applicants for like the pre-application meetings, how many of those actually make it like past that meeting versus are screened out because it's clear that whatever they are wanting to talk about is impossible, you know, and then like throughout the process, because we, we see what comes in front of us, you know, uh, that needs approval. Some things go through administratively, but how many are just like, you know, if you get a hundred people walking through the door to talk about it, actually make it through to having, you know, a building permit. Um, I don't, I don't know, Jeff. I think, I think most people that go to the effort of submitting the pre-application forms and, and if they have, certainly if they have a design professional on board, they're pretty likely to have something submitted. So obviously that doesn't mean that the project is going to get built exactly the way that they envision. But I think that most people, um, especially when we were meeting in person, uh, who go to the trouble of having the pre-application meeting follow through with some level of formally submitted document where, where we see a lot of things maybe talk about and, and never come to fruition is during the public inquiry stage. And so a lot of times we'll field kind of emails from architects or engineers who are working with somebody who aren't quite ready to have that pre-app meeting, um, but have some, you know, want some guidelines on certain elements of, of a code section. Those are where we will hear something, talk about it. We'll note it in our system internally, but we may never hear anything back. The field rule of thumb was probably about 60, 65% of a pre-app would advance. They would get the information and continue advancing on that one. And the reasons for that, why they wouldn't advance would range from, you know, they, it was just a site selector trying to find out a little bit more information or they wanted to get a little bit more detail to it too. So we, we get into it, the site, you know, it totally won't work for them when they put setbacks and different parameters into it. So they will move to a different location or keep going. But if usually by the time we get a free app, it's pretty, someone's pretty far along in the, in the sense of where they want to take it to. It's during that pre-application meeting a lot of times where they will kind of you know, mine, you know, will they support this rezoning? Like, tell, tell us what you think. Do you think we'll get it? And so we, we work really hard at, you know, maintaining the fact that, you know, staff can provide a recommendation, but it's the planning commission uh, and the city commission's consideration that is going to be the deciding factors. And so we can, we can present them with what the code will allow them to do and what the code may, you know, reflect on their application, but ultimately it's going to be a decision out of our hands. Anybody else have questions for Luke? Luke, do you kind of point out what the current trends and thinking are at both the city and the, I mean, the planning commission, the city commission, county commission, when somebody comes in that wants to change things, you know, a rezoning or something that just seems out of line? with where everything's going. Was that pointed out early in the process? Yeah, I think so. Um, if there is a particularly, you know, relevant text amendment that may, you know, be working its way through the process, we would let them know that, you know, this text amendment 
you know, may be applicable to you. This code change could shift what you may be allowed to do. Um, we would explain where it is in this, you know, where it is in its process and that it may not be, you know, adopted yet. Um, so I think if we knew certain items uh, were in the pipeline and were appropriate to disclose, we, we, would, we would let them know. Um, we definitely talk about trends in planning and construction and design for sure. Um, and then that sometimes leads to, you know, text amendments or discussions about what our new code could look like. So yeah, I think we, I think we oftentimes discuss that with certainly the design professionals because they're pretty tuned into where, um, you know, things are going. So we'll have, then we'll ask the question, you know, what is the, what is the feeling of the commission on an item? Or they'll have an understanding of what your voting pattern has been, or what your what your um, key things that you look at are before they will come to meet with us. So if they have an understanding about, um, you know, how you feel about environmental sensitivity, or how you feel about doing certain things, they will usually have an understanding of that. But if it is something where they ask us, we will definitely, you know, here's some cases that have happened. Planning commission, you might want to go back and look at the videos to get a sense of what the board is seeking, what they're looking for. Same with the governing bodies to have those because it's um, trying to relay that as much as we can when we're asked, but sometimes it's you know, we can't really fully relay it like you can sometimes we can see it on the video. So we will always tell people you might want to look at this one to see what the board was interested in or what that key aspect of this was they were really dialed into. Do you warn them they might have to set aside half a day to watch it? We usually try to find the timestamps. Yeah. We do get them in about two hours in meeting. <laughs> and you can watch on, you can, you can speed it up, go on 1.5 times speed. That's, right. That's helpful. <laughs> well, the local people, the local builders and designers and everybody, I mean, they're in front of the commissions enough. They kind of yeah. know and they can help guide their client. <laughs> now, this ain't going to work. <laughs> That's right. They're never going to vote for that. You know, they, I hope some of that's happening. But, because I think the ones that call, take you the most time, take planning staff the most time, and cause us the, the most, you know, the biggest, <clears throat> most conflicted discussions are when somebody wants to just completely fuck the rules that have been in place mm -hmm. and won't listen to anything. I know some of those come to us over staff's advice. Right. You're gonna, you're not gonna get very far with this, but but it's your choice to go ahead. So. And, you know, when you get an application like that, that that does happen. Is you know, we will advance the application. We will let people know it's like this may not be supportable. This does have some code challenges. You are more than welcome to advance it forward if you like. That will advance it on its way. So that's why you sometimes see recommendations from staff that are maybe a little different than what you normally see, or some conditions that are coming up there. It is the applicant's prerogative for that application to continue it on. Because if it is code compliant, we would put it before you and kind of share some of our professional recommendations that you see under those, those rare ones where staff's recommendations is denied. Well, I think that might help also explain kind of the ratio of recommendations to accept yes. to recommendations to, to deny is that staff is working with the applicants to try to find some path towards success, even if it means maybe modifying what they initially intended to do. Um, that, you know, I think as commissioners, 
when I first joined the commission, I was kind of surprised to find that most of the recommendations were to accept, but it helped to understand you know, your role with respect to the applicants that you were kind of counseling through that process, how they could achieve some portion of their, of their intent within the limits of what, you know, code um, allowed. Any other questions for Luke while he's here? Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Luke. Thank, yeah, you. thank you, Luke. That's always very helpful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so we have a half hour. And the other, the other um, part of this topic was to sort of talk amongst ourselves uh, about our process of preparing for the meetings. I mean, we know sort of the planning staff's involvement when an application comes in um, now and how much time is spent. Uh, but um, I think it's worthwhile to talk about, one of the reasons we want to talk about this is that I think there's a, it seems like maybe there's a variety or a diversity amongst the commission of, uh, you know, the type of preparation that's done, how much time is spent, um, the, the, and some of that may have to do with personalities. And Charlie, I think you got to this. I mean, some people may feel like they're not as detail focused and maybe more like big picture. And I, I think that's a good, I thought that was a really insightful point because I think uh, I think as commissioners, there may be pressure to like, you know, everyone has to follow like a certain model as a commissioner. Um, and you have to, everyone's got to be de detail oriented. And I, you know, I just, I, I, I think maybe that's not a great way to look at it. I think everyone has strengths and weaknesses and some of that is, is a product of your personality. But I think that all plays into and is wrapped up in what everyone does for preparation. And I guess how that like plays into how we approach um, discussions. And so I was wondering um, if anyone would be willing to share like, uh, and maybe just use a specific example, like what do you do um, to prepare for the meetings? You know, are, are the packets come out a week ahead of time-ish. I can't remember what day it is. If it's a Monday or Wednesday ahead of the week before. We do, we're absolutely best to get everything out the door for Wednesday before. Okay. You have, have some time left over the weekend. Yeah, but so. Not how you want to spend the weekend. Exactly, so we've got a week now. Some people may, uh, you know, wait till the night before or not look at it all, or uh, some people may get on it right away. Um, and I just, I'd be, I wonder if someone could just sort of talk to what what they like to do to prepare um, and share that. And then we, maybe we could just kind of get different perspectives and, and see. Anybody willing to? I can say what I do. <laughs> One of the most consistent bits of advice I got when I sat down and talked to people, I can still in the parking lot with Jim said, read the packet. Read the packet. Know what you're know what you're talking about, which is a daunting thing. Yeah. I mean, you get that, you've got all of a sudden you've got 400 pages of something you've got to read between Thursday and the next Monday. And to your point about, you know, filling up your weekend because you didn't have anything else to do. But, um, I have found though that you get better at being able to find the relevant bits. Mm -hmm. um, there's some things there that are maybe a little bit more repeatable, so you get at it. And then I um, pull all the PDFs, I put it on my laptop, and I just drive to every site. And I sit there and read it. I read that while I'm at the location that I'm at. And if you're lucky, you find an applicant wandering around and you can get some feedback from them. That's 
what I do. I just try to understand it particularly. I think I feel a particular responsibility to it if I'm if I have some concerns about voting in favor of it. I feel like I really need to be able to articulate that. I have to say that I do pretty much, I mean, I read the packet. I now can go through it somewhat selectively after a while. Um, visit the sites when, when, I, when I can. Uh, so, but one thing I've been trying to do reading the packet though, is taking a cue from some of the veterans uh, is think more uh, reading through the packet. Are there larger implications or is there something about process here that I need to understand, especially when it comes to big issues like annexation and some significant rezoning. So try to think beyond the application in front of me, what I'm reading. So I'm trying to, to do a little bit more of that. I think in, in early on, I went to every site and then I kind of prioritized like the ones that I didn't have like an already good, pretty solid mental picture, make sure I went to those. And, and now it's, it's I, I think I do that less, but anything that I think is gonna be controversial or a, a part of town or the county that I can't, uh, that I just don't have any experience with, like, you know, new annexations, there are areas we really don't spend much time in because there's nothing, no infrastructure out there now, make sure I lay eyes on those who've got kind of a good mental picture. Always read the packet. I think I'd feel really wrong-footed to come into one of these meetings and not have that, um, I know earlier on, I spent more time bugging staff about questions before the meetings uh, than I do now, because I think I have, I'm, I'm getting a few things. Now it's time for me to go. <laughs> but, but I think that's that's key too, is just yeah. uh, feel free to bug the staff. They're usually pretty good to answer my questions, either email or phone call or whatever. Um, I do occasionally, if I think there's a, a, a somebody who would feel strongly for or against that did not weigh in in the public, you know, in the in the packet. Sometimes I'll reach out to them and say, "Hey, did you know about this? And do you have a comment?" Mm -hmm. And that kind of goes towards like the voices that may not be mm -hmm. counted for. I think that's a good way. Yeah. Mention for a second. I would advocate if you have any questions, reach out to staff. And if it's a question that we think is is so valuable to you, we will actually put it out back to the whole board. So we'll respond to you all, so you have that information and put it in the packet. So I mean, if, if it's a question about, you know, why is the PAC being misbehaving on this page, that's probably, we can work through that, but if it's a question of substance like that, let us know and then we will be able to get that back out as part of everybody's communication so that you all have that information. That is exactly what we're here to do. Yeah, I found staff invaluable. And I think one of the well-kept secrets among people who have not served as chair or vice chair is that the Thursday before the meeting, uh, the chair and the vice chair meet with uh, Becky and Jeff and kind of talk through what the agenda is going to be and establish this dialogue. And it really helps set the tone for how the meeting is going to run, what kind of issues are likely to come up. And I've never felt as prepared and just kind of confident as during those times because, um, you know, just reading the packet and going in cold, I, there have been so many times when I've felt uh, that I was caught flat-footed because I thought I felt one way and then whether, whether it's public comment or the discussion among the other commissioners, something, you know, just complete, completely flips upside down. And I found myself, you know, momentarily disoriented and sometimes then voting the opposite of what I anticipated. And so having that, that dialogue with 
uh, Becky and Jeff, I think it's super helpful. So um, yeah, I and, and and during the first you know year on the commission, I would bug Jeff all the time, and I think that is that is a great way to make sure you you know feel you know what you're why you think what you think when you go into the meeting. Um, the other thing that I find super helpful is um, uh, correspondence from the public because it helps me prepare for like what kind of questions or controversy might pop up. Uh, it's a good barometer. That's a really, I think a really important point. Um, you said that to me when we met in the very beginning that you know, be prepared, but come with an open mind. Mm -hmm. uh, one other thing that I, I have found just actually super rewarding. This is, uh, it's kind of specific though, as a parent, occasionally I've taken one of my kids with me on the site visits mm -hmm. and kind of talked through um, what I was thinking and what kind of questions I was asking and what I'd like to, why I'd like I was visiting, what I was trying, hoping to find out. And I would find that by talking through it with my kid, I was able to kind of formulate my thoughts a lot better than if I just did it and only had the internal monologue. So awesome. having a partner can be super, super helpful. It's awesome. If they're willing to sacrifice. I know exactly. Oh boy, Dad, this sounds so exciting. Yeah. Let's, right. let's go visit an empty lot and decide whether it should have a sidewalk or <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yes. Does anybody have trouble? Uh, like there are times when we'll have things come back in front of us or um, projects near things that we've, sites that we've heard an application on previously. Um, sometimes there, there are sort of these things that come back up. Does anybody have trouble recalling what we did a year or yes. two, three ago? I, there are some people on the commission who remember this stuff, uh, you know, like so well, but does anybody else, can anybody else recall that easily? I mean, that's one thing I I've struggled yesterday. with. Right. I, I sometimes wonder if there's something wrong with me, like the retention just isn't there. But, uh, but having those things come back and, and then have, you know, having Jim or someone else in the commission, you remember we like talked to him, like, I don't remember that. But thank you. Like, is that, a, do, do, does anyone else struggle with that? Yes. Oh, yeah, all the yes. time. Okay. I haven't been around long enough for that to be. Right, I mean, it'll come. It'll come. I, I find myself wondering if maybe that's okay to, to look at something, even if it's been done before with fresh eyes. Yeah. I think I tend to remember past conversations about those things. I mean, one thing I've done because of that is if I see something that, like a you know a step report comes out and it references maybe this has the previous applications because they usually like list out you know other previous applications or actions is I'll I will go back and uh, watch the video at least try to find the part that we discussed stuff. And, and I will put it on like one and a half speed, you know, just like, cause I'm like, I have zero recollection of what we did on this. And I, and that has helped occasionally um, in the preparation process. Cause I can't recall that stuff. Like, so I never, I never look back at what's cause you have, I just, you just have the retention yeah. already. Yeah, you remember things. Well, that, that one, the Luke's uh, example, I remember the first time I drove out there to look at it. That was what, 2017. So, Karen, it would be your signature on that site. But, <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's also a very common question that we get from people in public and, and you too is 
wasn't there something here? And then we go back through our logs and then tell you when it did go before you. So I'm I'm with the vice chair here. I can't remember what I did five minutes ago half the time. Goldfish memory goes delete. I'm yeah. out. So, and so if you ever run into those, we are here and we have a database. Okay. Yeah. That's what when I remember, I mean it's still the case even now, but when I for the first year, I didn't even I couldn't even call staff to ask a question because I couldn't even formulate a question. I had, I was that, I felt that I, I, I would read the packet and understand only portions of it, but I couldn't even formulate a question when I started. Yeah, I think, that's a really, start. I think that's a really uh, interesting point because even today, you know, there will be issues that really resonate with my interests. And so those are the ones I'm gonna go into more detail on. And I think this is where, um, the kind of disciplinary diversity of the commission is super helpful because we've got, you know, folks who look at something from an ecological standpoint, folks who look at it from a legal standpoint, from a business standpoint, from just kind of a, my, my interest tends to be in kind of, kind of community, uh, community and, um, and, and um, how would I call it, urban design, you know, that, that tends to be my interest. So I think being able to have that that dialogue within the commission is super important. Um, and that way, you know, you don't have to beat yourself up if there's something that feels opaque because it's likely that somebody else is gonna be able to go into that in more detail. That's a good point. That's yeah, that's, yeah, because not none of us can know every angle of anything. Yeah. When I came on, I didn't understand anything about the financing that was behind uh, what we were doing. When we suddenly make a whole category of structures, non-conforming uses, what have we just done? And sometimes that's deliberate because we want to get rid of it. But you know, as a community, but I didn't understand all that until it was Brian Kohler that really raised those issues a lot, and I learned a lot from that. But then they learned a lot. They didn't have anybody talking about neighborhood issues at that time either. So, because <laughs> he made the comment that it was hearing things that they'd never heard said there on the planning commission. But we're more diverse than it used to be. And I hope it can stay that way because <laughs> it makes a big difference having all these different viewpoints especially when a big part of our role is hashing through all the various um, aspects of an argument so that the deciding body can actually view that mm -hmm. and have that as a background when they hear the public come up or when they make their decision. Yeah, I mean, it really helps them because I think, I think just about everybody's watching our meetings on the topics that come up before. I don't think that used to happen. Huh? I don't think it used to happen. It didn't used to happen, but the current uh, city and county commissioners, uh, I think the vast majority of them are watching our meetings mm -hmm. on the individual issues that are coming up before them. And it's, I'm getting feedback that, you know, it's been very helpful. And they'll say that at the meetings too. So it's, so that's a big part of our role is to have those discussions, even if we end up with a very strange, divided, <laughs> convoluted vote. 
it doesn't matter because they can just overrule whatever we do anyway. But it gives them a, the background that they don't otherwise have. It's, it's our meeting is their meeting, right? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Which is, and I, sometimes I think about that mm -hmm. when, uh, when I'm prepping. Yeah. It's like, you know, what sorts of issues might I bring up? Mm -hmm. Whether or not, I have no idea how I'm going to vote on this, but if I bring that issue up, at least it might get heard or seen by the next body. Well, I think that's especially why those non-unanimous votes are so right. important because they really do call attention, call the commissioner's attention to, or the elected official's attention right. to the, the process behind the outcome. Like what was the discussion that led to some dissent? The different perspectives yeah. show up in that. Sometimes the one dissenting vote changes everything. Yeah. When it gets up to the, it happened with conditional zoning. That was the one dissenting vote went to the city commission and it came back and we revamped the entire uh, code about because one project was just a bridge too far for enough of the commissioners, city commissioners. It might have been one dissenting vote, but you were a very vocal one dissenting vote. That's right. Thanks for ever painted with it. <laughs> Let me tell, I can't tell you what I know that led to me doing that because it's probably going to come up in front of us not too far in the future. I, I will also share from staff perspective the, the dissenting vote, those things also help us understand what you're looking at so that we can then share that with applicants and we're having those pre application meetings so that they're, they're responsive or at least aware of the issues that you're identifying in the community because you are, you are the community voice. Bunch of staff is we do there, we participate, but what you're saying is that response back from the community that tells us exactly where you want to go and what you value as a whole. And so that's very powerful for us to understand what we're looking at as far as this too. I just take a different angle a little bit and ask what is what do you guys consider to be the biggest challenges in preparing for the meetings? Hmm. Time. Time. Yeah, time. Time. Length of the length of the packets. Having time to do do do, do diligence. Right. To really feel confident that I know what's going on when I walk into the meeting. There's an impression out there that we have had the opportunity to go out and meet with people and talk with it. And the meeting where I I commented, where's where's East Orleans? Mm -hmm. They submitted a letter. Well, I talked to them after that. They were under the impression that we had done a lot more work. Mm -hmm. Somehow they forgot what you saw the packet the same time they saw the packet. Mm -hmm. We don't have time. Right. You know, 15 items coming up. We don't have time. So, you know, there's, there's a false impression out there among some of the groups and communities about what we're to do and how much prep and how much involvement Thank you, meeting prep. I found it very helpful when there is enough lead time um, to go when there has been a public meeting. We've gotten notice of a couple of things that are coming up where there, the applicant has a public meeting and I found attending those very, very valuable. It helps a lot. Seems like some of the involvement that commissioners are able to uh, 
take part in is almost the result of an item coming before us falling apart, not falling apart, but <laughs> becoming a big issue, getting deferred. You know, we send it back and say, these are the issues, work them out, go talk to the community. And then in that, in that process, you know, maybe a commissioner or two will actually go to the, the, the meeting. Um, and so like ones that come up like that one, if we approve it and it just moves on, then yeah, like we've had no, almost no involvement in it. Uh, and so I just, that is, I don't know if there's a way to fix it, but it's, it seems like the, the problem with it is that our, the time we can really get in, go sit with the, with the stakeholders and with the applicant is if, if the applicants or if the applications come to us and we've like, you know, picked it apart and said, these are all problems, you know, you need to fix this. And that doesn't seem like a great way to actually like start getting involved in a, in a process and talking with the neighborhood. I just don't know a better way to do it. I don't know if there is because we, we get the packet a week ahead of time. Yeah. And we, if we, we, re, we are reacting to what's presented to us. We're not part of the process that the planners um, are involved in for weeks and months ahead of time. You know, sometimes that discussion, while well, it's not best, is usually the best to be had at your meeting because then that way you all hear the same information at the same time and you have that all in the deliberation processes equally together as part of that. That is part of the trick with the ex parte communication is that one mm -hmm. of you has information the other doesn't that could change the way that you perceive the issues. So there is a little bit about it needs to be at your meeting so that all of you participating have identical information and communication as part of that. Staff will always advocate for people to submit written communication to your packet for exactly that reason because that way you all have it at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it, it is a little bit of a, of a double-edged sword there. You know, if we could put the packet out earlier, but that will elongate the calendars. People have to wait before they even come to you to have the item in there. So it's another seven, 14 days of time to go into that. So it's, there's a balancing act of how fast can we get something up to you versus how much time can we then give everybody to react, respond to it. So it's, you know. Seven to 14 days is one thing. I mean, just, just a two or three days, it make a difference. And yes, some of those words that you get applicants that are, you know, they're rushing in the door, you know, five minutes before it comes, you know, the deadline comes due, and then we're, we're processing that at full speed to get it out. And but that happens. Get, yeah, we might not get the response back from them until five minutes before we're getting ready to <laughs> write the report and go through the iteration. So there's yeah. there's a lot of things along the way where timing doesn't always stick out. But you know, ex, ex parte communication is something that we'll talk about later too. But yeah. it's, a, it's a key consideration. I do have to say. It's especially helpful when we get those uh, notices from Denny about like, here's what's coming up, even if it's not the packet. Yeah. It gives us, gives me a chance to kind of put my mind in the right place. So what kind of meeting is it going to be? Um, how, what kind of preparation should I expect to, to take on? Yeah, or even, gee, I'm going by that property yeah. you know, oh. on Thursday. You know, I'll take a stop and take a look. Oh, here comes the one that's going to be a four-hour meeting or, yeah. because of what what the particular right. issue exactly. is exactly you know the statute does does ask us to put your agenda for your next meeting out in the newspaper 20 days in advance so that's what Denny is sending is that, that yeah. newspaper yeah, bit great. that goes out so it, it is out there mm -hmm. for that communication series it's also great when Denny sends out that last minute hey there was communication as yes uh, yes. 10 o'clock Monday morning surprise and and it right. reminds me to go back and look for it because usually I've read the packet earlier mm -hmm. and so 
yeah. a couple of times, but usually not often. I'll get it to me. It's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't see that part yet. Mm -hmm. And it's usually important. It's yeah, I always try to take a last minute look at it at least. Uh -huh. And he so. always puts that out to your entire mailing list. That goes out to seven hundred people when it goes out, and I kind of do it. So every time that Diddy does something like that, seven hundred people no. get an email. <laughs> probably in a lot of people's spam folders. I have to go look for them sometimes. <laughs> and talking about the meeting prep, I think one of the big barriers for, you know, why doesn't everybody want to serve on the planning commission? It's exactly yeah, it's that. right. How that's a yeah. short one. I that's know that's a three hundred like to do that, right? <laughs> so we, we tend to skew towards attorneys and PhDs who are not daunted by reading yeah. something like that in a short and absorbing it in a short period of time. And I think it, it also moves us away from people who would be fabulous voices here, but they, and I, I don't mean literacy in a, like you are, or you aren't, like there's a whole spectrum of literacy and not everybody's comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the strengths that I've brought here is what little, you know, blue collar building things, kinds of experiences <clears throat> that I've had that we don't normally get here because the people who have deep experience with that are, are not gonna make it past what we, what they think we're expecting them for the preparation. Yep. I'm not, I don't think this necessarily fits in uh, this particular question, but it comes back to, uh, I think this maybe is something that Jim said earlier about, I can't remember who it was, who said, you know, the public's perception of our role is super important. I think if there were one thing that I could change, it would be like civic education about local government, because it, you know, and, Sorry, this is kind of a macro issue, but you know, grow, growing up, we learned civics usually in a national context and almost never in a state and local context. Yeah. And how accessible local government is to every individual if they feel empowered to just speak up. I think a lot of people in the community feel that they don't have the power or nobody's going to listen to them or they don't know where to go. And just knowing that it's, it can be really easy. And most people in government are going to at least respond to them or listen to them. It's something that, that's also kind of a well-kept secret. The first thing people generally hear is some kind of complaint. Oh, this is really hard. This is really complicated. Morris has a reputation for da 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 da. And that's the first thing they hear, and they just believe it from here on, from that point on, yeah. without really understanding that it might not be yeah. what they their initial initial blush with the issue is. I think there was one. There may have been more, but I remember one meeting where I think some students, some high school students, came to the meeting, mm -hmm. and it was part of a part of a class project they were doing. So they had to sit through the whole thing, and I remember taking notes. I remember thinking like that. Is a great way to try to like be getting, you know, children, yeah, uh, young adults to like start thinking this way. Like this is something. I mean, it, that's probably a memory they'll think of later in life. And be like, I, you know, I, I've seen how this works on the ground in person. That I, yeah, I agree. It's for so many. No idea. Maybe Luke can come up with a cartoon character that goes through the process just like the the old. Uh, I think that's her. I think I am on his way to, uh, to making uh, making all of this more yeah. approachable. <laughs> That's right. Well, I don't know what happened to Doggo Mortensen though. <laughs> one does not simply change one's avatar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I know a 
I'm sure Jeff would say this, but no matter how hard the city tries to get information out there and to set up meetings, you get three, four, five people show up. Yeah, that's true. It, I don't know. There's no people have been struggling with that forever. How do you get people interested to come? Listen, and unless it's some hot button issue yeah. that gets played up in social media, you don't get a lot of input. One thing I tell the planners all the time is you don't do public input to people, you do public input for people. And you can't compel someone to give you input. They're either mm. going to give it to you if they want or they're not going to engage with you at all. So you got to meet them where they're at, which is either is it, is it going to be mad or they're going to be happy. Are they just inquisitive or do they have just no idea what they're talking about? And so part of what we do, and, and I'll tell on myself here, is when I was a planning manager, you didn't have acronyms in your packet because we wrote more packets for people that were not you. Because most of the time, it's not going to be read by you. It's going to be read by people who don't speak the planning language, who don't understand the details and conversations we have about it. So the rule that I had with staff when I was doing staff reports was we will not do acronyms, period. ST dot at the end of the street name. Most people may not know that is street. They may miscompound that. SQFT may not be what somebody thinks in their mind. We're going to say square feet. So we try to have conversations about writing things in ways that people can engage with you, engage with the body. But the other part of it is, is when, when we're doing the neighborhood plans, those things is we're going to go out and do where they're at. Because you can't compel someone to come to you to give public input, you're going to have to go to them to try and engage. Yeah. So that's some of the things that we're doing on our side of the shop to try to do it. But same same thing is we can have a public meeting and no one can show up, and it's we can do everything in the world, and we can't compel someone to take the time to come to us. I, you know, just this unnamed board, the city board, let's put try to solicit in input various organizations they sent out an email to 200 local um, organizations hardly anybody responded and it was about a big it's about a real issue for each of these organizations but they people just don't respond yeah but those few people that do that show up regularly at our meetings and show up regularly yeah. everybody else's meetings they have an outsized role in public policy just because they're they're there and they speak to their point. And even if they weren't, they'd already be in our heads because we're not doing it. <laughs> uh, and I think that that's really valuable for those few people who's like who figured that out. Yeah, the one who's who's public. I mean, some written comments. You start to read it and you hear their voice. Right, uh, exactly. Yes. You read it just the way they would speak it. Yeah. So it's. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, there was one thing I wanted to get back to because uh, Charlie, you mentioned sort of we have these huge packets and some of it you feel might be like extraneous sort of maybe surplus information. And I, I wanted to like maybe address that and see if get a confirmation. But my thought is these, there are thick packets. There's a lot in there. Um, when we though take it up on hearing and then when we, you know, either, well, I guess move to approve or uh, you know, move to deny it, and we base it on the staff report. And this is probably going back to my background and training. I think that's that's our way of saying that, like the the reasons that we're doing this for are all laid out in that staff report. 
So like if there's ever an issue later on down the road that like we didn't consider, you know, factors we should have, the staff goes through all this stuff in detail. And I've thought that was because then it's all there. You know, we may disagree with some stuff and we'll talk about it. You know, I don't think that's right or whatever, but we have the rock to like base our decisions on because staff has like, you know, mm. turned every stone and mm -hmm. run everything to ground. Um, and that's what I, that's the reason I think that's the case. Is that so? It is. And a lot of it is with those, it's not just to give you the body, just see what you need to approve and do, but we also write it for the planner 20 years on from us after we've done this is why did they make this decision? How did this get grounded in code? I can't tell you how many times we will get a, we will get an applicant come in and we'll have to go back to a case file from the seventies and we'll pull that staff report to understand why the parking lot got built the way it did. So it's a little bit about, that and kind of showing your work, if you will. Yeah. But it's also yeah. our opportunity to educate and tell the story to people who are familiar with the process. Like, what is this golden factor doing? What, why is this being weighed up in here? Why does the community require street design? You know, just we do want to run it to ground, run out all the issues for you as best we can. The other side of that point, though, is we want to be efficient because mm -hmm. if you think about it right now, in the queue with the planning staff at the moment, it's over about 50 applications that are in process today. And we've got a staff of about 10 or 12 that are really putting eyes on those things at the moment. So we got to be efficient with their time, but they got to make sure that you have all the information. The governing body has all the information. So it's a yeah. balance that quite a bit. I mean, there, yeah, we have, we have things that we're supposed to consider by law. And you watch our meetings, we don't talk about every one of those factors. And I, I always take comfort in the fact that it's in the staff report. The staff has evaluated it. When we make a motion, it's going to be based on you know, the findings of the staff report. And so even if we haven't talked about this part of the golden factors, it's covered. I, so that's maybe, that, that might sound lazy, but I, I that's more of a thank you. There's another reason. <laughs> there's a reason for planners, and there's a reason legally that they have all that there too, because if any of the decisions ultimately made by the city commission on a planning issue go to court, the courts usually look at professional staff recommendation, planning commission recommendation, and then the city commission, just mm -hmm. as an example. So it's like a triad yeah. they look at and they're gonna, and really what part of this is building the record. This, yeah. is, this is the foundation that these decisions are made on so that a court has something to refer back to. Yeah, here's the, here's the base level understanding of everybody. And that's what, Jeff, you know, the staff's providing us when they attach, you know, when our packets get so huge because we got three items for the same piece of land yeah. and they're repeating everything three times in our packet. It's because of that each one of those individual items could be a separate challenge down the road. So it's all there contained. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think from our perspective, when you're looking at it and you read something, it's like, I don't see the, rel the, the relation. It may not jump out at you as a commissioner. I don't, you know, I don't think that's, I would say, don't be too worried about that, you know, as a newish commissioner. To I wasn't. Okay, good. <laughs> good. I think we're at the end of our discussion, but is, is there anything anybody else wanted to bring up before we have our break? So onward to discussion topic number two. Uh, so 
Commissioner Carpenter is going to be the discussion leader for this point, given his uh, years on this commission and his experience with various other bodies um, in city government. It's gonna take us through um, an overview of types of applications and this mysterious BZA um, <laughs> that also deals with zoning issues that I know personally nothing about. Well, yeah. this is the interesting part to me. This is the nuts and bolts mm -hmm. of what lets us do what we do and how we get into the governmental structure because the planning commission is one of those creatures of state statute the requirement. Um, unlike just only a couple other boards and commissions in the city and county that are required by state statute. And we're gonna talk about two of them here today, planning commission and the board of zoning appeals. So I'm looking forward to this and um, I hope everyone will have a better idea of where we fit into it and into the legal process and what authorities we have and don't have. Um, so I guess we'll turn over to Jeff and Becky. The first point is just that big issue. Are, is it legislative? Is it quasi-judicial? <laughs> when can we talk to each other and when can't we talk to each other? So. <laughs> And I, you know, Jeff's going to um, talk about that. Thank you. Jeff's going to uh, talk about that point specifically. But before we start that, I just wanted to kind of bring your attention to reference materials that are in the packet. Um, one of them is on page 39 is a list of the types of applications. And before that, um, there's a, a, a table that talks about notice requirements. You'll also find some information about the acronyms and what those mean. Um, and uh, just lots of different types of uh, those materials that are available for you. And so um, this uh, packet will live digitally. Um, right now it's connected to our iCompass agenda, uh, but we will also post it on the Planning Commission um, main page. So you'll always be able to find that as reference later when you need to. I mean, we are gonna include the slides that of, of Luke's presentation and of the presentation that Catherine's gonna give to us here in a bit. So you'll have those slides too. Um, so with the types of applications, I think, you know, Luke did a great job before talking about um, some of these already. So um, I don't want to use up a lot of your time here um, and take away from the great discussion that's been happening. Um, just uh, wanted to mention that this table here really shows all of the different types of applications that um, come through the planning office. Some of them you see, some of those non-administrative types come to you. Um, and then there's also a lot of, uh, on the other side are all the administrative applications that staff is, is reviewing um, uh, on their side. And some of them are two-step applications. So for example, the preliminary development plan would come to the planning commission. The second step of that is the final development plan. That would be an administrative review. Likewise, the preliminary plat comes to the planning commission for approval. And then the second step of that uh, major subdivision process is the final plat that is reviewed administratively. Um, likewise, uh, you see that there are two different types of site plan processes that process these. The first one, uh, if it's a county site plan, that will still, for the most part, go to the Board of County Commissioners for their review and approval. Um, whereas our city site plans, are reviewed administratively unless there is uh, an appeal on that on the planning director termination, then that's when it would go into city commission for, for their review.
quite a quite a list. I can't actually get them all on screen, so they're very readable here. But there's there's a number of things to kind of go through. Um, give you an idea of, of the number of applications that the planning division actually works. They work close to 35 different application types across three different zoning codes. So um, I think they've got upwards of about 1,100 pages of code that they have to kind of learn and master and go through and have those conversations. So it's um, I can remember Sheila telling me when I started here, she goes, it's going to take you two years to understand all the codes you're going to need. <laughs> and she wasn't kidding. It took about two years to try figured out what we're talking about. So there's a lot of different application types going. But really your applications kind of fall in one of two buckets, quite truthfully. You either have what's called <laughs> legislative action or a quasi-judicial action. And the, the really solid rule of thumb of it is legislative action is something that you would do, you know, in the future that changes the existing conditions to everybody. So a text amendment, a comprehensive plan amendment, those are legislative items in nature. The moment you apply an action to a specific application, property, or development is when it switches to a quasi-judicial application. And your role and function is kind of what we talked about previously. Is going to, that packet is building your base foundation for the cases going up. And so the quasi-judicial actions you look at and effectively, if Randy was here, he'd say it far more eloquently, you look at it a little bit like courtroom and like a lawyer and a judge. You're going to make a determination on that case on the factors that are eligible and contingent to that item today. When you're doing a legislative discussion, you can go very far afield. So one of the things we were talking about earlier is like when, when to rein you in on those kind of things there. Legislative, you can have a very wide scope, quite briefly. You can talk about a, a very strong multitude of things. When you start to rein in and when that quasi-judicial comes in, you need to be talking about the codes in relation to the application before you and in that scope. So that's that's when that rain comes in. I think somebody alluded to it is you know there's been a little bit of a difference between my predecessor and me on where we where I will rein in and those kind of things there. Um, I'm a little more inclined to let you all continue those discussions because I think that those discussions have always given fruitful thought and, and good for decision making. But if you do have to step out of those bounds, I will have to you know at a point of order pull you back a little bit once in a while. But y'all are very good about it. I don't have to do it very frequently. I think you, you know where you're at in those decision-making processes. So this is part of your packet. You can see a little bit of the questions there about procedural due process and also about ex parte communication. So it kind of alludes back to that. If somebody poses a question to staff, we think it's it's substantive and pertinent for all of you to have, we will respond to the body as a whole so that you all have that. So I know we spend a little bit of time talking about it. So I just wanted to, does anybody have any questions about the differentials in your roles with these kind of items? One question, it, it, you didn't specifically mention it, but when we do, when we're engaging in like quasi-judicial uh, acts, do those, any of those have any precedential value for like subsequent applications that come in front of us? Do we have to follow, do we have to, basically do a similar, follow the same reasoning we did on, on one we did last month for a completely different application that may have the same uh, you know, concerns. Yes and no. There is the expectation that you would probably, if, if the factors were identical to the other one, you would give it the same motion that you gave the previous one if all the factors were equal and the same because the factors are determined if they're not a change. But as we all know, each case is unique. Each case has different characteristics about it. So you can weigh those characteristics into golden and say how it is influencing that decision making. 
But in a quasi-judicial setting, it goes to, you would typically have a lineage of, you know, these are the factors involved here. There's an expectation of the case that you, the commission would carry this forward unless there has been a large departure, a text amendment, a conference plan amendment that would sway or change that opinion. So there are those breakpoints in conversations, things that we would have done under 2020, we probably don't do under 2040. That's a, that's a breaking moment. If there's a text amendment change, that's a moment there too. But there is an expectation in some by applicants and by others that if all the factors are the same, mm -hmm. then the process should render an identical outcome. That's when having a good memory would be helpful. <laughs> right. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's why on one particular application, I asked if they, I asked in the meeting of their attorney if they wanted us to apply plan 24. Okay. And when they said yes, I was dead. <laughs> so, so, you know, the kind of, the, it's a hard thing to do. So if you, out of thin air, I'll just make up something real quick. If you have a CS zoning in one part of town and a CS zoning in another part of town, you have to look at the code factor, what it says about that base zoning district, that it cannot occur unless there's already CS zoning there and it's meeting the criteria of squaring off the district. In one district, it may already be squared off. So in addition to it would actually be the opposite of what the code is asking, where in the other instance, it may be squaring it off in a way that is a positive outcome. Hmm. So staff will usually relay that into conversations, but in your factors is they're not the same. And the cases are a little different in that context. So you would likely render a different decision. The other part of it is you'd have to look at Golden and look at that context of the neighborhood, look at what the area plans are there and all of the factors that fed into those conversations. Okay. Yeah, I think an excellent example of that was the back and forth with various sidewalk issues because yeah. they're all in a different context where there's sidewalks there beforehand, or is this coming out of the blue and there's nothing else around it? Those sorts of, I've seen us go back and forth mm -hmm. in different boats. The sidewalks are a great discussion mm -hmm. about the Board of Zoning Appeals and how they process and work because it's one of the rare instances where you sit in a full and whole quasi-judicial fashion. And that is the, the identical realm where the board zoning appeal sits every day, all day. Mm. So I'm always one to go with a natural segue. If it's appropriate, I can't jump to the and walk through the board zoning appeals and that whole process that they do. Okay. Well, so as Jeff mentioned, what is the difference between BZA variance and a PC variance? So we could go way down into the weeds. I have a 40 minute presentation for training the Board of Zoning Appeals, but we're not going to do <laughs> get to the heart of what is the difference and why is one going to the PC and one going to the Board of Zoning Appeals. Okay. So these um, are where your authorities reside. For the Planning Commission, it's in 2014-01 and specific to variances is in 2813. Take note of the sections because they're very different. For the Board of Zoning Appeals, um, it's 2014-02 where the authority resides, but the variances are located in 2013-09. And so 813 is part of the subdivision regulations, and 1309 is part of our applications and process procedures. So the PC or the Planning Commission is acting basically with responsibility for long-range plans, future development. And that comes down to land actions. Whereas the Board of Zoning Appeals is acting with responsibility to alleviate potential loss of rights um, 
or specific contextual instances for codes that are already on the books. So these are where codes have already been on the books and something is coming up during a specific development activity. Um, and development activities would be like site planning, special use permits, um, building permits, sign permits. So that, that's the big difference is we're talking about land actions and then after land actions come your specific applications for development activity. And this is just a good reminder for what is your overall authority? What is the difference between commissions and boards? Um, the city commission is your legislative authority. The planning commission is the uh, commission that is going to propose new code, uh, you know, weigh the long range plans, whether or not they need to be modified. So you're guiding that future development and making the recommendation to the city commission. The Board of Zoning Appeals is basically coming after those facts. They are applying the code to specific instances and contexts. One thing I'll note here, we're, we're talking about it in terms of the city commission here because the land development code <laughs> we deal with. And Catherine is the head of the city Board of Zoning Appeals. But this really could transition directly yes. over to the county code. But it's, <laughs> it's the same stuff all applies because it's governed by state statute. Yes, and the Board of Zoning Appeals, as Commissioner Carpenter mentioned, is also regulated by state statute. We have to have a Board of Zoning Appeals, just like we have to have a planning commission, because we have to have a body that can alleviate a property owner's right if they are losing rights based on codes. Um, so we have to have that entity that can hear those items, provide a method for it. And so what is a variance? So a PC variance is going to be an item that's gonna vary from the specific design standards. And so that's um, article eight, um, and that's gonna be anything in the subdivision regulations. And it's gonna happen um, during, as I mentioned, land actions. Examples of that would be lot areas, uh, lot depth, block depth, if you're doing a whole subdivision. So those are things that come about during the process of creating new pieces of land for development. And then the BZA variance is going to be something that would vary from specific zoning standards. And so each zoning district has its own set of requirements for setbacks and areas and that type of thing. That's where the BZA is going to come into play. After that land has been, the boundaries have been set aside by whatever land action and it's in a zoning district, then those regulations come into play for the zoning standards. And so before we get into the criteria, there's one um, really overarching um, criteria point, and that's a necessary hardship. And that is what you have to kind of weigh whether or not it meets that definition of a necessary hardship, whether you're in the BZA looking at a BZA variance or you're on PC looking at a PC variance. That unnecessary hardship is in both sets of criteria. And the definition is in Article 17. It's very specific. It talks about, you know, unnecessary hardship being where loss of rights is coming about, or it is just so difficult to do something in form with the regulations that it is constituting a hardship that would just be unreasonable. And it does specifically mention that financial loss or the loss of potential financial advantage does not constitute unnecessary hardship. That's this, interesting. Yeah, this is one of the... Um, trickiest criteria in the items of discussion for both the PC and the Board of Zoning Appeals. And I have a couple of examples because it comes down to 
you know, what is a hardship? There are lots of things that could be considered hardship, particularly for the applicants. Um, and what is an unnecessary hardship? So here's a couple of just random examples. For let's say the planning commission, let's say you're seeing a variance for lot width, and they want to vary from the required width a lot during a minor subdivision or a planning process. And the reasoning is if they vary from a little bit here, maybe on one lot, they could potentially get four lots out of the process instead of three lots. The greenfield development, it may be a hardship for them, but is it really an unnecessary hardship? Is that a design choice? Is that a loss of financial advantage that really can't be considered? So they can still develop the property with three lots as opposed to four lots. They're still meeting all the requirements of the code. So does it really rise to the level of a necessary hardship? And you have to look at that definition and say, is this really a design choice or is this really unfeasible for them to meet the code? Why, why does it matter? It matters because variances are set up not to be a means for using design options or preferences to get around regulations in the code. Variances are set up for alleviating hardship. So if you were unable to utilize your property for whatever reason, an old zoning regulation or an old, um, maybe it was platted 40 years ago and the regulations were different and you don't have enough lot width, that could be considered an unnecessary hardship because the codes have changed over time. Someone else with a similar lot could do that where you can't. That's where variances come into play. And so they're equalizing the rights not giving someone an extra right. So if you're just saying, yeah, we're going to give you a variance so you can do four lots here instead of three, that's really giving someone an extra right that someone else with this property might not have. The, the other thing to kind of note, and I, I might be feeling Catherine's thunder on this one, is Board of Zoning Appeals under state statute is not empowered to grant a right to somebody that is perhaps given to them by the base district. Yeah. So a very common example of this is say somebody's going to RS5, but they want to open a coffee shop. The Board of Zoning Appeals cannot give them the right to open a coffee shop. Mm. That's a legislative function that has to occur by the city commission. Mm. So that the balancing act that the board has to go through is, is this equal to all? If the response is no, then there has to be the criteria involved to equalize that. Ability. Yeah, we'll talk about the criteria in the next mm. slide. So I was, I was going to give the an opposite example where it may rise to the level of a necessary hardship. Say you're seeing a lot variance that for width, again, just for the width, and it's a situation where someone's doing a minor subdivision, and back in the day, it's still two lots. They were permitted to build their structure <coughs> 10 feet over the lot line, but underneath, it's jointly owned underneath the lot line, it's still two platted lots. Now they want to split their property and it's still two platted lots. Back when they constructed the house, it was probably permissible for them to build over a lot line or a parcel line. Now, maybe that doesn't apply. And so for them to split the lot off, they maybe have to shave 10 feet off the lot width so that they still have a viable lot and they don't have to tear down their house to bring it into compliance. That's an instance where the code factors or the zoning factors for the history of the property maybe justify um, that it does rise to the level of a necessary hardship. And so the remedy for bringing it into conformance is so unreasonable that maybe the code does need to have a, very, a variance to 
uh, allow them to split their property because it's already two platted lots. That's an example, just kind of a random example. Similar things for the Board of Zoning Appeals. Um, we have these discussions at every Board of Zoning Appeals meeting. Um, and you might get a request for a setback, um, a setback reduction, where maybe someone's particular business plan, they need a set amount of expansion to their building and it's gonna encroach on the, on the setback. So they're asking for a variance. Well, maybe that doesn't necessarily rise to an unnecessary hardship because you know, maybe they could reduce the size of their expansion. There are ways for them to be compliant with the code. Their business plan maybe doesn't fit there. Maybe that's telling them this property is not maybe the ideal property for what their business plan is. It's not the code's fault. Maybe it's their design choice. Whereas um, maybe where it is justified or an unnecessary hardship to encroach on a setback is that maybe back in the old code, where we measured setbacks a little differently, the old code would have measured it from the center of the street line to the front. Now we measure it from the edge of the right-of-way to the front. Back when we measured it from the center of the street line, they actually had enough setback. Um, now, because it's measured from the edge of the right-of-way, maybe their, their uh, porch would encroach by a couple feet. That's a case where it might be an unnecessary hardship because potentially part of their buildable area was taken away from them with the change of the new code. And so that is an instance where it does rise to the level of a necessary hardship. Catherine, yeah. Can you, just to put it in context, I, yeah. I never really understood. I mean, before businesses could have like the sort of like LED <clears throat> signs and stuff, that those were variances that had to go to the BZA, right? From sign code work bills, yeah. Okay, okay. So like, okay. So that wasn't a BZA thing? Or so that's the other thing about the Board of Zoning Appeals. They are actually a two-role board. Okay. It's the same group of individuals, but they actually function as two different boards. They are the Building Code Board, or the, the Board of Zoning Appeals and the Sign Code Board of Appeals. So they actually have to gavel in and out. If we have items of multiple types, they would have to gavel out as the BZA and gavel in as the Sign Code Board. And so just for signs. Just, just for signs. <laughs> they have their own. Which, which is comparable to <laughs> us. Becoming the airport. Oh yeah, okay. Mm. <laughs> but it's the same. Um, it's the same process. Um, the Board of Zoning Appeals has actually five criteria, which talk about the sign code. Board of Appeals is similar to the Planning Commission, where there's only three criteria that they have to meet, but similar. And so, talking about those criteria, um, there are in your and um, in the code section, it actually spells out the three criteria that you have to weigh every ask against, and it must meet all three of those criteria, not one or two. And we have to explain that to individuals when they're submitting, you know, really analyze your request, put it in writing so that we can see, you know, where you're coming from. And it helps the boards when they're discussing the item to have the reasoning and the hardships listed out. So you guys can discuss that, but it has to meet all three. Um, the first one uh, for the PC is that unnecessary hardship requirements. And then the second and third, you know, is it still in harmony with the purpose of the regulation? And then here for planning commission, you know, that's where you're looking at, you know, is this really meeting, still meeting our intent for future development? You know, does it meet the zoning, what we want in the zoning district? Does it conform with the comprehensive plan? If it still does all of those things, then maybe the variance is, is warranted and that's fine. 
and then the health and safety and welfare are still protected. So you're not granting variances for anything that would damage um, any existing neighboring property owners or the overall public, um, which there are some that can do that. That's usually not a usually big issue. We don't get a lot of variance requests that could potentially. Those three criteria apply to any, we should apply that to any variance request. Yes, all three. You have to meet all three of those criteria. Any variance request of any kind that yeah. come before the plan. Correct, yeah. And staff will outline all of those in, in your staff reports. We list all of those criteria and we try to give you facts <clears throat> and then you guys can discuss. You know. Your comments and the yeah. applicant's comments. Yeah, absolutely. And so the Board of Zoning Appeals has five criteria and they also hear um, floodplain variances. And in addition to the five for floodplains, there's another 12 technical elements that they have to meet as well, not just the five. So, but these are the five for the Board of Zoning Appeals. Again, they have to meet all five. And it does specifically say um, in the Board of Zoning Appeals, you know, that these criteria cannot be caused by the applicant, which really hones in on that. This cannot be a design choice. This cannot be just a preference for you. This, you really need to meet these criteria for um, the board to grant variance. And so similar, again, we have uniqueness and that plays into specific contexts for each site. Again, mentioning like, was it under an old zoning regulation? Were there older setbacks when it was built? Um, that's what uniqueness is gonna cover. You know, no adverse effects to any adjacent property owners. Again, the unnecessary hardship, health, safety, and then in spirit and intent of the code. And that is the gist of the difference between variances and BCA. So I stand for questions or clarify or what about uh, the appeal process for each of those? Isn't it different? Yes, and so the appeal process for the Board of Zoning Appeals is straight to district court. So um, if somebody were to appeal the decision at the Board of Zoning Appeals, they go straight to district court. Um, PC appeals go to the city commission, so. And when we were doing the uh, conditional use permit work for solar, mm -hmm. and something that we only learned during that time was that uh, for a conditional use permit, any variance from that had to go to the BZA. It did not go for the to Solar County. Is that, County. that right? Yeah, in, the course for those can be set in different ways. So it, when you're talking about exiting the Planning Commission, if the governing body wants to kick something over into the Board of Zoning Appeals, they can they can route it that way to have it kind of go through a more a political route. Is usually the term that gets used. That. So that that is an option, possibility. A lot of communities will do. Um, their architectural review boards will not go to their city commissions or their city councils. It'll get routed directly to the courts because then it is guaranteed to not be an arbitrary and capricious ruling at a different level. So it's it's all in how you set those things. Under state statute, both the city and the county boards and zoning appeals would get routed into the courts because of the way the statute writes and sets. But because your action and the way that you're constituted is not the same as the board of zoning appeals, your routes can be a little bit waffled and vary depending on your subdivision regulations. But you yell at Jeff here because he didn't tell me there was potential solar issue getting to Port County. <laughs> oh, County. County. <laughs> uh, Catherine's like, what? No. Yeah, no. that's exactly what I'm like. That would be awful. <laughs> the one thing I will say is, and I 
Catherine did an exceptional job on, on vetting out some very hard things here. But when uh, you know when we talk about those things at the at the board of zoning appeals with you all is two of the three doesn't rise to meet the bar set by the requirement. It is a three of three. And it, it, it's an intentionally hard bar to rise to because we want to have those conversations about does it truly meet the factors involved here? What I would do is in those questions when I was working with the Board of Zoning Appeals with me, if you look at it and go, we're seeing the same thing over and over and over and over. So is there a fault with the Board of Zoning Appeals or is there a fault with what the board is being asked to look at? And so what I always refer to as the Board of Zoning Appeals is the canary in the coal mine because if they're seeing a variance upon a variance upon a variance, the fault's not with the board, the fault is with the code. So has there been a changing condition in the environment that the board is now seeing these and we need to address it somewhere else? So when, when you all are seeing those different variances pop up, that's the question staff is asking is, what's the changing condition in the environment that is requiring variances so frequently? And are we out of step with yeah. reality? So that's kind of how we use that measuring stick of what we're seeing is a variance and yeah. seeing what's really happening. I think that would apply to the, a lot of the sidewalk discussions we've right. been having. So the PC was seeing and still are seeing a lot of sidewalk Experiences where that triggered staff to go back and talk with engineering and try to figure out if our process and our codes are actually in line with what is happening out in the real world where sidewalks don't exist. No. As, as part of the redoing of the land development code that's coming up, would in, in looking at that overall code, would that potentially shift some issues from planning commission to the BZA? Means that it, would that be part of the review? It could. It could also shift it to an administrative process where it's administratively appealed and, and works through the channel similar to what a site plan would do. So, you know, with certain things like rezonings, conditional uses, special uses, and those things, there's a very prescribed board of zoning appeal route that we have to follow. But for some division regulations and things, the state's statute's not as strict in some of those respects. So you can kind of meet the community's expectation in the crafting of those subdivision regulations. So that's a little bit more area to maneuver in there versus what the board zoning appeal is. So it could be administrative, it could be to the planning commission, it could be, you know, a different route. This kind of give you an example of this, we went back through all the iterations of the subdivision regulations that the city's had. And at one point, the city commission was the deciding factor on the variances. And then it became and then it became a different one. Then it came back to the planning commission. So it's moved around quite a lot over the years. Nobody wants it. <laughs> That's right. That's so. Are there areas of overlap between BCA and Yes. Kind of. So an example that you had recently, maybe a couple months ago, there was a rezoning and a preliminary and final plat that came before you for a property on the west side of Iowa. Because of its configuration and because it was having a joint shared access point, for them to make it work, and it really kind of made sense, it was an existing condition. You guys had a lot of discussion about this one, actually. So. They wanted to, so how um, setbacks are designed is based on front lot line. And the way their lot was configured made a little more sense to rotate what would typically be a front lot line to a side and rear lot line. And they could provide setbacks for that. 
variant, but that is not necessarily a PC variant. And so how we handled that during that process was it went to the Board of Zoning Appeals prior to you getting the preliminary plat, and they do a review to see if it meets the criteria and would approve conditionally based on whether or not the minor subdivision or the preliminary plat was approved. So then when you see the item, you see that it's already been to the Board of Zoning Appeals. They've made a determination approved conditionally based on your determination of the preliminary plat. And so that's an instance where it's still a land action. There's a land action happening, but the Board of Zoning Appeals was weighing in on the variance because the resulting zoning would have impacted the setback requirements for that particular lot after the land action takes place. So that's an instance where there's a little bit of overlap different, um, you're seeing different pieces of it, but you're overlapping in the overall process. That's also a good moment. We, we talked earlier about we don't send things due to not code compliant. Yeah. And then the step has to occur where BZA gives that conditional approval to make it code compliant mm -hmm. so that your action is possible at that next step. Mm -hmm. So they can't come after you because you can't approve it because it's not code compliant. So we sequence those steps to make sure that when it lands for your consideration, you're not approving something without a balance. Yep, because again, that unnecessary hardship, it would be very hard for you to all to approve. I mean, I don't know how staff would even justify it in the staff report. If like Greenfield development where they're coming at it fresh, we need to reduce a lot requirements or a lot width or a lot if, if there's no development there currently. So it's that, again, that level of is it a necessary hardship. And there was a lot of discussion with the BCA about that particular one. And it was kind of a split decision, but there was good talking points on both sides of it. And then it came to you after that. So. Your, your question, Commissioner, you, you don't overlap with the Board of Zoning Appeals by design. Yeah. Anyways, because the, if they were going to have a conversation about use, you would definitely be in the conversation because you would recommend the rezoning upwards or have that conversation. The board cannot have that or even entertain that conversation by statute. So you really are siloed by design. And the only moment that you would have that overlap is the sequencing of one coming before the other so that you have the action. Have an overlap in Charlie. He serves on both. <laughs> that comes into those code sections too. And she saw your authority for your PC variances is in eight, which is the subdivision regulations, not in six or five. So Are there any, those of you with experience with the Board of Zoning Appeals, are, are there any types of variances that come before the Board of Zoning Appeals that you think should be up at the PC level just because of the nature of the variance? Or by, I mean, I know we've talked about things that maybe are more in line with the Board of Zoning Appeals dealing with. Is there also, are there also things that may be more in line the, the six years I did it, the only thing I've seen is what's already been referenced. If there are repeats that rise to the level, it should probably become a text amendment, and then it would have to flip over to the planning commission. And that's Catherine's job is to she identifies those coming up, and she flags for the TA and we bring it to you. But before we go on, we've got well. There's Tanya. <laughs> we got Tanya, Carl, and Ben, and we have Charlie, who all, so I was just wondering if there are any uh, peculiarities about the county BZA that we should be aware of. 
and it's silent. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a quick comment. Um, when you were just talking about duties, um, if there are any duties that maybe are better at the Planning Commission than at BZA or vice versa or flip that around, um, we actually have um, had quite a bit of discussion about some of these home-based businesses that have been going through the conditional use permit process through the Planning Commission. And I do think, um, as I, I know you guys are getting a lot of those, as uh, home-based business is getting just big enough that it's um, not quite meeting the standards of a home-based business, I think that what we would like to do in the future is move some of that a little bit more administrative and possibly have um, those actually lift some weight off of the planning commission schedules and process some of those through BZA. Um, so I think that's a goal when we're working on the home-based business regulations for some of that really low impact stuff, not to have to burden your guys's agenda because I know they're long nights and it's a lot of information. Um, that's the only thing that I can identify. Um, BZA is a lot of setback variances um, when people can't meet setbacks, uh, side yard setbacks or roadside setbacks. Um, they do deal a lot more with the building code um, aspect, like if building permits have, if, if, a, if a structure that's gone up without a permit needs a setback variance or those type of things. Flatlanders Pizza is an example of one that, that, conditional, that had a conditional use permit to operate a small scale pizza um, prep business out in the county. It also had to go through BZA as well. Um, and uh, they, there were no building permits for several of the buildings that had gone up um, in the recently. So they deal a lot more with um, whether it's been permitted, those type of things. But um, I think it's working well and um, we appreciate both boards. So thank you. Tanya, who's, who's the county representative or who's running the county BZA? Is it you, Carl? Ben, who, which one is it? Uh, mostly Carl. Carl's doing, um, he actually presents the items, planning items, and then um, all of our staff is available at every um, every BZA meeting, just in case questions pop up or, um, mm -hmm. you know, we need to cover things. Um, and a lot of times Tina Rakes, the building code official, is also in those meetings to cover some building code items. Um, so it's pretty much an all um, department um, once a month meeting and, and over here. Anything you want to add, Carl, in your new role doing this? Not too much. Tanya pretty much covered it. I, I will add then, Carl is new, but does a great job with taking care of the five of us and presenting things. A, a great addition, I will tell you. Are BCA members also appointed by the city and county commission? County. Well, I know you were kind of for the, the BZA for the city is appointed by the city commission, BZA. Yes. yes. Okay. And there's five on each. I have seven. We have seven. You have seven. Okay. Seven. okay. Uh, the county BZA board doesn't have any city involvement. Um, it's right. our bylaws don't allow even um, people that live in the city to be on the board. Yeah. And according to state statute, um, what entities have to have planning commissions and BCAs? Is it like counties and incorporated cities or? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> Sorry. If I remember correctly, and I don't, I'm going to be pulling this really out of the back of my mind here. I think if, if you invoke 
subdivision regulations and zoning, you then have to constitute and have the boards to have the administrative relief portion to it. Okay. But if you do not have zoning, there's some portions of the states that don't have zoning in the county, they're not qualified that they don't need to have a okay. board of adjudicators on to appeal. So there, there is a there is a trigger under the state statute, and I can't remember what it is. Okay. And just so you all are aware, your role is triggered by a whole different section of the state statute than a board of zoning of the planning commission that would only govern a city versus planning commission only governs a county. You're a joint board, so you have a whole special section under state statute that enables your existence and rules you can operate. We are, we are a rare breed <laughs> where it's both city and county. Very rare. So with development happening in Baldwin and Eudora, is the county BZA taking care of those issues or do they have their own? Typically the, the, the municipality would have to have their own, have their own boards and commissions. So like you're, you cannot you know, give land use decisions inside Baldwin and Eudora if you don't have that authority. They would have to have their own planning commissions and BZAs that can do stuff. Okay. So Clearfield will have to have their own BZA and PC. Well, thank you, Catherine. Thanks, everybody on the screen there. Yes. So I guess that if mm -hmm. there are any other questions about the BZAs, that really helped. I, just, yeah. I, I really had no idea going. Yeah, if you can just remember, PC is doing the land. If you need a variance to split your land, then you're going to be at PC. Uh, after that, it's all BCA. Okay. Remember that? You're I, I, the, the honest <laughs> one I saw was a swimming pool was already built and constructed. They turned in this hand-drawn map of where the swimming pool was. The city said, okay. And then the city reviewed it later after the pool was in and said, uh-oh, you're in the setback. You got to tear out the pool. So they came to the PZA. So what are you doing that? Because state statute says city and county can make mistakes and what they tell you is it's legal and it doesn't count when you get to court. So... Oh, <laughs> what happened? Oh, well, we granted the very <laughs> because because under that is how is how is that? It wasn't the fault of the landowner. They right. followed the process. This was an undue hardship. Good on you, Jim. Yeah. I mean, it was just like wait a bit on you, man. That's the types of things. But it was one of those weird. Things in the, in the state statutes, you can get advice from the city and county, but if they give you the wrong advice, tough. So <laughs> you can't rely on the wrong advice. That is, that is wow. Why staff spends a great deal of time in research before they respond to those questions. Okay. We want yeah. to make sure that we're given the right uh -huh. answer the first time. The consequence is pretty substantial. It can okay. be. Uh, I always struggle with that unnecessary hardship, you know, and say it can't be strictly financial, but most things, most problems can be fixed financially one way or another, it just depends on the magnitude. So like financially, they could tear out the swimming pool and make and or put it in a different location. So that's a financial thing. So how do it's so where do you draw the line yeah, about most things strictly do financial. result to some definition of financial hardship or loss. Right. And also anything that has a financial hardship or loss probably has some other kind of difficulty or things that take so time or trouble. That's why it says a mere financial loss yeah. or financial mm. loss. Okay. There's always other circumstances, for instance, if this 
example, you know, the city perhaps made an error. So that's a context mm -hmm. issue. So if the contractor maybe had brought in a fully surveyed set of plans and then encroached on the setback, that might be a different context. So. Yeah, and the city could have appealed just as well as the homeowner. So whichever way the decision went, I mean, the city could have appealed the BZA granting of the variance to the district court, which they obviously chose not to do. But, um, you know, but or if you say no to a variance, the landowner can appeal it. And that's another reason to pay really close attention to the criteria and weigh all of your discussion points against the criteria because the city attorney can, if necessary, if you're making decisions that are outside of that criteria and setting some precedent for the city, they can sue the BZA. So, so not only can they protect the BZA if the BZA gets sued for some decision, but it can the flip can happen as well. So that's why those criteria are really important. Any other questions? <laughs> Interesting, strange things that have happened? If not, I guess that we're over to Jeff and the wonders of the interactive map. So I think we all know about it. And this is probably one of the more popular questions that we staff gets from applicants, from public, from commissioners is, we hear about GIS. We know it's this big thing that exists out there. What is it? What does it look like? What does it do? So what I will do real quick is I will show you what we see. <clears throat> This is what GIS looks like to us on, on city staff. And the county got a variation of this too. But this, this is, when you see planners talk about, we looked it up on a map or we've done something here, it mostly looks like this. And this thing will pull in upwards of 400 different data sets on command. And then the things that are on behind the scenes is it can pull in an infinite amount of data on other things along the way. Can we get to this? No. <laughs> 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 the reason I want to say is like, you know, you hear staff talk about, you know, we're looking at, you know, what does the plats look like? We click a button, staff can see what the plats look like. Staff can then also click on something here and we can then pull the plat document up and see it instantaneously. Believe it or not, you all have this ability with the interactive map just like staff does too. And so you see here, we'll pull the plan. You can see, click this link. We're going to load it up there. You can see the court plan. You can see on the county's GIS, right? That's what you're and you can also see through the interactive map the city has. And I always pick on the interactive map the city has because I'm more familiar with it. And I've, and I've worked with it quite more frequently because I'm actually one of the team that kind of helps shepherd it along and get it evolved. But county's well, GIS doesn't do zoning or anything, just you can turn on external links and get the zoning districts for each of the cities yep. within okay. the, on the county GIS. And so what you can do with your with the interactive map from the city and also do this with the county is on the side here is a list of different layers that you can pull in. The county has uh, quite a number of lists and some of these will have drop downs. So if you click on them, another layer set will pop underneath of it. So like if you click on Try to pick on one that's got a few of it here. So firm panels, you can click it, it'll, it'll keep coming down and you can see more and more data to it. The thing with the city map that has been an interesting thing is if it's not on the map and you want it, you can actually load it. So on the top button here, you actually have this little plus sign. And if you click mm -hmm. on it, it will let you see things that are already pre-populated by the city's GIS team that you can load into the map. So mm -hmm. see where the traffic cameras are, where the right-of-way permits are at. If you want to load, say, 
the rental licenses are. You can load anything you want into the interactive map that we've made available. The other of that is, even if it's not in our data sets, not something we have, but you want to see what the Census Bureau has, if you change this here, you can load anything else that's out there and in the system online. You can load the Census Bureau data, you can load the county data, you can load anything that's available up and out. So anything you want to load in and just plug in, you can pull it up. And the best thing is it's just word searchable. So like if you just want to look for night plans, you can see that Luke works in our office maintains for site plans. You just hit add. Every triangle is improved site plan in the city of Florida. And then when you really want to get more into it, I'll pick on, I'll just pick on one here. You click on it, it'll tell you exactly all the history about what it is, the case numbers, the year it was approved, what month it saw its things. All of the layers like that are loaded up and ready to go. And since we're just talking about the board zoning appeals, this is one that we use quite a bit. Let's see if I can get my map to behave here. Luke also does the board zoning appeals. And so sometimes we get questions about why does a property look a certain way? Why does it, how does this happen? Why did they get something somebody else didn't? Mm -hmm. You can load this up and it'll tell you right here, the board of zoning appeals in 1999, saw this board, this variance request, and it was approved. So you can find out why a deviation has occurred and that'll work. This works for special use permits, conditional use permits, um, any of the surveying instruments that we have. You can load these up in the maps and see them. So all of the information that we plug into this map is what we call live data. So if somebody's sitting in a city hall or somewhere makes an edit to it, instantaneously this map will update and it will be able to see the most information that we've got. So as soon as a rezoning occurs in the city, the map will respond to whatever rezoning has just shown up in the city. So this is as good as we can make it. It's the best data sources that we've got. So at what point um, does it get a dot? Because I, I actually, you know, people ask me, so there's something happening on my screen and I want to know what's going on. So I went to go look, I actually went to go look at this, but it wasn't there. Yes. And so sometimes what will happen is it'll get a dot when it's done. When it's okay. a completed file, if it's been approved or denied in some instances, it'll get a dot. Uh -huh. But if you get this map and you want to say, what's going on in my neighborhood? Mm -hmm. You can then also add our planning submittals data, which is on our dashboard. You just go here. Add planning submittals. Oh. And load all the active applications and the works. Not always. Should always. Mm -hmm. always. This one, this one will update oh, Sunday night into Monday morning. So it's only a weekly updating on this one. But when you click on this information, it'll show you a different list here and it'll tell you that Avery is taking care of this site plan. Right? Mm -hmm. But it might not necessarily tell you, does it say what it is? It won't. It'll say it's a city site plan, okay. and most times it'll tell you the address for it, but not necessarily all the details about okay. it. But it'll then it'll just give you the information I need to talk to Avery about. Okay. And so the one thing I will also do, if I can figure out how to switch this real quick, is I'll just call on the easier version of this real fast. So if you ever have a question about what is going on on the Planning and Development Services homepage, is it on the top here as this PDS dashboard? And this is actually a live look at the applications that are moving throughout both the planning division, the building safety division, and the rental licensing and code divisions. And this one will update every week. You're gonna to get, to get to see kind of all the things that are working at and what different levels they are. 
So right now in the last 60 days, we have 68 building permits in process. We have 50 different planning applications that are moving throughout. And if you want to see just specific applications, you can do, and I have one moment, I have to move my screen a little bit here. If you zoom in, you can see a little bit of that clarity starts to appear. But if you click on some of these, I'll pick on downtown. I only want to see things that are site plans. Click on it, it'll turn off everything that's not a site plan so you can see what's going on. <coughs> so I've got one layer here because right now building permits is still an active layer. If I turn our active building permits off, see these triangles start showing up here. If we click on them. So that's a city, that's a city site plan. Yeah. Okay. And this it's, one will, it's, it's a planning submittal. Yep. And so this will actually tell you a little bit more of what's going on at that site. Hmm. Huh. So you can pull up okay. the rental licenses, you can pull up the building permits that are in the city, you uh -huh. can pull up all the planning submittals in both in the city and the mm -hmm. county through this. And so when you click on things, it'll tell you different items. And then what you can also do is simply go to the list. And if you want to see more details about one and say, oh, I know what is that, you click on it, the map will jump over there and show you where it's at. Mm -hmm. And where do you uh, where can you find the symbology, the legend? Yep. It's just that bar right there. Okay. And kind of one thing that I always do is if the map looks a little busy, depending mm -hmm. upon how much is going on, so you can turn things on and off by just clicking the mm -hmm. little button and it will show up or disappear as you need to do. This is probably the easiest way to see what's going on at any moment in the office. Wow. Mm -hmm. Is there, no, is there uh, anything that shows uh, enforcement actions? Not at this time. Where the city is getting some new software behind the scenes that we hope will enable that to occur. But at the moment, that is a different thing, system that is okay. unfriendly to whatever the needs. Okay. <laughs> We've now exceeded my IT knowledge. Okay. So interactive map is great. You can load a lot of layers to it and those kind of things. But if you wanted to see what's going on at a, the day-to-day -day operations of the office here, this is a great way of stating what that is. And then there's also the submittals page, mm -hmm. and then you can find some of the application materials on that page too. Yeah. So if you go to our website and click planning submittals, it'll have a drop down list. And then when you see these, it'll say view application on these. So looks like Drew's working a site plan currently somewhere. And if you click on this, it will load that application. So you can oh. see what it is. Just an answer. Wow. Okay. So and that, where, where did you get to? How did you get to that again? <laughs> so on, the, on the front of the uh, PDS website, just planning. Planning submittals. Okay. All of these links are also included in your packet. Okay. Um, on the tools and resources page. So the county okay, the county land viewer map is a brilliant map if you want to see surveys and divisions and things. They show a quite a range of data that they hold, and so both the city's interactive map and the county's interactive map you can cover. 99% of the stuff that the city staff, the county staff uses in the GIS program. So after getting Denny's memo of what's coming up in an upcoming meeting, we could go to these sites and check out the work in progress mm -hmm. before our packets are ready. You can see some of the stuff and this is all public facing it, it's all available at any time. This, the middles page and the dashboard will update Sunday night into Monday morning. Mm -hmm. And the interactive map will update just as new information gets put onto it every time. Wow. In my fourth year on the commission, I'm really wow. happy to learn. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, we lost two years, right? Yeah. Two and a half years, right? But 
<clears throat> be careful of going to the interactive map. It can suck you in. Uh, I mean, like when we were talking about a water tower, I went in and I just started tracing water lines and you started oh, no. to hit things like, oh, well, it's obvious it used to be here because here's an abandoned line that's still in the ground. And mm. here's one that's still got an asbestos cover on it, you know. <laughs> All that information is in there. It's just amazing how much information here's where every every access point to the sewer system is. When it was put in, one of the things we started doing in the last couple of years is when we do a rezoning, we put the ordinances, the number of the ordinances does the rezoning from city limits in the layer. So when you click on a zoning district, it'll tell you what the district is and then tell you what ordinance put that district on the map. Because people always ask us, well, this hasn't always been this. When did this occur? Mm -hmm. And yeah. if you don't happen to just know that, sometimes it's yeah. hard to find. So we put it into the map to make it easier for everyone. Wow. So and we, um, I joke about this, but it's really true. We're literally sitting on terabytes of data behind the scenes that we can plug into yeah. these maps and power them up and show different things out of them. So when if, if the joke was a long time was, We've got a question, GIS is going to have an answer. It's just a matter of how do we get to it and what do we want to do with it. So do you have access to your pet, the one that shows the future growth? It's going to take a while to load, but we can get it going. It'll it'll that's if, a that's a one that shows like that. Yeah. You've not seen oh, Jeff's yeah. pet pet AI project about future projections of oh, please. <laughs> I'll warm it up. It's it takes a while to get it out. It's I mean, amazing. It is, it is an amazing thing to watch. <laughs> it used to be in a room right off of the planning, off of the city room. council chamber, so we'd be able to see it periodically. But I know people that are new, or since they've moved over here, you've probably never seen it. Maybe it's something we yeah, can see. Yeah, could be. That'd be. I've seen it a long time. If confession is good for the soul, the detail that you showed is not something that as much appeal for me to go on and get involved in yeah. this. That's a good yeah. yeah, no. Where it has for, been helpful. For some of us to get obsessed uh, with yeah. details when yeah. you're hearing specific arguments about what's happened or what's always been there, sometimes mm. you go into this, you start looking at the old aerial maps, you start looking at the old, for all the utilities mm. and things where you can say, well, wait a minute, <laughs> it was like this. Maybe not when you moved in, but this is right. not new for the city right. as a whole. So. Fortunately for me, there are others who <laughs> educate, yeah. educate me on this. But where it becomes very helpful, it has in the past for me, is when we're in a discussion and staff brings up, when we talk about, well, how much commercial real estate do we have? There's been a lot of discussion about, mm -hmm. do we need this? It, can this move from commercial to residential? Are we okay with that? And it shows a wider view than what's in our packet of commercial of, uh, property available. Yeah. Also, it was really helpful when we looked at Airbnbs and all those short-term mm -hmm. rentals where we could see where they were in the city. Um, and it's also very helpful where you can see how much RS5 do we have? We had that whole discussion over right. when we were talking about RS3. Where is it located? What is it next to? These maps are just really, really helpful when you can have that citywide viewpoint or the countywide viewpoint. And I use the county GIS for everything because it's the only one I knew about, really. But and it does the city also. But I, I any property that I can't picture, mm -hmm. I look at them yeah. there. I use that thing all the time. It's really fun. Yeah, too. Yeah. So we're, it's very uh, helpful. We're exceptionally 
very exceptionally lucky to have two outstanding teams of GIS professionals at the city and the county that work, we work with. Because if, if one side doesn't know it, the other side will get with them. And they, the two between the city and the county, they talk frequently between each other. So there is not, I'm convinced there's nothing they can't solve, something they can't get to us because we are extremely lucky to have Micah Siebold and the city, Bryce Hershey with the county on our side to help us do all that. They're an invaluable resource. They can even use the tracking advice you all have in your pocket and pull up maps of where your cell phone's been across the county over any particular time. Wow. So on this by the cell tower pigs. That's very Small big brotherish. I didn't take my phone tag. We know if you do now. That's right. that's a bit of an overview on the GIS side. Wow. And we got a lot there. And I will I will yeah. see if I can't um, coax the, the computer that, that lives at to come back yeah. and go show us the thing. We'll see if we can get that one going. I think the last time I opened it, it took about 20 minutes. Um, but we'll, I'll tell it to get busy and see what we can get going on it. You know, and I would just say to you that Jeff teased us with showing us the GIS map that we have here, but um, that interactive map is, it, so much work has been put into it. There's so much detail you can get to it. I lean on it a lot, actually. Um, I use that tool probably more than I use the GIS map here because I can get the same, pretty much a lot of the same information, so. The intent with that was to take that big system, the, the, the version of the internal system and put it out where people could actually use that data and make it approachable. So that, that interactive map is trying to be that big inside system just outward facing. So you get better and better and better every iteration now, but it's a it's a big project. That brings us to the fun part of the day. <clears throat> that requirement of we all hear about coma our Kansas Open Meeting Act. Uh, bylaws and conflict of interest topic. And usually it's Randy. Yeah, it looks like it's Jeff. It's going to be me today. Um, <laughs> so you, you all be very kind <laughs> with me on this one. <laughs> so first, how many times have each person been through the Kansas Open Meetings Act presentation? Just on the PC or other times? No, mm -hmm. just at total. Oh, no. um, well, I'm guessing five because we've only missed one full year, right? So Jim's been on a year longer than I have. This is 16. <laughs> 16. <laughs> so can you just recite it? Yeah, spare Jeff the effort. Well, every year you have to have one of these. So mm -hmm. here's, yep. here's this go. year's. Um, <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, we'll probably also have one later on in the year when we do a, a real orientation. We'll bring Randy and you'll be able to go through this in far greater detail and specifics to it. But Cap, uh, Kansas Open Meetings Act is what governs how and where and why you meet the conditions in which you do it. So the open meeting principle, as you can see, is based on the belief that people have the right to know the public business and that information is essential to that government to process on those items. To do that end is why we have the Open Meetings Act, recognition that that is to be dependent upon an informed electorate. And so we'll also, and I think this is also in your packet, or if not, we'll get it in your packet so you can see this. Um, but it's really is to be transparent so you, people can see the workings of what you do and understand why you make decisions that you make at the end. And so it is supposed to be interpreted liberally with exceptions that are construed narrowly to the purpose of the law. 
Um, so if you have questions about that one, that is where Randy comes in to help us go through that and what that constitutes and what that looks like, but it regulates the conduct of the business. <coughs> really the quick answer to that one. It applies when the body is involved as a covered entity, which you are, and there is a meeting. And a meeting is typically when you have a quorum and you're conducting business of the board. And so if six or you in a room and you're talking about something, that is a business meeting, that is an open meeting, and we have to go through that procedure. Today is an open meeting because you're talking about things related to the board. That is why we go through the process and procedure. So it applies to the, all of the administrative and state agencies, the political, the whole nine yards. It goes through everything. So you're definitely covered by that act. And so the meeting is the key definition with this one. And I'll, I'll leave it here so you can see the wholeness of it there. But it is, you know, when you do any gathering or assembly in person or through the means of a telephone or any other medium for interactive communication by majority membership of the body. So there was instances recently in other parts of the state where people were interacting with each other on Facebook and that constituted an open meeting violation because mm -hmm. the members were talking on Facebook it was public on a forum, but it was not met the open media requirement being advertised and available in those conditions. So there is an incumbency on you to recognize what does constitute an open meeting, what does constitute a violation to that cause. So for a meeting to occur, there are three elements that must be met. There must be a majority of the membership for the planning commission that is six or more. It must be an interactive communication, discussions, phone calls, messages, those kind of things can't constitute a meeting. And you have to be talking about the business of the board. So if six of you run into themselves at the grocery store and you're talking about a basketball game, not that, you know, not business of the board doesn't really rise to that level. But if six of you run into each other at the grocery store and say something about planning commission, that's a problem. <laughs> so those three elements of a meeting must be there to take place. <clears throat> The majority of the ten member body is six for you all. That is what constitutes a quorum for the meeting to take off and run at. So that would be what constitutes the meeting. If we have unfilled seats, still six on the problem, no matter what. Right, it's the number of positions, not the number of available. Oh, okay. If four of us. If four of us get together and talk about something, and then someone of those four gets together and talks to two more people, then you have something we'll come to called a serial meeting, which is an open meeting right. violation. Yep, gotcha. So, of course, interactive communications, Zoom, in person, any number of things that I'm probably not aware of in social media anymore. TikTok. Apparently, that's a thing. We have to disband the TikTok yeah. group. We yeah. have. So, it's, those can all follow those things there. And, you know, when we did the ad hoc, there are different levels of things. There's a reason why the ad hoc has to be construed at a certain level and it has to be those kind of things. Those are all permissible and they have to meet that open meeting that requirement and follow those guidelines. But it's gathering or assembly, whatever TikTok is and all that. <laughs> I have told it enough on my social media. I'm not even going to pretend I know what it is. <laughs> I've given up. <laughs> so... As you can see here, the attorney general has indicated that the mere fact that a communication is electronic does not necessarily raise the coma issue, but if the majority of the body uses the communication to engage, that may raise to a coma issue. That kind of leads to one of those Facebook decisions that have recently come out of those items there. So 
Um, a single email is not sent, may not constitute it, but participation in those other means may. And so what typically you'll see happen is that staff goes through a very strict reason when we email you, we email you in a very particular way so that you can't reply all. Hmm. And that is so that you don't inadvertently cause a coma violation by hitting the wrong reply button on your emails. And so we, we send things in certain ways to help ensure that, that is met required. That removes the interaction component, inter interaction test for coma passion. Yeah. You do still get emails from the public sometimes that go out to all of us. So that's another one where if you reply to them, it has to be an individual reply and not include anybody else. Yeah, that's the case on those. And in, in those instances, we do receive those. We ask that you forward them to us so that we can get it into the package so everybody can see the communication that all have received. What will sometimes happen is they won't send it to all the commissioners. They'll send it to seven or eight of you and then this three others. So sure. if that occurs, forward that to Becky and we will get that into the packet so that all of you will see the same email and communications as part of that. Um, but yeah, so this is, you know, the very thing is avoid initiating online discussions through emails, avoid reply all. You may receive emails about a, a matter and all of the commissioners are also sent a copy on that email. That's just your emails are out there. People can do that, but it, Again, if you want to do it, get that to us forward and we'll put that in the packet for all. What would it be um, just thinking if uh, I respond to an individual in the community that has asked me a question and then that individual sees, then sends it to the rest of the planning commission? That would be a Randy question. We okay. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking because you know the emails. I mean, there's so many. It's a potential problem. Yeah. It, it, it it's be. enough to raise the red flag where I would have you contact the city attorney's office, who are are your point of contact on open meetings and open records. I have to go through that with them. So, um, what's, what's the first rule of ethics? <laughs> if it feels wrong or it feels like we could be wrong. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. Well, it's not something no, that it's not, this is not a real issue. I just right. know that it could it could end up out there. So so which is probably why somebody sends a comment into an individual commissioner. That individual commissioner sends it to planning staff without even replying. It's probably the safer bet, just in case that person then sends it on to whoever. That's or what if you I mean, what if you sometimes I'll respond and say thank you for your email. I'll right. pass yeah. this on. Yeah. If that if they turn around and forward that on to the commissioners, that surely that would be yeah. yeah. That, you're not, you're not talking about you're not right. business. Yeah. Some commissioners in the past have chosen when they get those they'll forward it to staff and have staff respond to be that point of contact because it, it's probably something that's not really at your level, it may be administrative function at our level that we can help better address on that. So it's not out of the common that we'll get, you know. Thank you for your email. I've copied Becky on this and she'll be able to help guide you through mm -hmm. answer on this. That is also something that happens quite I think but, it means a lot to people, even that level of response mm -hmm. to say, I hear you yeah. and they'll take mm -hmm. it from here. But just, I, yeah. I, I think I, I try and always at least say thank you for it and then send it on and tell them I'm sending it on. What about like, not, this is an electronic, but what if you have a, a, a verbal conversation with a neighbor and then that neighbor goes, you know, and talks to Jim and says, hey, I talked to Sharon and she said X, Y, and Z. And then you talk about that. And then that neighbor goes to David and says, I talked to these two communities, listen to what they said. Is that then? It's the same. Right. Except, except it's, not, it's, not, it's, not the body, it's not the members of the body that are communicating. Right. And that's why. Can somebody, can somebody draw you into a serial conversation without your... 
I mean, yeah. but then in that case, what would be, then would, I mean, Jim would be the one, the first person hearing it to, to call the city and say, just so you know, there's a, a neighbor who's just like doing like a telephone game kind of with us. And well, an example is, this was Gary's first exposure to some of us. Yeah, Sharon was there and I went out when it was a neighborhood meeting mm -hmm. at a substation. But our comments, when we were there, we heard what they said, but all we gave back was process answers. This is how it works. This is the stage. Nothing about what our thoughts on the subject matter mm -hmm. were. The same when Karen and I went out about the solar, it was all about process. We just talked about the process and wouldn't answer specific questions. Yeah. So. There was a former participant who said that people try to engage him on those conversations. He was polite to decline and walk away because he didn't like the feeling of the perception that, that gave him at that point in time. So he would say, "Is you know, his response was something along the lines, hey, you know, thanks for letting me know. If you wanted to, you know, continue this, you have to come to the public meeting at 6.30 on Wednesday to have this discussion because the other nine need to hear this too. And so some people will go along those lines to have that, just, to just make sure that, you know, it, Yes, we want to hear from you, but you can't. I can't hear from you in a vacuum. I want. I want my fellow commissioners to hear you too. So, we hit something strange with the solar thing in that uh, a, a large group of the public that had put public comment, and they think they sent it to all the members, but then they did not want it published as part of the public packet. And it's oh. like, oh no, what do we do? Like when. <laughs> It is public, but it, they don't want it to be public, and they didn't get permission from all of the members that oh. had given that 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 uh, commentary. I don't, so I don't know what I don't remember how that worked out. I think I, I just sent it on to this like, book. This thing, yeah. Yeah. holy smokes! And part of that is, yeah. if we receive it, there is an obligation that we're going to have. It, when a governmental entity receives it, it becomes mm -hmm. a public record. So yeah. the burden is on the individual submitting it to us to make sure they have the rights and permission to do what they're asking to do. And in that instance, it was you know, do you have the permission to do what you're asking to do? And that that can be I don't concern because if you give it to the government, it's a governmental record. And that goes into the open records portion of the presentation. Yeah, another great segue, but I won't do it right now. I'll save it for later. <laughs> okay. Back to go. So, you know, discussion of this aptly named. So, you know, it's not necessary for a voter finding action uh, to be taken. Discussion of the business is what triggers. The, the violation. So not the action that you would be taking, but just the fact of talking about the item can be what constitutes that. And so you can see there is that you may gather for purposes other than discussing the business advice. So social gatherings are not necessarily a coma item. Um, and if you go to a conference, that may not be either, even though it may be related to you know planning discussions or whatever the topic may be. But as long as you're not discussing the body of the board, that may not necessarily rise to that mark. So there is some Give and take in there, and this is that you know, conference may be great for all of you to attend, and you all want to attend. There's a benefit that doesn't always rise to meet that mark. But aren't they still noticed in the public sphere that that, that a quorum will be present? We do, um, do preface it with that. We will typically do that by practice just to make sure that it is met. We do qualify it that way. That's why I didn't respond to the pizza part. I didn't either because like it wasn't following the normal practice of we're all going to have a public event like our yearly one which has always been published that we're doing mm -hmm. this but uh, so that's why i didn't respond to that one. 
I was worried about it. Yeah. And so we, if we have an instance like that, where if there's a, a gathering like the, the social hour or something like that, we will protocol and practice it like a meeting just in case so that everything is, is good to go on that as available. And then like when we would do our annual social gatherings, we, because you published it, that covered us in case we started talking about business. Yes, it would be if it didn't meet that open meeting and you did have that, that does yeah. kind of get it that, that it's as better as, you know, we did make available the time, the address, the, the details of that event. So if a member of the public would like to attend, mm -hmm. they can do it under open meeting. So theoretically, somebody could have showed up at Karen's house. Yeah, he published my address. Wow. Yeah. And I didn't know that was first The same has wow. <laughs> happened when, I didn't know for the example, when we've gone to the free state That's when good. somebody's had mm -hmm. their last meeting. Yeah. Go yeah, yeah. Right. After we finished mm -hmm. Plan 2040, all of yeah. those were yeah. already, yeah. they were pre-noticed yeah. that we were going to do that. Doesn't that say something that nobody wants to hang out with? Them? I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But now the question is, because of this hybrid business, are we ever going to be able to do that again? And that because of what? Because of having to have everything yes. remote in addition to, or would we ever be able to go to free state at the con conclusion of bigness? Of yeah, have a little yeah. tablet. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's part of the thing that we navigate is part of why you know, we changed your, your mid-month meetings. We changed some of those initial things because the temporary resolutions that allow the meetings to occur on Zoom and, and do that are still in effect in some respects. So we have to meet not just Open Meetings Act, but meet those temporary resolutions like we're doing today with mm -hmm. having Zoom and doing all the the broadcasting stuff magic that Kurt does that I can't even fathom how it works. But it's, you know, typically your mid-month meetings are in the morning and we don't, we don't broadcast those in, you know, pre-pandemic situation. You know, Kurt was not there. It was neat and people could come if they wanted to come. But under the temporary resolutions that allow you to meet and do the remotes and those things, there's a different set of criteria that we have that we have to meet that mark for. So it's that's kind of those logistics that we have to think about now that we didn't think about two years ago. Is that something that will be ongoing or does that end at some point? Uh, don't know yet. We're still, we're still learning. And for those that were on the board when we started this, I think remember, I think I canceled your March meeting because we had that quick turnaround. We could not yeah. figure out the logistics right. Right. to have your meeting under the public mm -hmm. health orders and the Open Meetings Act because the two were just absolutely in conflict. So we had to stop your March meeting and then hold a pretty large April meeting to catch up. But that also gave us time to sort the logistics out about how do we meet Open Meetings Act, the public health orders, and then also keep staff in a position where they're safe and can keep doing the things they need to do. And so we're, we're forever evolving. I don't know if we'll ever get to back to where we were at previously, which I doubt. But kind of how that looks and shapes going forward mm -hmm. and because that that mid month meeting was always it just felt like a safe place to ask yeah. questions and explore yeah. ideas and it wasn't talking about you know the business of the board in terms of items it was just kind of theoretical the things that we get to talk about here but right. a lot of those things we could answer <coughs> sooner and and train up faster because we had it what felt That's like true. a safe place to ask about we don't have that just to learn again you came in with knowledge just to learn this information yeah. and ask the yeah. odd question or so that might come back to haunt you so if somebody cuts it out of a zoom meeting and says look what she said right you know? <laughs> yeah kind of chills the discussion yeah yeah i, I, I can't believe you just said that <laughs> <laughs> i think that the discussion is going to happen nationwide quite usually because of you know, an attorney 
not, not, a, not an expert on this by any stretch here, but I think we live in a world now where open meetings and open or open meetings act was written before all of the things we now know have occurred. So is there going to be an evolution of those to kind of meet where we're going to be at? What does that look like? I don't know. I have no idea what if, if the state chooses to do that or how we go about it, but it's probably a conversation we'll, we'll continue having for a while, I suspect. It's such a hard role to step into, knowing that from day one, everything you say while you're on this body is recorded and, and mm -hmm. anybody can find it at any time while you're learning the job. I mean, yeah. right. Uh, I'm, I'm tired of everything I do being recorded, frankly, <laughs> but I mean, it's happening everywhere. Yeah. We have a record of you saying that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I guess I've sort of just done it by just, I'm just, I'm going to own my ignorance. If I'm ignorant about something, I'm just going to own it. So I'm just like, yep. Yeah. Yeah, I asked that question or I didn't know about that. And it just, yeah, I garbled that sentence. I do that all the time. <laughs> just don't ever read a transcript. <laughs> don't ever read a transcript. Of what you said. Oh, 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 I, yeah. I was wondering, oh, I was thinking no, the no. same thing. Like, yeah. Like allowed? Oh, no, because it always sounds oh, 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 like miserable reading. <laughs> <laughs> So serial meetings, um, we're getting close to lunch, yeah, I know yeah. that means everybody. Um, you can see there, serial meeting must be open, those kind of things, mm -hmm. goes to those details and parameters about mm -hmm. them. So there's a lot of that, you know, majority common topic and participants reached agreement. So like I said, we'll get you that information. You actually mm -hmm. have a very technical write-up about all this as part of your packet mm -hmm. too. Um, so, you know, Members may wish, members of the public may wish to schedule meetings with you, and those can occur at different times. But when in doubt, conservative approach is best in the instances of the open meetings. So, coma again applies when the body involved is a covered entity, which you are, and the meeting is a one, a majority of the membership, two, an interactive communication, and that communication is discussing the business of the body. That is when it applies. So all of those must be open and proper notice must be given as part of that. We kind of talked about that one, so I won't belabor that one too long there. Um, but again, it must be in public accessible places. That is why we have your meetings at the city commission chambers and why we do all the technological we do is also why we do it here today because our building is open to the public and, and people can come in. Now you see your ballots and the use of camera and recording devices cannot be prohibited. So people can bring in their own cameras and recording devices as part of that process. But they may be subject to reasonable rules. So they, you know, they, can't, they can't interfere with the broadcasting of the recording system in City Hall or something like that or whatever is deemed reasonable as part of it. There were some of our mid-month meetings back when we met in person where people would come and they would record. I don't know if you guys remember that. No. no. Yeah. Uh -uh. Well, I said, like, someone had like a, their camera set up and was just like oh, recording. I the topic. I, I can't remember what it was. That was before me. Um, I don't remember. And so far as, as you'll see here, we will go through the noticing procedures. That's when your agenda is composed and all the details come. And that's what we do at the meet this March here for the open meetings for that. So. Um, the key with this one is Coleman does not require an agenda, but by practice, we will always have an agenda and we will put that out as fast as we can, at least, at least with some time ahead of the meeting when possible. So. There's been some instances where the software doesn't agree with us and we can't, you know, crowbar the thing out of there and get it sent on its way. That's rare and far between, but 
by practice, staff will always work to create an agenda and get that available so people know what you're talking about and that running order of your day to day. So if you have an agenda for today that's online, we put it through iCompass like we do one of your standard meetings. People can see, oh, at uh, 1.15, they're talking about the work plan. So mm -hmm. I want to tune in for that. So we do have those available. And um, this is definitely where we need Randy and not myself here, but this is some of the possible legal ramifications for the violations of so what happens when there's an infamous check? Oh, not a clue. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Jim probably knows. I, that's one of them. It's okay. I don't really want to. Randy what? for the details. Sounds bad. I don't want to know. One question I have is, like, if if we become concerned and we, like, it's almost like we're self-reporting. Like, I think maybe I accidentally may have violated commerce and I'll call Randy. Yes. Uh, like, is sort of like fessing up going to mitigate any consequences? <laughs> really <laughs> <tough rate. laughs> Usually not. Usually not. Okay, good. Yeah. It's best to do, try to cover up. It's good to know. It's to cover up. rule of thumb, when any of this goes in doubt, give Randy a phone yeah. call. He'll be able to guide you through it and get the details of it. He is our expert. He is mm -hmm. he is your, your, your point person on those details for the plan. Well, and who enforces is it the AG's office? I believe so. Yeah. State AG. Yeah. So Derek Schmidt coming up to you. Um, so again, there are local conflicts of interest laws that are out there. And you can see those under state statute, and they've got a lot of detail associated with those. But what it basically all of this is getting back to is an attempt to achieve a fair and balanced. The public office is not used for a, a private gain. So that's really the key crux of that item there. Um, as part of that, you get into something called substantial interest. And you can see if you have a certain equitable interest in a business, you have to go through a process to declare that with the county. And there are forms available. The city attorney's office and county council can get to those forms if you need to have to declare a substantial interest on those kind of items. One thing I will say is if you have any questions of something that does rise to a level of substantial interest, Randy will be able to help guide you through that if it does require those development parameters. That is one of the things where planning staff is not very we're not very good about understanding the nuance of that. So Randy will be able to guide you through that very easily. Jeff, isn't it an either or? You either fill out the substantial interest and list that on there, and then you can vote without saying something in the meeting. But typically we just, whether it's on that form or not, we just disclose Correct. everything. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of nuance that can come along with that. And that's usually where Randy will be able to guide you that nuance pretty easily. I think generally we've been more careful in a lot of places, I mean, we're really quick to say we can't vote on this and we just step out mm -hmm. um, instead of saying, oh, well, we filled out a form, we filed that no one is ever going to see that says I have an interest in you know, <laughs> I, I can't think that anybody's done that. Well, like, like if Scott has served on a nonprofit board, there's no profit involved, but, right. you know, he has an interest in it. So as my spouse, so I step out. Yeah. And, and that's a discussion you'll typically hear us have about the perception of a conflict versus the actual conflict. And we will always encourage you if there's the perception of a conflict, we may mm -hmm. want to recuse that just to clear that perception out of the item. So, again, it goes back to that kind of that be conservative in that approach. So, if there's a perception of it or you have a feeling of that, it's better to recuse and step away from it than to not. The interest of lunch, I will. 
So you know, there's a lot of substantial interest. There's a lot of those kind of things are there. So read the packet. Read the packet. Don't forget that one. If you have any questions, Randy's going to be valuable to that. There's lots of lots of stuff there. Um, yeah, you could put vacation slides in between all these. That would be accurate on that one. But again, the file of substantial interest, county elections office hands. Has there ever been an issue with a commissioner? The substantial interest? Yeah. Oh, well, that has gotten a commissioner in trouble. Uh, not to my knowledge here, but in surrounding communities, yes. Wasn't that a form that was generally passed out like at this meeting here and we filled it out? Something. Yeah, Randy would, if Randy was here, he'd usually have you go through that and do it. And typically, you can usually do it either if you have a significant change or some people will file it annually just to kind of make sure they don't have to track all of that. So as a little bit of preference, we would advise you probably to look at it, file it annually. Uh, but again, there might be some details that Randy knows about that I'm just not aware of. But if you have questions about that, let us know. We can sort that out. Just don't follow it easily. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that's easy. Exactly. <laughs> I take no that. So there is some things about contracts in here under state statute that you may need to be aware of depending upon if you have certain business interests that would be available. Um, and then of course actions on other matters here. So incidental and those kind of details are available as part of that, but substantial interest too. Uh, and of course the penalties upon that are, are listed as you can see on this. And so there are advisory opinions that are also written and available. So you can look those up and get some more guidance on those. But again, city attorney's office, county council can both help through those processes on that one. And again, Randy, Randy Market is planning commission's counsel for those items if you have questions. So there's the address for the uh, ethics commission and the details for them if you have questions about that. Um, one thing I will mention is in your packet, you also have, I'll stop sharing my screen, you also have some details about the Open Records Act and what that details looks like and goes through. Um, it's a very it's a great synopsis of all the details and things that go into that. So if you look through that and you have any questions, let us know. We will be doing an orientation later in the year uh, as new commissioners are coming on. We'll probably have a more uh, more standard orientation in November or sometime around that time, COVID numbers depending. Um, we will have, well, Randy will be here, go through that kind of full and formal item with it. So also have some of those general details. So unfortunately, you're going to get it twice in 2020. So very crash course on that one. I know I'm three minutes over lunch yeah. on that, but any questions about that that I can maybe well, just saying, I mean, questions did come up. So even though it was the 17th, whatever time, things yeah. come up. Well, they always yeah. do. Yeah, so. I, I think we've all been really good with complex. Mm -hmm. I mean, it pulls out of cases where specifically mm -hmm. more in it. You know, everyone's done that. Yeah. So it's, you know, when Patrick Kelly was on, mm -hmm. if there was anything touching the school board, he didn't have to leave, but right. he did. So he. You know, one of the questions we get quite frequently is if we're running, like if we just have quorum and someone recuses from an item, does that mean that they can't hear the item? That is not the case. Quorum is necessary for the item for the meeting to begin and the meeting to end. Oh, if you get beneath that during the meeting, as long as there's people there to make a decision, it's available. So okay. if there's six of you and okay. one steps away for an item, that item can still be heard and recommendation can still be rendered. Okay. With that, you're upon the time that is most important on the schedule. 
So I follow. So is it time? Okay. Well, hope everybody's had. A, I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. Hope everybody's had a chance to you know enjoy uh, start enjoying their lunch and enjoy their uh, conversation with their 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 neighbors. Um, it seems like a good opportunity to um, start our lunchtime uh, conversation, which is examples of proud and not proud planning commission moments. This is something something we've done at past meetings, which is kind of an opportunity for us to reflect on our experience, um, where we feel like we've been really effective, and possibly uh, where we feel like we can improve as a as a group or even individual. So um, I think uh, just starting off. Uh, with moments of uh, proud, so examples of proud moments or proud episodes in uh, in our um, recent history. These could be, you know, initiatives where we felt like we were especially effective, or moments where we felt like you know we were thrown into an adverse situation and felt like we responded well on our, you know, <laughs> thinking on our feet. I can think of a few. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I can, I know it says like one proud and one not proud moment. Um, I, I can actually think of three proud moments and I'm trying to think of which to choose. One that doesn't involve me at all is the uh, solar power initiative. I feel like, you know, this, this organization, this, this, this commission, largely consists of what we've been talking about in terms of you know our ability to respond to the conditions that are thrown at us on a monthly basis based on applicants and and the uh and and staff putting together um you know these packets doing their job and and our doing uh kind of a reactive job but i think it's you know especially what's what's exceptional about the solar, um, the solar power initiative is that it was the uh, members members of this commission stepping forward and proactively researching what was going on in other communities so that they could help prepare uh, the city or for the county for something that was coming. So first of all, I'm just you know applauding uh, the the subcommittee members who who. Um, who uh, so diligently researched and, and led that, as well as staff who facilitated along the way. Um, but that, that just makes me exceptionally proud. And I, what's, what makes me feel good about it is that I can't take credit for any of it, but I'm just, it's just yeah. you know, the folks who did it. Now it's just, you know, uh, uh, you know I'm, I'm grateful for that. So that's mine. I'll, 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 I've got others that I can, I can throw out, but um, <laughs> would anybody like to, first I'd like to, like to hear from, uh, Maybe some some committee members. If there's anything that you'd like to respond to about, do you agree? Was that something that made you proud of your own of your own role? Uh, it was on my list. Okay, cool. I'm gonna click into that a little bit. Yeah, please. I was uh, particularly um, pleased and proud of of the work that went into gathering feedback from people and how that was used to inform what the overall outcome was. Um, I learned a lot by watching these guys do that work. Yeah, very well done. I was proud of proud of the community outreach part, and and I think we cast a pretty broad net and heard from a lot of people, and I think people felt that they were heard from, and I think that was important. Um, 
then you know, I think any big thing that gets passed and then you start thinking, well, what were the flaws? What did we miss? You know, now that it's out there, I think there's always that kind of fear of, um, we still had to work from a set of assumptions, no matter how much research we could do and not hearing enough really of input from the industries that was helpful and useful in making that. You just wonder, you know, what did we miss? And we won't know to try it out. Yeah. Anybody else? Jim, would you like to say anything? Just that other three people put up with the whole process, were fully engaged in it the whole way. That was a weekly meeting plus you know, all the time to read, to go to meet people and where they were. And then Tanya, Penn, Carl, and Barry Miller. I mean, the time that they put into that too. I mean, this was a quite a team effort. And also, what I think I came out of it noticing most is it really was a team effort with staff, but we were all learning. We were all keeping an open mind. We were all going back and forth. Will this work? No, it won't work. Maybe this will work. And it was just a constant back and forth with staff and planning commission. I mean, we were all had a goal in mind of whether we agreed on the details or not, that what we want is something solid to come out of this and workable and what we felt was good for the community. I think what's really notable about it is county commission passed it and the only change yeah. made was a numbering change that Karen caught when we were in the meeting. <laughs> so, and I affirmed by Zoom which they said, okay, we don't need to send that back. Wow. Let's just vote on it tonight. And then it passed. So wow. we get to dissolve our ad hoc committee next <laughs> Wednesday night. So. You guys did just such a good job. I was thinking maybe we could try to keep it in place for you to do something else. <laughs> a rolling committee to take on like, whatever the latest issue is. I, I think that's been the highlight of the whole time, just having that whole process. That's great. Um, come together the way it did. I mean, Karen kept finding people for us to bring in, um, you know, for different issues, especially agrivoltaics and such. And there's how everybody was willing to meet with us. You know, we had a meeting with every fire chief and representatives from emergency management in the same room at the same time. I mean, everybody was on board with doing this. So it was, it was a good thing. Nobody got everything they wanted, including any of us. Like, right. that's, just, that's how it was. It was a very collaborative. <laughs> well, I think, the, I mean, that's actually a great example for me of a larger issue of what I've loved about this commission since I joined, which is that, um, I mean, none of us would be spending all of this time doing this if we didn't really care about this community and have specific opinions of what, what kinds of outcomes we'd love to see. But the fact that we can enter into a kind of a collegial give and take is, um, I think, really, really great. I mean, um, you know, no one, no one will, what is it, throw their bodies on the on the on the gears of the machinery to make the machine stop. You know, I mean, everybody wants. <laughs> want, you recognize the uh, the reference? I don't know. It's, uh, I don't think so. But that, I, I can't not see that. Now. <laughs> I mean, with Savio, the, um, the the Berkeley student movement in the 1960s—that was the, yeah. his great speech. Um, but uh, 
you know, I mean, we all participate in this because we want to construct it. Out. Sure. So, yeah. I think that this shows up in, in issues that we're clearly not, you know, all together on, right? There, there are things that we disagree on, we think about differently, but the conversations are rich and full and respectful. I think even if we don't get to a unanimous decision, I think we get to a fully thought out and I'll use the word documented um, position on that that policymakers can then act on. Anybody else want to raise? Uh, we can talk more about this one, but anybody want to raise another uh, proud moment? <clears throat> Is that our only proud moment? It's been a real disappointing year. Wow. <laughs> I think you have to call him. I'm sorry? You have to call him. Okay. Um, Luke, hello. <laughs> Wrapping up your year as, as chair. Um, took, um, what, what, uh, what would you point to? Uh, well, I mean, solar uh, standards was the primary one. I think we probably all are so proud I'm of so glad what we accomplished. <laughs> Proud to appoint at the committee. <laughs> um, I took list. That's right. <laughs> Who's, who wants to do this? You guys are appointed. Uh, uh, I don't know. I guess <clears throat> I think uh, this is more general. It's not very, it's not specific, but um, I've been proud. Of, at least over the time that I've been the chair uh, at the, I think of the commission's willingness to like sit through extremely long meetings <laughs> um, and, to, and to explore um, topics, you know, sort of till it feels like we've exhausted what we had to talk about. I mean, I think that, I think when, you know, when you're not, the chair, maybe you don't have as, at least I didn't have as much of an appreciation for that. I think when you're the chair and you're, you're, you're sort of like sensitive to the fact that this is taking a long time, you start to appreciate more of the fact that people are willing to engage in it. Um, and and you, instead, of, uh, instead of just sort of checking out. And so I've been proud of the body for the deliberations we've engaged in and that every commissioner has been willing to participate in for uh, the back and forth that we've had I mean, like you said here, I mean, there have been differences in opinion um, that have been sort of uh, teased out or brought to the surface. And, um, and I've enjoyed the back and forth, particularly where like you have two different perspectives and the two commissioners are willing to sort of go back and forth. Because one, I think one risk um, in having a, a board that where we all get along and like maybe, you know, some might say we're passive or something, you know, because we're not fighting all the time, which I, I think is a mischaracterization. But one risk is to not use um, uh, differences in opinions to like uh, sharpen issues and really get to the um, get to the crux of it. And I think that we've had times like that where someone has had a strong position on or a strong opinion on one on one side and someone's had on the other, and we've been able to sort of see a back and forth or. or hear one side, have the other side talk, and either not reach an agreement or just kind of be able to um, uh, narrow in on what the real issue is. Those times, and I can't think of a specific right now, but I've, after meetings where that's happened, I've been proud of the board 
for doing that instead of it just being sort of, you know, we all just go along and get along. You know, I think that can happen sometimes um, where you feel like you have to reach consensus. It's a good goal, but it's not going to happen every time. So I've, I've been really just during the last year where I've had to be the chair. You had to be chair. Yeah. <laughs> well, once you're, once you're in, you have to be yeah, exactly. I couldn't stop, right? Well, I, I, I will say, since I'm the newest one, uh, for you, Luke, I, I have been very impressed on how the meetings have run. The, the, the way you have handled uh, when you had to cut people off or how you responded, uh, Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, whatever. I thought it was very conducive to having a smooth running meeting. Now you may have been the worst chairman ever. That's right. You have I just thought you ran it well. And then Sharon, when you have done it, the same thing. It seems like it has been a smooth transition where you have stepped in and said, okay, I am now doing this. So I just the leadership that you two have shown has been very impressive to me. And I thought, wow, you're really knowledgeable about what's going on. Then I hear you meet the Thursday before the meeting <laughs> exactly. and, and talk. So that's, 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 that's the secret. <laughs> that may be the secret sauce, but for me, it has worked. It has worked. I have always thought, well, you were in charge. You were running the show. When you needed something answered, a question you would ask, one of the staff would respond to you. So that has been, I guess, as impressive as anything because I have been in meetings where the leadership has been lacking and I, I didn't feel that it was here. So that would be my, yeah. one of the positives. Thanks, Charlie. And I would say just in response to that, I think I've been fortunate <clears throat> to have like succeeded, you know, David, Jim and Karen, who I thought were all fantastic chairs. And I, uh, or Karen, I can't remember who it was, but I mean, What's that? Eric. That's right. And so, I mean, I think there's been a stretch where it's like you can just sit back and kind of watch and be like, that's a great way to handle that or whatever. So I feel like it's built to the extent anything positive has happened. Well, maybe you were the worst thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. How worse. would I know? No, and, and the thing is, for the last, for David and Lou, they had everything by Zoom. Oh. I mean, I had to do the first <laughs> Zoom one. And it is so different. Having done both, <laughs> it is so different trying to run a meeting on the screen than it is to be in that room. I you can see everything, yeah. everybody. <laughs> yeah. People start squirming, so you call on them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that was the trick. In the public. Yeah, we, we got no handle on what the public's doing during the, mm -hmm. our meetings now. Well, that's hard. We couldn't have handled big springs on Zoom. You know, just that interaction, there's so much anger. That it, been, it would have been better. Yeah. I don't want to be too, do too much talking. Though. I was going to say, in that line, I would just say, super proud and grateful of, uh, grateful toward, proud of um, staff for the amazing transition into the Zoom world and how we cancel one meeting and then we just 
to hit yeah. our stride. I thought that was really phenomenal. And Kurt, thank you. Keeping everything running. I mean, see, as someone who works remotely, I'm on Zoom all the time anyway. So it, for me, it was just, I felt perfectly natural in that, almost perfectly natural. Except when people were shouting on Zoom, which is a lot more difficult to stop. Yeah. One thing I would have loved is a mute. Yeah, yeah. That's okay, you yeah. don't have a gavel, right? right. But, but um, no, that was, I think, uh, that transition, I'm, I'm stunned by how successful the transition to Zoom is. Maybe more successful the transition back to hybrid to in-person. Yeah. So, credit to the commission on, on being flexible to go with us because what we didn't know in March to what we knew in April, what we know now has been, been with it all along and kept with us. So it's been all of us in that process. So I'd like to revisit this issue of like public gatherings and how you deal with discord in the mm -hmm. meetings. And I'd like to compare, say, the, the Big Springs with the water tower discussion <laughs> and how Zoom influences um, the dynamic. Mm -hmm. I'm curious from folks, I mean, let's see, so you chaired during the, the Big Springs as yeah. Um, as a, I know you were in charge of that meeting and not in charge of the of the, uh, the water tower meeting. I'm curious from your perspective. You water I did. Oh, yeah. <coughs> I was threatened with being fired. Right. All of us. Wow. <laughs> all of us elected <laughs> officials were going to be recalled. <laughs> uh -huh. <So. clears throat> I for just a little. Since I know nothing about what you're okay, talking yeah, about, yeah. <laughs> there was what happened, Big Springs, what we're referring to. Just a county point of order, region. Jim, though, real quick. Oh, I just want to make sure when we talk about, if we're going to talk about Water Tower, that's, that's, is that that's a, not done. Okay, oh, so okay. I, so, okay. but we can talk yeah. about Thank you. the difference in the Zoom meeting. Okay, yeah, yeah exactly. Because I'm not, yeah, I'm talking about the dynamic of. Okay, of I just want to make sure we don't hear. Yeah, that's, no, that's got yellow you. signs up. Right okay. <laughs> um, but no, the Big Springs, the context was the county redid all the zoning and they created special village zoning for a couple of areas. Mm -hmm. One of them was Big Springs. They were very upset. They had a community meeting. I went to Barrier's there. I can't remember who went with Barry Miller. But I walked in after we had done our first meeting where they were just, they left the room cussing at us. I mean, but they were all lined up in the back of the meeting room. I can't remember I, if they had signs or not, if it was the one. But sometimes- I was followed out to the parking lot, somebody yelling at me. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, they were very, very heated about the whole thing because they didn't quite understand what it was. But then after that meeting, Mary Miller went out with another planner, and I'm sorry, I can't remember who went with her. Tanya surely went with her, didn't she? Maybe it was Tanya. But Tanya, it was it you? Yeah. Out of the church in Big Springs, and I walk in and just got all these dirty looks when I walked in to listen. But by the end of the meeting, after Mary was so good at it, and Tanya was so good at it, they were all like, okay. Mm -hmm. And when they came back to the next meeting, 
because their zoning district was crafted for them with their ideas. So that was that was an interesting thing. It went from a very hostile meeting mm -hmm. to there was a great resolution to it. But that was so that was all in person. Right. So that had the benefit of being able to do that in person and you have a better there's just meetings go better in person, I think, if you have a controversial issue. Because people you can read all the body language, you can see that you know, the people that are there that are making decisions are not really antagonistic towards you. They're willing to listen and they're willing to figure out what will work. Contrary to the Zoom meetings where you don't know what's going on behind the Zoom meeting or who's in the room with the other people egging them on or what else is going on, because that can be happening. I mean, it's the same issue with the courts with Zoom trying to do trials by Zoom, you have no idea right. who's sitting there when you're supposed to be segregating witnesses or somebody's not supposed to be helped with the answer. You don't know what's sitting So, you know, David, you had the unfortunate thing. It's just like this monologue going on without any big, any group dynamic to it. There's individual monologue. But sometimes you don't want the group. <laughs> The anti-mask people showing up at the county commission and just egg each other on to no end. <laughs> mom mentality. So there's pros and cons to that. But yeah. just having a chance to like talk to some of the members of the public before the meeting or on a break or, or walk out with them afterwards if it's in an ongoing issue, just to listen and connect as, as humans. It's not you know violating any meeting things. It's just I think that helps because it, you know on Zoom nobody's real, so you can be as mean to them as you want. Like that yeah, in both directions, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, in the sense that the person yeah. moderating the, the meeting is not real either. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, you know, just speaking personally from that that particular meeting, I think one thing I was just proud of staying calm. You know, because uh, it, it's, it can be a real challenge when you're being personally attacked to uh, uh, just keep things in perspective, you know, but, uh, and, and it's one of the things that makes me, so I've got a brother-in-law who's a traffic engineer in San Francisco. And, you know, the, the accountability that public officials have um, and kind of the visibility with respect to the public makes me endlessly grateful to staff for, for what they have to uh, encounter from time to time from public. Because I think whether it's like the Big Springs thing or the water tower thing, often it's you know the government. You know, these people who are trying to step in and tell it, tell us what we can do and what our neighborhood is going to look like. And it, it, it's kind of like an inherently antagonistic situation. So being in a position where you can try to kind of leaven the tension and try to just keep things going can be a, a challenge. Mm -hmm. Any, does anybody have anything they'd like to share from the standpoint of where they feel like we can do better? Well, the worst meeting I had was the one with the county zone because it was too much too fast. And so I think the bigger issues we need to take in smaller bites, 
because that was too much. I mean, it's just there was, was no way Jim? to know what was coming, what to prepare for. The zoning change. Yeah, we changed all of the county zoning rules in one meeting. And we had the packet five days ahead of time. So it, it, it did not work, go well. There was no way to, to order it. There was no logic to it. People were getting up, complaining about different parts. We, had, we didn't really have any time to understand what we were doing. So that would have probably helped to have like a month meeting or two before it came up. Yeah, so I we could have organized it because there was no way to even, even well, figure it out. They've had all the public meetings out in the county. And so I'd gone to two of those and Scott had gone to two different ones. So like we were pretty well versed, but I yeah, would, nobody else. And I, would, I, I felt really out of depth in that one. Just huge. And, and I hadn't been on for that long. And I was like, I don't even understand the acronyms yet. <laughs> right. I, I had foggy idea what people were talking about. I mean, I tried as best I could to read through it. Oh, it, my scariest meeting was the first one for the comp plan because the plan was plan everything out ahead of time like what's going to happen and how you're going to tackle it was the public would all come and they would have lots of things to say and then we would line out our work plan from that and nobody showed up snowing <laughs> and it was a KU basketball game yeah. and, and so they're like we have this huge topic in front of us and I have zero idea how to tackle it in this meeting. So anyway, we lined it out and we spent, you know, 50 hours on it after mm, that. Yeah. So <laughs> we got there, but that first meeting, like, well, no, what? <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Um, I think the comp plan was my proud moment. Was your proud moment? Absolutely. Because, I mean, our, our proud moment, because I'd been on the, uh, the committee, the not planning committee before, I don't know what the name is, steering, yeah. steering committee uh, for just a short time after uh, Patrick had moved off of it. And, and it was, you know, hurting cats and, and a lot of the different opinions that people didn't know how to channel, channel that into something. It was a lot of good voices we needed to hear, but they didn't know how to hear from each other. And then when it came to us, I felt like we did, like we heard from the public, we heard from each other. We took it slowly, got through it. It was miserably long and late meetings, but I think everybody just brought their best selves to it. And, and remember, after we passed Plan 2040, when it went to the city commission, the only topic of conversation were two paragraphs. Mm -hmm. that was yeah. And in one of those, it was one word in the sentence. Mm -hmm. So it was... Yeah. It was it's because I went along with Karen and let us change the language. Because I went along with Karen and said, let's change language. And that meeting where it went to the city commission and I was supposed to come and say something, something. When they were, it was the last item on there. It was like 1130 at night. And I had fallen asleep back at Kurt's desk and he put me on camera. <laughs> Unproud moments. That's hilarious. Well, David, I will add one more. Since I uh, do not do Zoom unless, I can't even think what would, I would say after it unless. Um, so I have come to every meeting, come to town. I was very proud of the people who came to speak about solar. Mm -hmm. Now, they had an opportunity to, to be ugly and demonstrate and do things. They did not. I think, by and large, it was very respectful. They listened to one another. Um, I got to talk with a lot of them 
I got called back to the meeting sometimes because I was talking to them. <laughs> but those are people who cared and I thought were able to express themselves in most cases very well and spoke to a <clears throat> spoke to an issue they have. Um, and I was proud of those people for coming and doing that. And I, I said, more power to you. That, that is what you need to do. So <clears throat> that was a, a good experience. And you didn't get to see it. You only got to see the one person who came and spoke and not, <clears throat> excuse me, and not what was going on with the rest of the people who were there and were out in the lobby and waiting to speak at them. I was, I was very proud of those people. And several of them asked, how do I get on the commission? Really? Yes. <laughs> Which that, I think that's one of our, our um, yes. That is one of our topics. Well, if they they may not be eligible if they secede from the county. Yes, if they become <laughs> I think we can put that on hold. So anyway, I was really pleased. I was really pleased with the people who came and spoke. I was pleased you were there. I just felt like that's one of those topics that should have been handled in person and we just couldn't. Yeah. Well, so just that's, having somebody. That's why I did the one, but then I read, I, all I could see on the computer in front of me was myself. <laughs> I could figure out, and I couldn't see the rest. <laughs> so, so until halfway through the meeting, I was like, oh, wait, oh. maybe this is Zoom too. So I went to gallery. <laughs> <laughs> and to, to YouTube. Uh, I I think how you handle all the questions that came to you uh, and just how knowledgeable you were, or you or I only heard you say today when out from the back of my head I'm going to try and pull some, <clears throat> but you came up with answers or you looked them up right then and said I'm I'm going to go to the regs and look and see what's going on, or you called upon one of the other people on Zoom and said Hey, what about this? So. I, I've just been impressed with the, uh, I want to say professionalism. I don't know that that's even the right word, but, but just how it has been handled so responsibly, I would say. And so I thought you guys have done a great job of doing that. Can I ask a question? Not necessarily proud or not proud, but kind of tangential to it. How important do you think consensus is? Mm -hmm. Good question. Um, I have I an have answer, an answer. <laughs> but... <laughs> oh, okay. I have an answer. Well, I believe consensus is important in terms of moving in a direction, like guiding a conversation. But I think dissent is really important in terms of ensuring that all perspectives are considered. I think it depends whether we're doing legislative or the quasi-judicial. Mm -hmm. if, if we are split on the quasi-judicial ones, all the better mm -hmm. because it covers all bases. If we're proposing a new text amendment, the closer we can get to every being, everybody being comfortable with it, the more likely it's going to work um, in the long run with fewer glitches. So great perspective. That's a good distinction. Yeah. Great perspective. I feel more comfortable taking a position if I think somebody else is also going to take the opposite position so that we get both heard. 
Um, I'm, I'm okay to be the only, but I want to make sure that there's pushback so that mm -hmm. you don't miss something. Hmm. I think from Jim the, and I tag team a little bit. Unknown, but... <laughs> I think from the perspective, like it's not planned, but <laughs> I think we can read each other. Might go opposite sometimes. I was going to say, from the standpoint of guiding a discussion, I think it's helpful when you have perspectives building on other perspectives. You almost you almost have a narrative that is building. Um, and then a counter narrative can be really helpful. I think, I think the least satisfying discussions for me is when there's just a hodgepodge of lots of different thoughts, but not really a flow. Yeah. Um, so when you say consensus or to, to direction, you just have to. Just yeah, got it. Yeah. That's part to come. Yeah. Even when it starts out, it'll start to narrow. Well, when you're like an hour in and it still yeah. feels like a hundred yeah. hundred. Yeah. Awesome. You have the moments of silence like, and that's when you're just like, okay, let's have a vote. <laughs> Is that? Yeah, yeah, I didn't think there was going to be necessarily one. Yeah, I didn't think we have consensus on that question. But uh, yeah, great, good discussion. One of the few times where I felt kind of worried about decision making was when we left, and I was the only rural mm -hmm. person on the or county person. Some of us are appointed by the county, but living outside of the city of Lawrence. Sure. And I felt like if I had a, if I brought a perspective, nobody wanted to counter it, and so it really felt like working without a net, um, because it's like I don't, I don't want to be right. I want to put it out there for other people to poke at it and push at it, and it felt like too much of a burden to try and speak for a whole huge population with like no pushback. Yeah. So I think you know, one of the things I think we're going to talk about in our upfront questions is. Everybody needs to weigh in on everything. Like every perspective is needed, whether you live in the city, live in the county, feel like you have a lived experience with it or not. Like the, it's still important to voice all the things that you think about. Hmm. And that is still a degree of frustration with me a little bit is that not everybody brings their perspective to the table. Yeah. There's those moments of silence when there's people on the commission that aren't, aren't, aren't giving their opinion. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's because they don't, feel like they know the issue enough or understand the issue enough or if they feel like something's already been said so there's no sense in you know dragging out the meeting just to repeat what somebody else said I don't know what it is but I, I feel like there's something missing when when people don't add their thoughts and perspectives I wonder in those situations I think there are times maybe when people don't feel like they have more to add than what's been talked yeah. about and I wonder if it would just be helpful just for people that have been silent on a matter just to say just to say that like mm -hmm. I you know I I don't really have anything to add I agree with plus one so-and-so's comments really resonated with me and just so that it's known that you're not just right. holding back yeah or not yeah. paying attention or whatever a suggestion to our incoming most likely chair just call on <laughs> Just say, you know, do you have any thoughts on Yes. Yeah, and I'll, if, if I should become chair, Karen, I will make Karen's that referring to squirming in the chair from being in the room. That was Jim Weaver. Oh. He would sit there. He would mm -hmm. never open his mouth, but he would start doing this. And he just couldn't work up the nerve to talk. So I'd ask him. Mm -hmm. And boy, he always had these well-formed, wonderful thoughts. He just was too shy to put them out until he was called on. 
So mm -hmm. just call on people. Oh, I, I'm going to give warning before I do that. <laughs> I'm not going to spring it on <clears throat> Jeff, speaking of squirming, you look like you mm -hmm. might want to say yeah. something. <laughs> well, I, I think the question you posed earlier about uh, you know, things that staff have that, you know, I actually want to turn that question around and say the thing that staff is proud of when you do during the meeting is that discussion, that conversation, and, and having, telling us why. I think that's the key is because if we can understand the why to a vote, it, it helps us understand you know what's working or what's not working from the code from your perspective or what's not going well. So we really always appreciate that as a conversation point. And I you know we all sit through a lot of long meetings and um, we'd love the plus one option, you know, or the thumbs up or, or extend that one, but we do appreciate when you take the time to tell us. I'm voting for this and here's why, or I'm, I'm not with you on this and here's why not. That, that helps us get better and understand what you're looking for. It helps us understand what we were our code small short from our community expectations. And we really value that. Now, sometimes that's just obvious from the discussion, right? Yes. Like, you know, if, if it's been clear that you're sort of going against the grain of where everyone else is thinking, you don't have to like say it again at the vote. But I think there are sometimes when Sometimes there are no votes that catch me off guard. So right. I go, I really yeah, like I didn't hear anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and those are the ones. What that, if we needed to know? What if we needed to know that? What if it would have changed the whole Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, those are the ones that always <clears throat> get my attention. Because I'm always like, what what's what was what's missing that? from the right. conversation? What's missing in the code? What what are we not what's not being valued mm -hmm. appropriately by the community here? So that those are the ones that always kind of I yeah. put a little check mark to go, let's go back to this. Let's mm -hmm. maybe, you know, dig into this mm -hmm. a little bit more and find out what else is there. So that, those are valuable for us to have. We don't get to see Jeff's facial expressions on <laughs> which are minimal, uh -huh. but very revealing. <laughs> yeah, I'm usually watching staff body language. <laughs> they start squirming. Great. One person missing from today that I have to get props to on all that is Kyle, because Kyle has been the absolute zoom master for, you know, getting the camera and doing all the room and things and that, and, um, you know, I don't know how he gets whatever camera view he gets up here, or whatever cuts to in those situations. But we can work on that. We can it's usually kind of a C-span view. You. You're kind of like we see yeah, the shape of more like right too far in the distance. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there was nothing, nothing to compare to the look. What was which one? We all it was a unanimous no to the text amendment for the student apartment complex. Uh, oh, on, on uh, 11th Street. No, down on. Oh, the here thing. The what is one? the cross street? Oh, one's traffic way. No, the one that encircles the daycare. Crestline. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, that, that yeah, when that one, when we went at ten zero on the text amendment. <laughs> I know. Oh, really? The jaws just hit the table. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could recall that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually wonder if that some of these comments are a good segue into dealing with. Yes, some of these. I was going to say thank you. Um, like, like representation on the commission was one of the something that, that Charlie brought up. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious if, from staff's perspective, if you feel like there is a 
balance <clears throat> perspectives. Well, first it's the city versus for city county perspective, but then it's other voices within the city or within the county. Yeah, when you think about you, you cover eighty percent of the population of Douglas County. Mm -hmm. The work that you do is covering eighty percent of the population, and of that, eleven percent of it is in, in unincorporated county. Give or come. Rounding in my head, so I might be off by a couple here and there. But I mean, I think when you look at the composition of the board, I think it's it, it's going to be hard for ten people to represent one hundred and twenty thousand people. So I think it's the composition is going to ebb and flow as people come on and they come on. And I think you know we always think about it in terms of do we have any number of things covered: urban versus rural, young versus old, new versus born here. I mean, there's any number of iterations that you can have as part of that conversation, but I've, I've always felt good about the composition of the planning commission since I joined with the, with the office because it, it's changed and it's evolved and it grows over time, but it's um, a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different expertise, um, a lot of different interests, quite truthfully. One thing that I work with a lot of commissions is they won't bring their interests into the discussion. You all are, are engaged in those interests and you need to elevate them to levels that need to be at because your interests are the community's interests. And so sometimes you work with a commission and it's just that won't come into it. So I always I've always personally valued that and you bring your interests, your expertise, your understanding of the table. That's been powerful. You know, the county appoints a little differently than how the city appoints, but you know, your bylaws and the ordinance that you were enabled under 1969 is, is a five and five situation. So you do have the rarity of being an even numbered body in the tie voting mm -hmm. fund that I always have to go through. Um, but I think it's a good balance when you look at the impacts of what that is. I think I said this for the who suffered from the comprehensive plan is that an action in the city will affect the county, and the county action will affect the city. The, the actions don't care about lots. And you've seen some of that with 2040s and the discussions you've had about, about growth, and, you know, there's different patterns there. I, I've always appreciated having a body that was five five in that respect because there are things that you just we're not going to know. And it's going to have to be a lived experience or an expertise that's going to drive that up. And so we've always valued it that way. The city commission will appoint, mayor appoints for the city commission. It's done through an application process online. The county appoints through the chair. And they, they kind of have a, a very similar process about trying to find someone to fit the role and have those conversations. And people kind of elevate up to those discussions. Um, now, I'm sure you're all aware of this, but I think this needs to be said is that you know, planning staff does not have any sway in the appointments. We're only notified of an appointment when it lands on the agenda. Right. And the first time that we ever talk about it is when we do your onboarding mm -hmm. commission and we go through the kind of, you know, one hour crash course on here's everything under the sun, you know, <laughs> and here we're going to next. So we'll see you at the next meeting. <laughs> um, so it's like, you know, that's our chance to kind of learn about what, what is your background? What do you, what do you want to do? What is, what do you think is happening in there? But it goes back to that question about what you all give opinion on, I'm doing this vote and here's why. That, that helps us go back to that and say, okay, we're hearing a lot of this, but is that is that a lot of that in our community or is there something missing? Are we only hearing one of the same thing or is it not something there? The questions that I always have with, with our stuff is, um, there's a privilege to coming to a planning commission meeting. We have the privilege of, of the time to come mm -hmm. to it. Yeah. We have the privilege of education to understand what's going on. 
and you have the privilege and the ability that you're not tied to it. So if you're working two jobs, you're probably not going to plan anything. You're trying to keep the roof on, on the house, keep the lights on, do all those things. You care less what's going on, planning commission. So how do we get that work driven down to that level for those people that don't have the privilege to participate? That to me, I think, is, is a pet peeve that I have is you know, how do we go further into the conversation, not just those that we can hear from who have the privilege of attending and understanding, but also are we representing those that are not at that privilege level? I'll have a good solution, and I hate being the person that just drops a thing and not has an answer for it. something that I'm I'm aware of, and that's one of my I think that's pet peeves. Yeah, it's one of those things mm -hmm. that just kind of is always in the back of my mind. We talk about not just the composition of the board and whose voices aren't being heard. I always wonder about whose voices are not being heard in the public comment. Yeah, I mean it's a discussion for I mean every community wide. With everything outside the planning commission, part of the planning commission, and nobody's really everybody's struggling. Yeah. To do that. There's a big time commitment to come to one of your meetings. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. If an agenda gets reordered, oh, I'm number one. Now I'm twelve. <laughs> there's a little yeah. bit of a commitment there, but it, it's a privilege to attend one of the meetings. It's, I would recognize it as a privilege because if that's you can be very interested in what's going on in your neighborhood. Just not at any time. But if you got other things pressing, this is not going to yeah. happen. Yeah. I can talk about the city county thing. Just it's not the it's certainly not the only kind of voice representation discussion to have. But because we're five and five, I think we serve a pretty unique role in that we get to talk about that intersection of city and rural things. And I think that that's really powerful and that other committees and commissions don't get to do. And I think the city commission, county commission rely on us to be able to give both perspectives before it comes to them. Um, and even though I didn't like being the only rural person out of 10, I never felt like it had to be five rural people and five Lawrence people in order to, to bring that balance. I really don't. I think I would hate for it to be that divided that we felt like well, you guys weigh in on those and we'll weigh in on right. these because I think that's the danger if it's split that way. Sure. And so I think I think just being able to maintain that everybody has a responsibility, a full responsibility to every item. And if you don't know, ask somebody, find somebody, uh, make a friend who lives in a neighborhood that you don't, whatever. Um, but that is that is my personal opinion for the strength of it as opposed to <clears throat> feeling like there have to be five rural people from the, for the county uh, appointees. Well, I think, you know, somebody talking about um, the, the commission being one of those rare city-county commissions, and I think, you know, I come from a regional planning background where, you know, you can't, you cannot speak of a discrete city or a discrete county. There's always that interface. And, of course, there's the interface between say, uh, Douglas County and its surroundings. We saw that with the solar power uh, issue. Um, and the one of the strengths I think of this commission is the fact that we constantly deal with that interface. Like when we were talking about, um, you know, whether it's annexation or, um, you know, variances uh, on along the city limits. Uh, always thinking about we're empowered and we have the responsibility to think about um, that interface between rural and urban, and also about how that interface will change over time. I think one of the things that for me was a huge epiphany was through the, um, the series of variances 
or we, was it, I'm trying to remember if it was variances or rezonings. It was rezonings that we were encountering uh, with low density housing and then hearing from the city engineer talking about how much difficulty that created as the city grew into those areas. It's like, I had never thought of that before. And I know several of you had, but to me, Only thinking about it. Exposed to it. Yeah, I yeah. Not, it, right. it didn't come to the table. Was, these are issues that have popped up. In the, <coughs> so there was some understanding of right. a little bit. But right. they've expanded because the conversation has taken that route. Which that never used to be the conversation. Right now, it's the center point. How do we pay for the ongoing expense of infrastructure? How do we do that? And, you know, as part of the annexation and expansion project. So, yeah. And is that a function of Plan Twenty Forty that has kind of forced that conversation that route? I don't know where it started. It started before that. Okay. I know. <laughs> It was, it, was it, it started in how I first became aware of it was land. It was neighborhoods, the older neighborhoods. Why are we putting bill for new infrastructure mm -hmm. on the west side of town when ours is falling apart? And uh, that's that's was where I first mm -hmm. was exposed to hearing mm -hmm. about that, and it's evolved to now. Now the city commissioner talking about, okay, it's gonna cost X amount to put in this water tower, X amount. We gotta figure out what we're gonna do with all of this before we push out the mountain. And that wasn't the talk when most of the west side of town was approved. Okay. So I just want to do a time check. We've got technically four minutes left on this session. Um, I wanna thank everybody for your perspectives. I'd also, just a couple notes, one, with respect to the pet peeves, um, uh, I'd like to direct people's attention to page 35 of the packet, which talks about staff suggestions for you know commissioners, you know conduct and and uh, and preparation, um, and then um, just as we head into the second half of the day, ask folks to keep an eye on these upfront questions, see which ones if if they're your question or even if they're not if you think they've been answered or addressed in some way, and if not, look for ways to, to work them into the conversation and questions as we head into the afternoon. Any, uh, any one that we want to raise in the last two, three minutes before we uh, move on to the work plan? That conversation about voices, I think, needs to be something that we always talk about, and, and, and not just the fact that we have had very low levels of you know, racial diversity on mm -hmm. our group, but you know, what's our age diversity, and are we hitting that because we have different life experiences and how we inter interact with land use? Uh, male and female will lose two women off the board and possibly not gain any, right. which means might be the only one, Aaron. Um, so, so that perspective, when we talk about, like, we've had three people, like, specifically trained for environmental purposes, like, we have four, four of 10, so that's, that's a lot, like, maybe we don't need any more of that for the moment until those start cycling off, or for a while we had three, like, really strong bike pen um, mm -hmm. advocates, and so it's good to have those voices, it's nice not to be the only one, but at some point, you know, you need to let, you know, let our commissions know, like, hey, we've got that one, mm -hmm. this is a, what else we need, you know, four attorneys, how many attorneys is one board needed? You know, and, and our education level, that's just part, of, part of that privilege thing is that we can hand, you know, people with more education are less intimidated by 
like reading through the packet and being prepared and that sort of thing. So we'll always miss those perspectives. But the one that I've uh, kind of felt, I think was um, every, most everybody here gets its paycheck. Um, you know, those of us that are entrepreneurs, we, we only, you know, we only get paid if we're successful yeah. and it really changes. Like the people who bring items before us are most likely entrepreneurs. Like we say no, yep. not only does it you know, hurt them financially, but it hurts them financially in the fact that they've put out a risk mm-hmm. that will not have reward. And they know that they risks and rewards, but you know, so um, people who build things, people who um, are in manufacturing and, and, and that line of work, because we don't have those voices. We don't have those voices much, I should say, you know, what little we've done with building forklifts or building houses and going through that process. And I know how vulnerable that is to go forth to a public process mm-hmm. with people you don't know, don't trust. Generally, they don't like each other. This group is different. Um, and you pay a lot of money to be there. And it's, it's scary when you're the mom and pop application coming through, realizing that everybody else has kind of this, um, this support network that you don't have. So uh, I think the, what I brought to it was the blue collar, like what, mm-hmm. which is not my whole life, but that's part of my life. And, and I think that's something we need to kind of proactively ask for. Um, I know you always hear to people who've been on city commission a long time, like, or, or even the planning office, like, oh, I remember when it used to be all developers on the planning commission. It's like, yeah, but we're not now. Like the pendulum swings and you can't pretend like it's here when it's all the way to the other side. So we need to have the voices of people who understand the lived experience of the, of the applicants that come before us. That's a great point. So, so rather than, if I could, rather than let time manage me, I'd rather manage the time, so even though we're over the four minutes. When Karen was talking about <clears throat> can people in the county, uh, unincorporated areas, understand what's going on in the city and make rational decisions, and can people in the unincorporated, she said to me, Charlie, you're looking at me funny. What, what is that about? Well, something Jeff said when we were talking about uh, ethics, perception, Mm. is everything. If, you know, if the county commissioners are listening, that's great. There is probably no item that stirs up the people that talk to me than, oh, all three county commissioners live where? Oh, in the city of Lawrence. Don't worry, that could soon change to five. (laughs) Yes, that could soon change to five. So the perception is, I think, with many who showed up to speak at our uh, planning commission meetings, those that I see every day will say, I don't think they give a rat's ass what we think out in the unincorporated areas. But I think the same can also be said about us. Do I think that you care about what happens in the unincorporated area? Yes. Do I think, and I could go around the room and say yes, because you've demonstrated that. Perception is reality. And if we don't have a Karen on the board that I think is well known, that I know is well known, is well respected, then I think that can be found at Dad Gum Planning Commission again. You're just city folk. Mm-hmm. Do they really care? And for me to say, well, 
you know, I'm on it. And, and the answer is, yeah, I, I know they care. Doesn't necessarily carry a lot of weight. So I think it is important to have people from the unincorporated areas on here. And is it difficult to get, <clears throat> um, I won't say everybody that lives out in the county is a farmer or working hard or poor or whatever, but it is, it has been difficult for me when I have talked with some people about getting on there. Charlie, gosh, I don't know that I can. Part of it's education, that fear. My brother is a lawyer, so I can say with some new lawyers can be a pain in the butt. <laughs> uh, and I think that was probably the first thing I said, Jeff and Becky, when I sat down with them. Uh, we all can be. We educated people who have the time, the money to do it. Mm -hmm. Do we really, do I, Charlie Thomas, really represent? Well, I don't know. I'm glad to do this. But I think it is important that the county commissioners get more people from the unincorporated area on here, if nothing else, for the perception which is reality. So I agree with you, but we've got to get more unincorporated people on this board. And I think there will be more support. There will be more knock on wood, more involvement. Well, I think if we do more of what we did with the solar and going out, yeah. meeting, I think I, that helped a lot. That was helpful. I will tell you, the people that talked to me said that was helpful. Having and, you go out well, there. We don't, we don't usually have that opportunity, unfortunately, but it'd be, it'd be good if we could get to more public meetings about various planning issues not not even if it's specific things why can't we township meetings are mighty tiny though if you want to go someplace go to the uh, pork and pie fest at lone star church go to the uh, tacos at warden go to stull church when they're having the the uh, uh, luncheons they have go to clinton church go to these places just to show up well, tell Just us to invite some of us to come out. I, I'm inviting you right now. <laughs> I don't know. There, there is. I, I will bring. If, if that's what needs, I will bring a list of every church out in the county where we have these things that we we support one another. And you had me at pork and pie festival. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Lone Star Church, the best pancakes and sausage you're ever gonna find at Lone Star Church. Turkey Supper at Clinton Church is going to have 350 to 450 people show up for that, and we've done it for forever. Forever. The breakfast. So, I, I will bring those dates. Yeah. I will get yeah. those dates. So, I will bring them. What we need is an outreach committee. Well, we used to have I, it that uh, well, uh, Commissioner DeRusso gave, uh, she sent out uh, a monthly newsletter. It had every activity anywhere in the west half of the county. And really, it was I, the I best guess. way to oh, know who's our, who's our on the Board of Education that us, uh, State Board Ann of Education. Yeah, Ann Ma sends that out. So Ann will send out every activity that's going on in the county for all of the churches. I'd love to see that. For Big Springs, out of, out of the county, but for Big Springs, I mean, for very... 
so that's one of the ways that I think we can make an impact. However, I've never seen a county commissioner since uh, we got rid of Jim and we got rid of Jerry and we got rid of Michelle that has ever showed up out in any of our churches. But I think I see this one at our pork and pie <laughs> on Star and, and uh, yeah, that's that's a way to do it. But I think the perception is we are kind of an elitist. Mm -hmm. What, what do you do with four lawyers? Yeah. <laughs> well, and also, I mean, you know, those are work full time. This is a volunteer gig. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think there is no yes. way I am going to be able to spend all my off evenings at all these events. Right. Yeah. So there's got to be a little bit of understanding yeah. that we can't be everywhere. And, and I'm sure I come across as, yeah. oh, you sorry rats. <laughs> Why don't you? That, that is not it. But I think the perception is, gosh, Karen's gone. Now we only have Charlie. So we should get paid. What? Yeah. We, should, we should up our pay. Yeah. Yeah. Then we can. I, I want double my current <laughs> Well, it is true that you'll be the only girl president again, just the same that I was for that short period of time. And, and that's awful. I mean, that's a real failure of the system. Now, hopefully, we'll come up with some good appointees from the county to replace those. But um, yeah, I mean, I was saying we don't need to have five rural appointees, but I, I think we should never, ever have one. Mm -hmm. We should have three. We should have four. I, my only concern is that I don't want people to not weigh in when it's the opposite, because uh, I, I think yeah. that's the that's the fear that we would yeah. use that. Um, the, the good thing is David and I sent a letter to the county commission. Yes, yeah. take care of you. <laughs> Well, I, it was a damn good one yeah, since it took yeah. seven months. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and just to put a, a cap on this so we can move on to the next topic, do you know how many applications there actually are for planning commissions? <laughs> just thinking. The county, it's not the chair. It's all three of them are supposed to. Try to find so I'm just curious, in. like how many applications are sitting in the no. in the basket for the city? Yeah, because they don't any, apply for the well, county. There apparently. aren't applications. There's no applications for the county. For the county. No. Oh, they don't have applications. They oh, I think. No, it's just okay. the city requires that you fill out a form. Right. Okay. Well, how many of those? Or are there? or you're approached and then you're asked a oh, right to fill that, that right. says why you want to be on it. So right. they have some. But just thinking of the practical. Like what the what is the pool? Don't I mean I have no um, idea how many twenty two thousand people yeah. live in the unincorporated areas. Yeah, we anyway. usually we somebody reaches out and they ask us, and that's how it was with me and was it with fifty, mm -hmm. right? Somebody reached yeah, out somebody asked, reached yeah. out to me. Yeah. I yeah. I didn't even know what this well, thing existed. But you're you're the eighth person asked me. Mm -hmm. It had to go through because they kept approaching people, and it's because of the time commitments. Everything else has been brought up. It took going through a lot of people until they found the best willingness to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's really it's really tough, and I know I know the mayor is doing the same thing, trying to find people for boards and commissions. It is hard to get people to volunteer their time especially with everything else that's going on. Okay. Well, that was a, that's a good to know that, that eight. I, I didn't even know that. So it's good yeah. to know. Yeah, so looking at mm -hmm. others that come from the unincorporated areas. It's, it's rough. Mm -hmm. It's rough to find people to, to say that they're willing to put in a the time consistently 
to be in. And they're either already serving on the PBA or they're already on yeah. the township board. Like they're, we get some right. of the repeat people. So, right. well, thank you. Let's wrap that everybody. up. And so, everybody yes. here should be listening yeah. for names mm -hmm. and feeding them to commissioners, too. I do. A lot of I know Karen does. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I yield my time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so, next on the docket um, is the update on the work plan, thinking of all the subjects coming up. Uh, <laughs> And uh, by the way, a perfectly acceptable sign that are over because I don't know that we need to do that. So I just wanted to uh, have an update on our three year work plan. Um, this was um, about a year ago. Um, so this work plan covers 2022 through 2024. Um, so we are currently working on uh, items listed here under 2022. Um, a couple of them, the climate change adaption and the uh, stream buffer ordinance, those are, are items that we are working in partnership with other departments and not necessarily taking the lead on those. Um, the big ones here that we're currently uh, uh, be deep in our, uh, the annexation policy and then working on the two uh, the updates to our two plans. So we, we're currently working on that uh, update to the East Lawrence Neighborhood Plan and on the West of K-10 Plan, which we are naming to more appropriately the uh, Western Development Plan. Uh, and so Mary's here because she, if you can believe it, actually has the time to tackle one more thing. And uh, uh, one of the lead planners working on that one, so she can help answer if you have any questions about where we're at and that, where we're going with that. Um, but basically, the, um, for both of these plans, where we're at right now is um, information gathering. So we're uh, uh, in, uh, in the midst of public participation where we're um, asking, what, you know, what do we not know? Tell us, tell us what tell us it's a, more of a listening session at this point. Then later we would be um, drafting plans going back out to our public discussion on uh, those draft plans and things like that. Uh, and before we talk too much more about the specifics of those, we have questions for Mary. Uh, we are tackling other plans um, in the next, next two years also. So in uh, 2023 on the docket is the updates to the hop plan, which is the Hillcrest, Old West Lawrence, Peking neighborhood plan, also a Peking neighborhood plan into that. Um, and then the area plan update would be the uh, And then in 2024, uh, we have on the docket the Indian Hills neighborhood and the revised Southern Development Plan. If we were to have a column on these tables of status, and like, you know, or, or red light, yellow light, green light. How do the 2022 and 2023 projects look? Like is 2022, are these all, you know, in progress or on, or on, on schedule? Underway. I know that uh, Kim Kreiner Ritchie and Kathy Richardson with the city are, are both working on 
the different parts of that one for providing assistance when needed. Uh, Becky has got the annexation policy underway and actually had a presentation uh, pretty late on Tuesday to the city commission to kind of get some more guidance from them on what they want to see out of the annexation policy. And so we have a better idea of understanding the direction from that. So we're going to take that input and start going back to the table and redraft that. To give you an idea, that, that policy specifically was adopted, I think, in 1996. <laughs> so it corresponds to the rise of 2020. And it's clearly probably not the most up to date. Um, stream buffer ordinance is one that we're working on with MSO, and it had some other things that they had to address. So that one has not gotten very far down the path, but it is something that they're trying to clear the table to get to at this point in time. And quite truthfully, the East Lawrence plan and is going to have their first meeting here in a couple of weeks. Um, next week, revised Southern, excuse me, revised Western Development Plan at their first meeting two weeks ago. Last week? Last week? May 12th, whenever May 12th. That Whatever date we're on, it was May 12th. <laughs> and so I got good input on that one. And so that's kind of an that I think pretty much most of those are green lighted. The one thing we didn't talk about was the ones that were probably still underway that we had talked about. This was, these were the ones that were underway when mm. this planned mm. in place. As part of the land development code update, we actually closed all the open text amendments as part of that. So they could roll all that research and work into the update itself. So Accessory dwelling units was closed. We completed the affordable housing board text amendment that was carried out and completed. Um, so chapter 22 is still underway. Um, the land disturbance and grading regulations is underway. It's currently between planning uh, development services and MSO municipal services and operations with the city. They're still working and revising and, and going into the details on that was that was greenlit. Downtown plan is complete and adopted. So that one's done and, and set and ready to go. Um, County zoning and subrates, um, still going. We got some things that are in the works. Uh, you'll be seeing some different things popping up for that one. Lisa, you all know where that one is. And then the outdoor lighting TA, we closed that one out as part of the update process. Now they're going to be a provision update. So we should see all the TAs in our agenda sometime coming up soon. Yeah, they, they've all closed. The city commission closed them all. So the work on them is halted. They're going to the revision of the land building. Okay, so like related to the city portion, the county tax amendments are still open. So the city commission already dealt with ADUs? No, they didn't deal with them. They did just close the tax amendment and then we're rolling that work into the update. Okay, closed meaning that kind of Closed, not like finished. No, not finished, but it's just not a separate amendment, but it's part of the revision as a whole. Got it. Okay. Now, you had said the downtown master plan was ready to go. It's done. Do you, it's it, adopted I, by the city right. commission, so we're using it right now. We're implementing uh, the action okay. steps out of it. Okay. Um, so, go ahead. Oh, sorry, forgive me. Mm -hmm. The the twenty third Street um, corridor, or whatever. What can you explain? What happened to one hundred fifty thousand dollars was budgeted? <laughs> It, it was budgeted as planned to begin when COVID first happened. And so as part of COVID happening and budget constraints that occurred with COVID, they rearranged the money as Got part it. of that. And then it never materialized coming, coming out since. Wouldn't it have been nice to have had that? So does that not mean to the, the, road, the road even, the road repaving isn't even, a different, different is that a different item? Yeah. Okay. So. 
Yeah, this was only to study the, the land uses in the area around it. Okay. So anything that right. was didn't include the actual road. Okay. No, potholes will be filled, carpet okay. will be replaced. All right. Chapter 22, eight years underway. What's the, is that just really hard? It's really hard. And also, uh, we've gotten shifted around quite a lot, a lot of different items because it, it's been a lot of lower priority. Yeah, it's been moved down to get something else. It's always kind of jumped up in place of it, but it is something that we're trying to. Since we got some new staff on board, try to free up that time and get that moving with some speed. And a little bit like the neighborhood plans, they kind of got they get bumped down as other things rose up, and we're trying to get that one wrapped up too. Gotcha. And these are just updating existing plans. It's not right. the one for the neighborhoods. So. Yeah. haven't gotten their act together enough to ask for help. Mm -hmm. but we're in such a, we're in a much better place than we have been, you know, and Jeff was saying we just weren't able to, you know, it's nice that it's, it is um, the priority now on the plan and we have this, you know, we're working towards them every year now. Um, so it's pretty exciting. I, th I think um, planning staff is exciting to be working on long range planning. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is mm -hmm. in addition to all the Current planning applications that you know we talked about earlier today. So it's it's nice to um, get to do the other side of planning. It is mm -hmm. nice to see that finally because all your time is just trying to keep up with the yeah. current applications. I know I've tried to explain that several times. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was a fun. It was a staffing thing. You know, the city actually giving you more staff up front. Well, no, I'm a numbers person. I can just, I can tell you, if you think about what planners probably heard this a thousand times now, planning staff is working at 121% capacity, which means just to keep up with everything, they were doing 20% over a normal workload every week. And so there was no time to do anything but keep up with the applications coming in the door. And so the 50 some that you saw on the dashboard earlier, that required a lot of work. And that is a function of our code because it asks us to do all these applications and put it through all these reviews and do it all the time. Mm -hmm. And so when we put the numbers to it, we realized that you know, staff was working, go to major in terms of the week, they were doing 60 hour weeks, which is a break even on stuff most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we could never position ourselves mm -hmm. to talk about proactive mm -hmm. stance. You know, that's really it. How does a vehicle emissions, emissions fall into? <clears throat> Planning Commission Tremaine. domain, I should say. It was in Plan 2040 as an action item, and so it gets elevated as, as part of that discussion. It's probably going to be one of those that we partner with sustainability offices to have conversations about, or as part of, I probably use this opportunity to talk about uh, the role of Planning Commission in transportation plan. There we go. I'll lean back into this one. As part of your role with that is the Metropolitan Transportation Plan that is adopted by the MTO here. It's called Transportation 2040 currently. It's getting ready to be revised to the Transportation 2050. You incorporate and adopt that by reference as the transportation component of Plan 2040. So as part of your subcommittee, two of your commissioners sit on that policy board and guide that discussion commission part of being one of them at the moment and bring that, that discussion that you have to the policy board to interject that into that planning process. So it's really, you don't really have a, necessarily a hard 
connection to transportation planning, but you do input it through land use decisions that you see the company's plan that you adopt and work through and how you govern those sector, neighborhood, and area plans that we have. And so that's how that, that kind of dovetailed into it. So what form that takes and how that kind of coalesces is still to be determined, but it's kind of the realm that a land use decision and a building type that you do does have an input on that one because if you well, let's just pick on my favorite street, 6th Street. If I want to walk to something and I live downtown, I can walk somewhere, maybe go to a shop and do something. If I live at 6th and Lawrence, probably not got that opportunity as much, so I've got to drive somewhere. So how you program land use is affects the vehicle emissions that are important. So can David give us an example of how that interaction works? Of how what interaction? Well, just your role, give an example of what Jeff was just saying about your role on the transportation. What was, what's the proper name of it again? Metropolitan transportation. Yeah. In terms of, can you give an example of? Off the top of my head, by the end of the meeting, okay. I will be able right. to give you an right. Okay. I, if I may. Yeah, please. <laughs> what will happen is part of the update is the policy board that uh, city commissioners from all the areas, planning officials sit on, they will get to see and have input and guide the way that that plan works and reacts to both. There's a little bit of balance that is set by KDOT and, and federal DOT, but it'll set some of that like, how are we going to measure progress? What are we going to strive to do? So if we're talking about you know, lowering vehicle emissions, okay, what does those action steps look like? Is it changing subdivision regulations to do a certain thing? Are we going to have expectations of certain street technologies that when we do a street, it will have a bike lane? Will it have a shared use path? Will it have any number of other features added to it? That's all driven in part by what the MPO does with pedestrian plan, bicycle plan, the, the transportation plans, and that. And as part of the policy boards, they give input and vote on that and comment on this is working. Here's what we're hearing from the planning commission. Here's what plan 2040 says about those kinds of things. Did you think about doing that client Z? And so it's a little bit like planning commission, but it's solely under the transportation. Okay. That's kind of what I was going to say. So if we think a particular line on the future roadmap shouldn't be there, we just tell you and you'll get it. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and you will see this yeah. as part of both your work as the planning commission, but you'll also see a lot of public input work and have a chance to kind of participate as part of that with what the MPO is doing with the input process. And that process is just getting started oh. last month. So it's very early days, but you will see it as part of, of your consideration for future companies to plan in 2040 to incorporate this as a document. But not so, manipulate or change the document, just receive it. So, oh, yes, okay. oh okay. I would just say that it's also partly just mm -hmm. from the experience of having participated mm -hmm. in uh, planning commission meetings and and uh, hearing about variances for sidewalks, for example, mm -hmm. um, it informs the kind of conversation or discussion I'm able to participate in as part of you know, the pedestrian plan, which we recently worked on. So, and one of your mid-month things, we're gonna try and bring this more frequently is so you can see the work that they do. They don't, they work in, they are in planning and they just work a little bit outside of where you all tend to be. I used to be in land use, they tend to be in the right of way. But to see that connection of what work they do and how it affects it, because a lot of the items, both currently underway and stuff that we'll talk about here in a little bit, are 
they're blind. You make a change in the right of way, it affects the land use. It affects the land use, it changes the way the right of way works. So they're not independent. They can't live in free So, okay. Well, I was just going to ask this changing topics. Um, so, if you want to, do you have something else about no, that? Go ahead. Yeah, sure. Okay. I, I had a question about the annexation policy. Like the plan, plan twenty forty talks about annexation. How is the Lawrence annexation policy maybe different than that? Can you remind me about that? Excellent question. Or is it the? Because we're not talking about changing the language of the plan, right? No. Let me pull up the. So this was one of the foundational documents in Horizon 2020 that kind of talked about what the procedure for annexation would be. And it was written to kind of dovetail with what was sewn in the document for 2020 since it talked about, you know, I can't even recall the language in 2020 because I deleted that out of memory now. Um, but it talked about the way it wanted to handle annexation in terms of service areas and prioritizing service areas based on where utilities to get and the language that. So this and this policy actually speaks to the different levels of that plan and kind of that formative major role based on what was in there. And when you considered and reviewed Plan 2040, a lot of the things that were in here either rolled into Plan 2040 in the document in Chapter 3A, or they're just they're incongruent because okay. the plans are so distinctly different in certain ways they can't respond to each other. Okay. Like mine here is, um, you know, like this one is a, is a great example of it. This is a conversation that was included in Plan 2040, but not in the same words, but in the intent and spirit of it that it was threaded into the document. Mm -hmm. 2020 didn't exactly have that same instance of it. So the policy is not to change the plan. The policy is to say, if you're going to submit an annexation petition to the city, here is the policy, here is the procedure, what it looks like it has to go through, here's how the conversation will occur, and kind of guide that whole outline for it. So, okay. You guys see that bottom one, I will talk about, you know, this was a conversation that we asked the commission on Tuesday. Was you know the policy that had been for the longest time was for annexation to be solely consent driven. Somebody would have to petition the city to come into the city. <clears throat> Under Kansas statute, there are four different varieties of annexation, and one of them being called unilateral annexation, where the city can annex land instead of having somebody bring it to them for annexation. <clears throat> and so this policy has always been to not go through it. That that's not the primary way that we're going to do it. City commission's question on Tuesday was. Would you like us to take a look at changing that policy instead of being consent driven? Would you like it to be driven equally or driven in a different mechanism? So they gave us some guidance on how to approach that going forward. And that is solely in the purview of the city commission. Correct. Solely in the city commission's okay. purview. This, this would only apply to actions taken by the city boards. And so that policy, though, wouldn't really ever come into play when we're looking at something. That like a a, a a request an application that involves an annexation component. You may get a little bit of it a crossover, but it wouldn't it wouldn't necessarily drive or um, replace the language okay. of the conference. Okay, okay. that would still be the holding language. This would just complement that language. Okay. Let's okay. see. The acreage. 
size trigger when it comes to us for annexation. And that is by, by practice. By practice. By practice. So you, could you say that a little louder? So under under city commission practice, an annexation of over 10 acres is remanded to planning commission for recommendation and review prior to the city commission considering anything under 10 acres can directly go to city commission. That is not set by the annexation policy. That is just a practice of the commission as of their preference. So there's nothing in the land development code or in the annexation policy that automatically requires a review of the annexation. I have a question that changes the topic, though. Anybody have one? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, what we're talking about is the city can say we're going to annex everything west of Cape Ken and Clinton Lake, and it won't come up. Yeah, could definitely not be the If the city does unilaterally annex, there's different state statutes that kick in that requires infrastructure plans, time, and funding to be committed in certain ways where on a consent annexation, none of that's triggered. So, there's lots of different things under state <laughs> Well, I just have sort of a practical question about the upcoming items on the work plan is um, how many of these are, what's coming up that would need any kind of subcommittee formation or uh, more individuals like Commissioner Carter out into various pockets of Oh, policy making. Kind of hard to say. I think it's going to be a little bit more about what, what you all you would require an ad hoc or require more of a scrutiny review of those kind of items in there. Okay. Um, top of my head, I think there's probably some of these that um, agricultural soils, environmentally sensitive land, that's probably one where it may. They want to branch in the ad depending on what form that takes. Those a lot of these being kind of just in the clouds and still not having a lot of formation. It's hard to kind of say what we really want to put to it, but I can see a lot of them like getting uh, great benefit from it. I understand we had a, a Lisa sub our ad hoc committee. Is that committee still does it still exist or has it been dissolved? Or? It has not been dissolved yet. Not officially. Yeah, losing one member of it. We'll still lose the second member of it, but hopefully maybe we could, if we had a quick meeting here, we could put it to bed uh, at our next uh, meeting. That's a little bit about what's going on. Um, probably need to revisit that a little bit later on. We just wanted to give you an update about some of the status on that. 121% is not sustainable. No. <laughs> So you know, there's a lot of things that go into the equation. One's the budget for staff. The other is the processes and procedures that you're forced to go through. Is it to Rube Goldberg or just do, you have, do you have any way to simplify things? Just wonder what, as the director of, of, of that number, what's your, what's your plan? <laughs> it's, it's next on your agenda, quite yeah. <laughs> All right. It's like I've, I've somehow inadvertently put out in the beginning of all the prompts for the next. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's good. good. That's <laughs> in all honesty, it, it's your two o'clock item as part of that discussion. If, if I was to sit down and tell you all two years ago what the plan would have been, it would, it would have been a threefold approach. It would have been let's have a look at what our codes are compelling us to do. Let's take a look at how much time we're investing on things that need to really be the investment of it. The third one's going to be is 
what is our code doing to us? Because all of our workload is driven and compelled by a code requirement. So 121%, some of that is, is code driven on that one. The other one is kind of conversation we have with staff is, are we overperforming on something that we shouldn't be overperforming on? Are we investing a thousand percent of energy and effort in a staff report when we could knock that ninefold back to 100%, give you the same product, but not invest, sure. you know, right. PhD level dissertation on rezoning application? So it's kind of, you know, have that conversation about matching that workload. The other thing is, um, don't y'all know about me, but I like vacations. <laughs> and so I want staff to be able to go on a vacation, not be stressed out ahead of it, trying to get mm -hmm. something wrapped up, disappear for a week, and come out being stressed out again, trying to catch up for the week. So two weeks of stress to take a week off is not a vacation, in my opinion. So it's talking about getting multiple people that are subject matter experts on things. We don't need just one person talking comprehensive plan. We all need to talk comprehensive plan. We all need to understand storage. We all need to have conversations about storage resources. So it's not just having a person do a task. It's about the person doing that task, teaching everybody else what to do. Because if that person wins the lottery, it won't answer a phone call. For me. <laughs> well, I wouldn't answer a phone call for me if I won the lottery. Someone else needs to be here to do it. But evolution has its own weight. Yeah. Yeah, that's the two o'clock discussion is going to be. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks. 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 Um, that Jeff will now be presenting to us. Uh, we've got this on here for a little while. Um, uh, and I think we could probably end up spending a day or two or five talking about it. We probably will talk about it many times going forward on this one. But we wanted to just kind of have a little bit of an introduction about what is going to be going on and then kind of you know have a little bit of conversation that we just left off on about the 121% effectively, like what is, what is going on? What are we seeing? What are, is it responding in the way that we're asking it to? We're gonna have, um, I can pull up the RFP if we need to take a look at it, but it's part of your agenda there. I'll just give a, a brief update on where it is at the moment. Um, at the end of April, the city commission authorized the city manager to sign a contract for professional services with Clarion and Associates out of Denver, Colorado, to be our consultant. And they, from the execution of the contract, and they have to land it for a city commission by a contract is one of months. So we're going to go through this a little quick in, in terms of it, even though it's 24 months, it's going to be quicker than what the development code went through, which was close to five years. So it is an opportunity for a holistic review of all the development codes. That's what we describe what it is. The RFP actually calls out some things that we've been asking for a while. I think as a community, we've been asking for a while. It's a big staff identified as common frames that we've just noticed throughout the time of the development code has not been with us. Um, so it's going to ask about um, furthering and advancing housing availability affordable housing, development regulations and best practices that are uh, inclusion in the process, uh, regulations that are concise, consistent, and effective for everybody to use, not just planning commissioners and staff, but for just people in the public and anybody that just wants to open a business. So making, I always describe it as making it approachable, less planner language, more everyday language kind of conversations to have. 
uh, making sure the plan enhances and incorporates sustainability, climate change, and other, uh, sorry, sustainability endeavors and climate change goals. So working those into the plan, but also uh, making sure that we actually incorporate the city strategic plan as part of that. So the, the five outcome areas and those kind of details about unmistakable identity, strong welcoming neighborhoods, safe and secure, uh, being connected to connected cities and economic prosperity and security. So looking at it more holistically than just a land use thing, but understanding that it is, yes, land use space, but has more things it affects as a knock-on effect. So it's a lot to look at. It's a lot of range of conversations to talk about. But one of the conversations we wanted to have with you a little early on in this one, so if you see some very interesting components of the code, and you see them quite frequently, mainly the applications and the processes is, um, <clears throat> what do you see in there as being burdensome? Or what is taking a lot of your time and you're like, why am I seeing this again? Is this, why is this here? Could this have just been somewhere else? Or um, why are we processing a variance again for this? When, you know, why? Why are we doing rights of way variance? The street's already there. Why am I having to look at this? It's, you know, are there things that you all see and go, this needs fixed? This is a problem. This doesn't make any sense. And you're going to have some conversations with the consultants later on. It's going to be a like, broader conversation, but one of the reserve space today to just have that conversation with today to kind of plant the seed, you know, kind of get that thought process rolling. But, um, you know, I maybe I'll, I'll kind of get started on this. One of the things staff identified as being a problem with the code is Article 13, which drives all of our processes. We have three different types of site plans. We effectively have two different types of special use permits in the code. And one special use permit is only applicable to certain land uses under certain instances. And it's very oddly specific about it. We have a preliminary development plan process and final development plan process that don't actually reconcile with each other very well. So we're very interested in trying to find out like what is, what applications are process heavy, burdensome, duplicative, ways we can take out some steps or streamline some things. So it's easy for us to tell somebody who's coming to us about it, but also something easy for us to track and follow along to. That's a little bit of our stuff on it. We've got, um, Avery, correct me if I'm wrong here. I think we gave them 12 pages of single space things that we've noted in the code that are errors or wrong or need adjustments. Or we've been keeping a grudge list and we send all the consultants about it. So but we just want to hear from you all. What, what are things that you look at the code and go, this is this doesn't, this isn't reflective of our community. This isn't doing what we ask it to do under plan 2040. Who here looks at the code? Yeah, I know. Well, I remember trying to read it before I started on the planning commission because I thought that's what I yeah, had to do. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but just just a, a, a process question real quick. So when you say we're going to have discussions with a consultant, what is that going to look like? Is that as a body, as individuals, as you know, subcommittees? What, how is that going to work? I think it's probably going to be as a body. I think they're going to okay. come to meeting and have a discussion with you that's still we're still formalizing what that looks like with them they're gonna they're gonna have a specific steering committee mm -hmm. and i think you're you see on your agenda there's nominations coming up mm -hmm. for said steering committee so you'll have input and a role on there but i think they're gonna also want to come to the commission as a whole to have conversations like this because you all 
are probably the most familiar with its intricacies and quirks and, <laughs> and don't work. So I don't know exactly what it would look like, but I know that they're, they're going to want to come and have a conversation and learn from you all since you're really the hands-on team with that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So this would be something um, like when I think just in general about the land development code, I gravitate um, to things that allow for more creativity when it comes to sustainability issues. Um, there was something that came up, I think it was a couple of years ago now, but um, there, were, there was a very specific language in the code of what a like a, a parking median would look like or something like that, or, you know, and it listed all these materials that were acceptable to put in this parking median. And there was nowhere in there where you could have pervious surfaces. So I, so I, not knowing, I said, can we put that in there? And the answer was yes. I was like, well, this is fun. <laughs> um, so <laughs> so those are the kinds of things I know I'm going to be looking for are instances. And it, it, it seems like it, to me, it's kind of overwhelming to think like, where could that, where could those sorts of things be slotted in? And maybe there are greater things to slot in than pervious surfaces on a parking medium. Are you talking about like green, more green, green infrastructure. infrastructure type thing? Yeah, yeah. That's, green that's infrastructure. So allowing that, um, I, I don't know how far where it, the line is between mandating it and encouraging it or allowing it can be. I think that's, but, I think we'll get to that with the consultants a little bit, but just mm -hmm. knowing that we need to cover, talk about that with the SMBT. Mm -hmm. because, um, one of the more interesting things that I get to approve in this job is AstroTurf. <laughs> And, oh, well, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> do we do we not want that as a community? I have no idea. I think that's going to be conversation mm -hmm. to talk about because does it have sustainability benefits versus negatives? I'm sure it does. Yeah. So well, I you get fake palm trees as well. I was just <laughs> going to mention the palm trees. <laughs> so, I mean, what does that look like? Um, you know, one of the conversations we had with Forestry not too uh -huh. long ago was they looked at the list of things like the trees or stuff that's in the code and they're like, mm -hmm. I wouldn't encourage you to do any of those. Because yeah. it's not going exactly. to survive the next 15 right. years. Right, it's, exactly. it's outdated yeah. for climate change. Are trash trees, mm -hmm. just because they grow fast. Yeah, so like, I want fast growing trees <laughs> for the offering pairs. But on the other side, trees. also, all the people demanding that we have native stuff, native is not the right thing for native that particular location. No. Yeah, so. <clears throat> Something that I, even after all these years, I'm still woefully um, unfamiliar with is why the smart code has only been applied like once or twice. Because it sucks. <laughs> oh. And it doesn't comply with Plan 2040. It doesn't even exist anymore. It doesn't have the short answer. answer. Well, there we go. I'm sorry. Process in it. So once yeah, so zone it into that, it's like it's a black box. What but, I'd like to see is a land development code that incorporates more of a smart code type of development philosophy that looks at residential and commercial land uses. As, as a single system, um, because I think, you know, we look at zoning and land use overall in a two-dimensional way right now, where you can think about adjacency, but you don't, but we don't incorporate 
um, mixed development very well. And I don't know if it's that so few people take advantage of the smart code because they don't want to, or because because it supposedly um, it exists to facilitate that. But I I would just like I would like a um, and I know it's the whole term new urbanist is 50, 40 years old, so it's no longer new yeah. urbanist. But I would like a more systemic way of looking at urban environments. Hmm. Be better accomplished by a multi-use zoning process as opposed to a separate. If we don't even get to say anything, we just say, "Yeah, great, you have a smart code application." There's nothing we can do about it. Now it started. There's no public input. Right. It's, it's a. But I, I believe that the ideals process of how it I mean, it was was bad. It was a boilerplate set of language, almost like Alec, that got dropped into the code. But I guess, um, I mean, getting back to the question about what you know, pet peeves. I mean, I think that the philosophy behind the current land development code is like 1960s philosophies. Oh, I like I, the point is well taken. Mixed mixed zoning, better access to transportation. That's basically what the smart code. Exactly. Thinking about the interaction, building so, the interaction. Well, we have to have a way that also encourages public community, mm -hmm. public input and participation, yes. which the smart code works out. Right. <laughs> I, I think opening up more better options for rooftop solar, because right now we have a um, requirement for screening any rooftop utilities, which is not only sometimes more ugly than leaving it, um, and also it, and it, it puts perforations through the roofs, they're more likely to leak. Um, and once you've done that, you've used up all the space you'd have available for rooftop solar. So not only could we be saying, hey, everybody plan for like all new commercial development should plan for an extra three pounds per square foot of rooftop load so that it's designed for it. But also we just need to uh, not have requirements that make rooftop solar not be viable for space. And taking off from what Karen just said, is that more of a, I'm not sure where in the code, it's because to me that sounds like if we require certain load handling capabilities on rooftops. I mean, is that a building permit thing or is that a land development code thing? It's a building That's... permit item. Okay. But it doesn't mean that you can't, because the, the screening that we do with mechanical equipment is driven by the community design manual and the land development code. Okay. So the screening is driven by the code, but the, the static load weight on trust system is dictated by the building code. So how... It, could we yeah. influence if I think more rooftop it, solar? I think it's probably a conversation with the development code about if we're going to have rooftop equipment, can it be, does it need to be screened? Or okay. if it does need to be screened, then how is it done in a way that doesn't prohibit it or enable or however you want to phrase that solar as a viable option? I don't know if we could compel everybody to do rooftop solar, but we can at least not require things and get in the way of making it less viable at the end of the day. I think if developers had the option and say, 
your rooftop screening, seriously, it's going to cost you $90,000 for something that is strictly visual and may not be even much of a help. Or you can take the same money and put it in solar and you've got return on investment. I think if you gave people a viable option, a lot of them would choose solar. And design-wise, it's probably weight for weight about the same. And that could be done with just this looking at the design code. Uh, yeah, because the, the code just compels the mechanical screening. Okay. It, it says how you screen it is up to you because you have mm -hmm. to screen it by certain standard requirements. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess mm -hmm. I know a friend of mine works in code and it's like if you screen it the solar, it's screened. You know, it's called like it is there because you don't have to mechanically okay. screen it with the big piece mm -hmm. of sheet metal. Mm -hmm. My solar panel, same trick. Mm -hmm. Uh, another one, and this is maybe more building code related, so you let me know, uh, but the uh, uh, fire marshal gets to decide how, what kind of concrete pad uh, is for fire lanes on commercial buildings, and it's incredibly bizarrely more than is necessary, and for us as a community to say we need twice as much concrete just because mm. somebody says so and we haven't ever checked why, <laughs> I, I take offense at that, and so, you know, we built 40,000 pound forklifts on four inches of concrete and it did just fine. Um, and we parked fire trucks on what you wouldn't believe and we still get out of there. Uh, so I think if somebody had a building on fire and it actually, it cracked their sidewalk or their their fire lane would be a whole lot less worried about that than having to put that huge amount of expense on our commercial buildings, but also um, just the environmental cost of that concrete. It's huge. Yeah, so. yeah building code, but I put it on the list anyway. Okay, <laughs> and you heard about my rent. Okay. Yeah. Um, sidewalks. Um, obviously that needs to be, and also there is some, there, there just seems to be a disagreement of, we. We want the end goal to be have a sidewalk on both sides of the street, according to the new development code. But everybody wants an exception to that because, well, there aren't any. I mean, how are we ever going to get to sidewalks for the whole community if we keep giving exceptions? Mm -hmm. That's why you don't give variances. <laughs> because there's no if there's no sidewalks there, we we shouldn't have to build them. But we all want sidewalks. I don't even know how to phrase that. It's just. <laughs> That's our proposed text amendment. So, I would say that we, we make developers put in the sidewalks first just because we don't yes. believe them that they'll do it. But then you have to tear out every place you put in a driveway. And, and I think that's one of the things like, okay, there's a cost there, but it's also like, it just hurts your soul to, to pay to put something in only to have to pay to tear it back out again. So I know that there's always the fear that they're going to you know, skip town and not build that last sidewalk. But I think as a community, we could say, that's worth the risk because putting in concrete that we then put in a landfill is irresponsible. And I built sidewalks to nowhere. So we did ours because we were supposed to do it. It still goes nowhere. It's 15 years later. Um, it could be changed because that you have to, your plans have to, your site plan has to take into account for the sidewalk. Oh yeah, that's period. good. Yeah. It's gotta be there. So yeah. when it's time to put it in, Mm -hmm. Maybe eventually mm -hmm. it turns into a city function. Well, and then I thought and it was just, a compromise somewhere. It's all there. Yeah. yeah. Just put it in. You all did approve the text amendment to so, alter the timing of sidewalk construction right. for that yes. exact reason right. because we recognize this point right. is exactly the reason why. Before it, the new construction with damages and you have to get for it, which is why it was there in the first place because mm -hmm. we knew we were going to drive a bulldozer over it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we got that as a text amendment yeah. too long ago. Yeah. So that one's for books, but still yeah. worthy to put on the list to make sure we don't lose it in the shuffle. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
Are roadways part of the uh, land development code? Uh, <coughs> uh, not wholly. Design specification for roadways, widths, and their accessories are governed by the engineering regs, which are outside the development code. Okay. But the subdivision regulations will look back at those and say, if you're building an arterial, you build it to this specification standard as governed by the city engineer. So it's not 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 only in some merit. In some roadways, we can't actually dictate the width of the lanes and spaces because they're controlled by either KDOT or federal DOTs, and then they drive the widths and measurements, and we just have to go along with it. Iowa Street, Six Street, for two examples of those that we don't actually have the ability to have a lot of stay on. Okay. I think some of the um, the ratio between road width and sidewalk. Um, it, how can I put this? I mean, one of the, this the whole um, question about you know, whether we should mandate that sidewalks be constructed in North Lawrence, which has been built out for 100 years and doesn't have sidewalks, hardly has sidewalks anywhere, largely has um, quiet roads that people walk on anyway, um, suggests that there are some alternatives for walkability. There are alternatives <laughs> to sidewalks for walkability. But in, um, in new, uh, newly developed areas, excessive road widths tend to lead to speeding. And so, I mean, it's, it, I think it's a walkability and safety concern that um, in, new, in new subdivisions, roads tend to be a lot wider than they ought to be. But, you know. Um, one other thing, uh, oh shoot, it was on my mind, but now I forgot. Never mind, I'll, 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 I'll think of it in a second. Please go ahead. Does well, I, you haven't talked yet. I could. I got a I got a list. Well, <laughs> does the develop is a development code what provides for the variances that the planning commission is supposed to entertain? Yes, that I think would be something to include in there. And I think we we talked about that maybe a, um, as an agenda or something. But just whether there are variances that can be uh, shifted away from the planning commission to administrative process. I'm sure we'll think of. Like bigger the issues. Ones. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the cleanup ones. Yeah. I'm sure we'll think of bigger, more impactful things like you just mentioned, Luke, but I'm still I'm thinking about the weeds in my mind. I'll That's put my fine. horticulture hat on, thinking of weeds. Um, and the horticultural requirements that go in the code. Um, a tree every 40 feet. Mm. Just just from a design perspective, because I dealt with this over um, at the fairgrounds when they were redoing the roads and redoing 19, and uh, it was a tree every 40 feet instead of rather more, what, why can't we just group trees here, because that seems to make sense at this entryway, and group trees here, it's the same number of trees, I'm not talking about reducing the number of trees, but why every 40 feet, that sort of, why can't, we have a little flexibility in that. That gives people some design flexibility, you know, instead of a developer coming in and saying, boom, 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 boom. And um, the other thing has to do with the weed ordinance um, that needs um, a little bit of updating. It's got uh, to make allowances for people having alternative bonds. Um, using alternative types of vegetation and forms and height requirements and things like that um, could probably go a long way into reducing water consumption 
in the city. Hmm. Um, what about all these lots it's in the city that have massive Johnson grass infestations? Is there anything in the code that tackles that? In the property maintenance code, yes, and the land development code, no. Hmm. So the weed ordinance yeah, the is a property, function of the property, property maintenance code, which goes to code compliance and not towards development code, but also put on the list, but yeah. Okay, the yeah, yeah. So we're tracking it too. Yeah. I thought of what I was uh, thinking of um, parking requirements for commercial development. Mm. Um, generally excessive, um, or at least there ought to be exceptions to what kind of, how can I put this, for the urban context, you know, something that's in a high density area versus a more, you know, neighborhood commercial or suburban type of, of, of area. Um, and I think maybe offering trade-offs between parking spaces and ride-sharing um, stops. I think, remember this for the the North Lawrence uh, apartment complex that was proposed. Um, the one across the bridge. The one across the bridge. Yeah, thank you. Um, one of the things that really concerned me was there's relatively little parking, but then there was apparently no place that an Uber or a Lyft could stop and pick mm -hmm. people up or let people off, mm -hmm. which would lead to tra traffic congestion where you only had like one entrance to the parking lot. So mm -hmm. I think making ride sharing an explicit part of the parking lot. <coughs> <point. coughs> and it could also be an incentive for, mm -hmm. like it's a trade-off for the number of parking spaces. And that, I mean, I think a lot, a lot of, I wonder how much incentivizing can be built into the land development code where it's kind of like the, um, you, there's exceptions to the density requirements. So if you, how does that, I don't even know how to phrase it. So if you are building more densely, wait a minute, I can't even phrase this. Density bonuses. Thank you. That's the term I'm looking for is the density bonuses. Mm -hmm. That's an incentive. Um, if you put pervious concrete down in a parking lot, maybe that's an incentive for something that we desire for urban design. Um, those sorts of looking for places to incentivize the choices we want where we don't want to mandate something or another, but we get allow an incentive. And those are the only two things that come to mind. What about duplexes by right on corner properties in single family residential and triplexes by right in duplex zoning on corner corners? If we're not going to do away with single family zoning, I was going to say, or, or, or yeah, <laughs> or, I, I don't know the full trade offs on that. On the corners? Yeah, if on the corner, you can, you can have a duplex and it looks like single family home in each direction, like who can possibly object to that? Mm -hmm. Oh, you wouldn't, yeah. Lots of people. Yeah. This is a dinner table debate in my house. <laughs> <laughs> and greatly decreasing the minimum, uh, the minimum lot size for duplexes, because I think now it's like 15,000 square feet for a uh, duplex and yet we've said on 7,000 square feet you can put two separate single family homes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Typically it's 70 to 60 for a duplex to exist. So it's uh -huh. 15, uh... Julia? 
So your question, Jeff, was sort of getting at also things like what's allowable for a home-based business? Exactly. We talk about my two favorite things uh -huh. in the code. Accessory dwelling units are allowed in some, but not others. Mm -hmm. And then home-based businesses are allowed up to a limit. But why that limit? Right. Why, why, why did we draw? I'm sure there was good reason, but I can't uh -huh. find out why. But like, why is it drawn there? Because you know, I'm starting a business. And I can't afford a storefront. But I got a garage. Right. There's a sinking space. <laughs> so mm -hmm. how, I mean, if you're talking about it, Trying to get something off the ground, you can't afford, you know, twenty grand in rent or something, but you got it. So, I'm not saying everybody's open like a pizza shop in their garage or something, but I mean, if you're trying to do something, why does that get prohibited necessarily, or how does how does the community want to react to that? It's not just the limit or size; it's like people grooming versus dog grooming. Like, I don't know if there's a yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. What type of business model? And that gives the Commissioner Willie's question is we've got 70 some enumerated uses, I think, in the code across the district. I mean, it's, it's just pages upon pages of enumerated uses, and they're defined in ways that you would not define them every day. There's two in there that to this day confound me personal improvement and personal convenience. <laughs> I don't know why they differentiated those two, but they felt compelled that personal improvement needs to be separated from personal convenience. Are these defined? Is that like a definition of terms? Yes. Like, okay. And you look at them, and there's about a good 60 businesses I look at and go, yeah, you really do away. <laughs> I don't know why they enumerated them separately. We've got all-time favorite categories if you go look at some of the stuff in industrial. It's, it's it's like a layer cake. One builds on the other, builds on the other, and all of a sudden there's one where the layer goes, instead of going a little bit out, it goes like this. And it's like, well, you went from this to this, so what is it, what's in between? So what, why, we don't need everything, and this is far too little, so we're in the middle ground of that conversation. Along the same lines, why are there certain things like Putting honey into a jar that you're going to sell at the farmer's market require a labor industry. Exactly. Is that, is that a thing? Yes. Yeah. Oh. I'm sorry, we couldn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> he talks that quiet everywhere you see I know, him. I usually sit by him. What? Like, just so you can hear. Your quiet little voice is hard for my. I'm supposed to be magnified by something. <laughs> <laughs> The speaker system on that the code is interesting in fact if you bottle honey you're a manufacturing and production limited use same as if you were making a stereo system or building a lawnmower or uh, putting candles together you get into manufacturing and limited production which is a light industrial minimum zoning category do that in my kitchen Exactly. <laughs> You're in violation. <laughs> so it's like if, if the code can't envision a world, it just says you're making something your light industrial. You're a detached building, you must be an RS zone. Bees would be light industrial, actually. <laughs> well, other than the urban agamemnon, it could have been, yeah. yeah. Well, see, that's yeah, the urban ag amendment brought a lot of those uses mm -hmm. into a reasonable world. Right. But there are zonings out there that predate. The urban ag amendment that make zero sense 
that you've got light industrial zone land that should not be that way. And the urban ag rules, which have been used, I think, a lot for chickens and probably bees, but really not at all for small ruminants, which it, it opened up for us. So I'm just curious to just say, is that nobody wanted to, or was there something else in it that made it prohibitive and that it didn't behave the way it was expected? Remind me what a ruminant is. Sheep and goats and yeah. cattle. I think it got hung up on slaughter, didn't it? And I didn't hear a lot oh, about that. Who's slaughtered in town? Yeah. yeah, I have people bring their chickens out to yeah. my place. Oh. It would be Aaron who's like it. <laughs> I would have thought we'd be talking about home slaughter. You were the one that gets <laughs> Yeah, you had to go through that. Yeah, <laughs> we were. <laughs> how how does the commission feel about the applications that you have to see? Do you think you're seeing the ones? you need to see or do you think you're seeing something or not <clears throat> you look at it and go it's this again <laughs> like we're seeing things that you your team should be able to manage yeah what, what does that look like to you what if, you know if you king kings and queens would say what would you put on the table and say this is now administration some of the setback the things setback, that come in front yeah. of us um, right away hey we want to make this the same as everything else around it um, there ought to be some. In fact, I have to thank Jeff. There, you have a, a list of things that would fit into that category. Twelve pages. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of Avery's first jobs. And I'm, I'm not even kidding. But one of her first jobs was, "We're going to open a text amendment. Got all the things we don't like about the code." <laughs> and that that went on for so long that we rolled it into an entire RFP. <laughs> <laughs> And so every, Avery's inbox would just be a planner who's I don't like this code section. We've got to come back to this one. She'd come back for like lunch and there were like 16 complaints for the code. She just there. So he's had to bear the burden of this for a long time. Thank you. Thank you, Avery. That's part of the 120%. Yes, that was the part of the 120%. Are we talking about scrapping what we have and building one, or are we just talking about amending? Could be both. Because if you look at it article by article, we may be satisfied with a few and think, you know, we're okay with some of this language, but there's, you know, big parts of it that we want to cross out and start all over. It's going to, it's going to be a much broader community conversation, but it's all trying to figure out what do we, is there anything we like that we keep? Is there anything that we just are absolutely, no, we don't ever want to see this again. Because where we are now is a product of amendment after amendment after right. amendment. It's got and that's why we that's why those text amendments be often closed and enrolled them in and give us a holistic review because you could holistically look at the code and you don't get the inconsistencies and errors but get some streamlined applications. That was that was why we decided to close all the open ones and roll that research and work right into the big open I'm sure there's like model code out there someplace that you can use as a template i mean are, or are there communities that you know that are well known as having just great code <laughs> sorry they put it on their brochure <laughs> great right there he's given us our theme and our mandate great code Lawrence Kansas planners I'm guessing you guys talk to other planners and you know I mean there's there's a lot of model codes I would say the problem with model codes is is they do two things very well and then one thing really wrong 
They are very good about getting everything right and putting it in the right logical order. They're very bad about going to actual realistic context. Mm. So it's a good thing to look at. I don't know if I'd ever say it's like I, I would just drop something in because there is a community expectation they can't anticipate. There is a community process mm. they can't anticipate. So it's everyone's favorite. You know, everybody looks and goes, Boulder's got this. We should go to that one. It works in Boulder because Boulder's tailored it to work with the process. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure it would work. I mean, it may work in Lawrence, but I'm not sure we would look at it and go, that's a Lawrence thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Boulder's overrated anyway. <laughs> does, it, does it give us what we're asking for in 2040? Right. I don't know if it would. Yeah. So like when we did the short-term rentals and it used to be that every single one of them had to come before us and all of their residential anger, uh, and then it became an administrative mm -hmm. thing. And I think looking for things like that, that are, maybe there's better ones than this, but that are the right thing to do or they fit a community value, but they're always going to have strong opposition that we, we take and tackle that once through a public process, make sure everybody gets heard mm -hmm. and then set something that is, you know, so it could be the, the duplex thing. You're right, nobody likes it, but if it's the right thing to do, mm -hmm. and we've decided as a community that that, that density and, and fill and those things are important, then we kind of stand by those. And I think people get less upset about it if it just, mm -hmm. when it, it's just- If it's the rule as opposed to a choice we have to make yes. over and over. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things we hear about with business owners quite a lot is, and go all the way back to Luke's presentation this morning a little bit. I mean, you saw the timeline of business that he brought up and discussed. It, it, the application, I think, was submitted in April. It was wrapped in September, ultimately. That's five months of, of sitting. How much of that was necessary? Well, how much of that process was just bringing things up to date and requiring going through a process to yeah. bring it up to date? I mean, if you look at it, the comprehensive plan amendment was an elongation of it a little bit because they had to do a CPA because the hot plan was off the books and out of date. Rezone, I think they rezoned it, which that's you know a function of the stratification of the code because if you didn't have that stratification that separated that use for where that, maybe you didn't have to do that conversation. Site planning could be you know quick rolled into something else. You know, is there a way to do minor subdivisions in a different way that speeds it up? In a different light. Now, that's all housed in Article 13 of the code. That dictates all the processes and the applications that the planners touch on. So, the question that I've had with staff is this is what in the code is compelling you to look at an application for four weeks when it could take you two days? How much of this stuff is just, you know, we're, planners are doing zoning conformance, they're going through and going, this many street trees, this much shrubbery, this much open space, here are my setbacks. Do they have the right number of parking spaces? Is there things in the way the code can be structured that's flexible? You know, you need to have some window of parking. You need to have some window of landscaping. Does the, does the grouping of the trees, does it really affect what we're talking about? Our code is very prescriptive and very tick the box. So if you go down the list of tick the box, Community discussion, I think we need to have is, is that the code we want? Because that comes with an expectation of cost, or is the cost giving us what we're actually wanting to do? I think leaving things open for creativity because we can't and shouldn't have to anticipate everything and every and have fewer variances if there's an option for some flexibility. Or, or if you meet of the of this 
checklist of 10 things, if you meet eight of them really well, we'll give you flexibility on the other two. I mean, something where there was some, the ability for staff to apply reasonableness without having to trigger a full public process. And that's, that's where these incentives come in, where we might get more than what, what we asked for because they're allowed to have some freedom because I don't have to do this. I can now put solar on, wow. on my roof. Um, as the example we were just using. Do we trust staff? <laughs> I, I, oh, I, I'm serious. Yeah. I'm public at uh, large. Does right. the public at large trust what oh. they can't see happening? Because <clears throat> I, I, I guarantee that's going to come up when these discussions happen. Mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we know? I mean, whose palms are getting greased in the back room to let us do something that somebody else can't? They already think that about us. Well, I know that. <laughs> Is that really going to change their perception? No, I, I, I'm just I'm just throwing I, it out there. Yeah, We're going to no. have to be able to talk about that as part of the process. You know, it's because we're going to hear that as coming up. It's like with the solar. We try to address every every claim of what we're doing is wrong or what we're, we're trying to address everything. We need to start thinking about who's got authority. Is there any review process for what staff's decision-making is? Or is there no review process for it? Or is it some secret process that you have to hire an expert to figure out what it is? I don't know. The balancing act does typically, you know, what is that public notification is the, the counterbalance of that. It's how much is, is notification and then uh, do you delay? You know, staff, under current code, staff renders a decision and that site plan is parked for nine days on the way for the deal to come in. Mm -hmm. Right. Nine days the right amount? Should it be less? Should it be more? How, how do we do that? Do we notify when? I've seen communities that will send letter upon letter upon letter to people. We've received the application. The application is still in review after 90 days. It's still in review after 120 days. It's still a letter at 150 days. Nobody looks at those. Now you have to say, yeah. so they get the letter at the end that says, this has been approved. Here's how you appeal. They don't then they look at those. Then they look at those. Why didn't anybody tell me? Yeah. So I guess the question is going to be, you know, how much do the community want to balance notification versus streamlining process? Well, to, 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 to Jim's point there about what's going on, I mean, you and I have had conversations about what happens between a preliminary plat and a final plat. Sometimes there are changes. Yeah. That, you know, they're, you know, just before how I- How do you explain that right. to somebody that comes up? That's okay. not what you talked about. That's right. That's not what was in the paper. Mm -hmm. the, those weren't the drawings I saw on the paper. Mm -hmm. You know, there were supposed to be businesses on 19th Street below those new dorms. They're not there. What happened? So to your point, you I mean, I, I, I'm just bringing it up. Yeah. It's something we have to address throughout this process somehow. I don't have any answer. I think it's a great conversation for community and after. So how are these? Well, I, I, I know that this is going to come up with the consultant, but I am wondering about that process is how how do you bring the public into that discussion. I mean, we can't ask them, to, they're not gonna read the land development code, they won't even read a letter that comes to, so 
I like pictures. I yeah. Okay. What, what typically happens is we use very graphically defined flowcharts to explain what's going on and how it works. Okay. Quite frankly, a lot of coaches don't put the process in words anymore. It's a very nice flowchart that you can just look and go down and go, here I'm at, and you know, you figure it out. So it is reference code sections in each box. Yep. And so it's, it's, it's a lot easier for people to follow along. That's part of bringing it to a level that people can understand. But again, our code has three site plans, two special use permits, and a partridge and pear tree at the end of the day. So, did we need the partridge and pear tree? Why do we have three site plans? Why is this special use permit only applied to governmental buildings? But what, does, what is that doing for us? I remember years ago, one of the things we asked from you in this process in our, in our uh, study or our annual training was, can you put out all of your processes in a flow chart? <laughs> Absolutely not. That's it. If you can't put it in a flow chart, then it's too complicated. <laughs> and it's not really, yes. If it helps, that was right, one of the enumerated exactly. requirements of the RFP. Make it streamlined, approachable, and understandable. Well, I mean, I think that's how you get the public involved because I can tell you when I leave this committee, if I see something that comes through that's multiple pages, just like I tell my clients, if you want me to read it, your email to me better be bullet points and a half a page. Because if you send me pages of stuff, I ain't reading it, no matter how much you pay me. So it's got, I mean, I'm serious. I'm being serious because people don't, people look at that and they're like, eh, I'm not going to do it. Tell me what it says. So if there is something that simplifies it or dumbs it down, I think you will get more responses and more community yeah. interaction. It's got, it's just got to be. Yeah. Or maybe you can put it on TikTok. Well, actually, actually, to that point, Julia, you mentioned recently at work, the extension board has requested, they don't even want bullet points now. They want us all to make a video, yeah. a board report. <laughs> yeah. It has to be no longer than 50 seconds. Yeah. Each person has to give a video, make a video of themselves giving a report so that the extension board will watch it because they won't leave. I'm not they surprised. Won't bullet points. I've always read your stuff. Just saying. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you okay, it, earlier, um, Luke so. revealed we do have a secret TikTok. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, uh, maybe there's something there with TikTok. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I I don't know how good your singing skills are. Very but bad. I mean, <laughs> My social media skills are even worse. <laughs> yeah, reduce it to schoolhouse rock segments, right? Yeah. Where's that cartoon? Uh, cartoon bill? Was it like the Constitution? Or yeah, it was yeah, a, I just am a bill. bill. Yeah, schoolhouse rock. Yeah. One of those is yeah. a cartoon flat map or something. <laughs> 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 but I think that's it's just got to be simple and not very dense for people to, I mean, then once you catch them, they might go read, you know, something that's a couple pages long, but there's gotta be some way that you can make it easy. I mean, don't, isn't the, isn't plan 2040 sort of a model for that? I mean, mm -hmm. isn't that what, yes. Yeah, Horizon 2020 into plan 2040 was a huge overhaul in that sense. Yeah. And even when I go back now and read it, I'm like, ah, oh, it's just so easy to go to the place, look at the goal. Yeah. It's pictures. Yeah. pictures you can look at it. Yeah. Sidebars. Sidebars. <laughs> yeah. all, you look at it, it's like, yeah. yeah, this is like a lot easier to read than when you pull up the land development code. And granted, there are different purposes. So I understand that, but we have kind of a model. It doesn't have to be the same. Yeah. That spirit, I guess. You have to have relevant context. 
for this to make to people still to know about it but until it lands in your backyard you don't care about it you don't really look at it but what you said you know use pictures social media game there's got to be ways that we can present information to the public that puts it in a context and they can see themselves in it um and then whether or not they have an opinion after that well it's kind of up to them i wouldn't want yeah. force someone to come up to a, you know an opinion or so, so this whole thing, this whole conversation is the public accessibility to the code because the code is going to have to be written in the legal, legal language. Right. Mm -hmm. But so it's all going to have to reference into the legal language. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Planning Commission accessibility of the code. Yeah. <laughs> but it also gets back to workload. The more the public understands what's going on and understands the code, the less work it is. For staff, I think we saw that when we did the yeah. was it the big springs when all those people came in because some neighbor had told them one specific thing, which was not the case, and then when they came in, they're like, "Oh, okay," and it was completely different than the fight that they had geared themselves up for. You said exact example earlier today. Well, then I am a genius. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you've been in tune with what's happening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it, so we, so the uh, the code has to be presented in legal language, obviously. But from a formatting standpoint, does it? Is, is there anything uh, against including sidebars? I mean, you know, instead of footnotes, side notes, so that people can basically interpret the code as it's presented. Or is it just a layered thing where here's the public facing thing and not that this right. other layer is inaccessible. I mean, anybody can look at it if they want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> link to the coast. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. I think the main thing to make clear would be the process. Like even if all the details come in afterwards, if you can understand the process, then you can kind of know how to engage with it. Sure. Because that's always been one of the hardest things for me. It's just finding things. Oh, yeah. Codes. And I've looked at it more than most people. And it's still hard to find mm -hmm. things. Oh, I remember seeing it, but now I don't I remember, remember where it was. <laughs> and you find it and then you're like, okay, now I got to reference back this. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess my point about a sidebar is just that, you know, for any major section, you just have like a paraphrase. You know, this is saying this, and that way you can follow in simple language yeah. along the sides what's being explained in very legalistic language. David, I was thinking your son, one of your kids that went out with you on the exciting voyage that you took, how old is he? She. she. Uh, she's 18 now, but this is when oh. she was like 16. Oh, I was going to say, you could probably get a 13-year-old or 14-year-old that could put it in understandable <laughs> language that uh, the, the public would understand. This is really boring. You really don't want to read this. Yeah, that the public could understand. Yeah. But yeah. We, the Planning Commission still needs to deal with it at the meeting yes. stage. So if, you know, the presentation... You know, the staff report could show here's we just lifted this section. This is where we are in the flood part. It's just in there so the public can see that. But our, we're going to be in the weeds. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have to. Mm -hmm. That's what I'd say at least once a meeting, we say, now what happens after this? Like after this process, what's next? And then, you know, 
Yeah, yeah. How does a protest position work? Well, do you guys have a public affairs person or public? What the hell do you call these? Like a communications. Yeah. Some of those. Who is that? Not me for sure. It's a very smart people over at City Hall that do that for us. Who's assigned? Is someone specifically assigned to the planning commission? No, it just citywide. Well, they they are terrible. City's terrible. Yeah. This is being recorded. I'm off basically like, end of the yeah. world. <laughs> she checked to see if it was anybody in this department. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I'm not in charge of social media. I am not in charge of public. I think it's called a PIO nowadays, public information. That's what it is. Yes. PIO. So, PIO. But someone like that could get, like, I know the notice goes out, but some something catchy. Not that this is the best example, but I happen to think that the person that does tweeting for the police department is funny. Mm -hmm. I enjoy those. But something that, not that planning can be funny, but there could be something that they could, you know, put out there that could get people maybe interested. I don't know. I think that's a great example. But I think that's like, that's how you draw people in. I'm not going to be in charge of a Twitter account. I know that. <laughs> but it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about people's Artific the artificial barriers that people put up in their minds between what they think they can do and what they can actually do. It's about, you know, because city government is so much more accountable to the individual than people think. Well, this could be a model for the whole city. Something like this works. What's Kansas Great Code? Accessible. What's Kansas Great Code? We've got Great Code. Well, I, I really think you should use that. I'm Yeah, we're going to put that on the brander right across yeah. the top. <laughs> 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 the great codes. <laughs> 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 Don't you just love towards the end of meetings? If I may, let me turn this a little bit to a different direction. What is in 2040 that you see in the comp plan you do not see reflected in the code at all? A value, a commitment, an action that you see in the comp plan that is not reflected by code. All the values of you know, the strong, healthy neighborhood. That's not yeah. in the code. Walkable neighborhoods, I mean, green infrastructure. It's how it's, I mean, the code just says here's what it. There's a requirement. Climate mitigation. Annexation is not even in there. So that's worked on. So much of public authority is not that language is not in the code. Right? Oh, yeah, I'll yeah. my state statute. So and, you know, our code doesn't really reflect the values that are existing at all. I think that's where we're seeing some of the tension right now. Mm -hmm. That's what you should align with. Yeah, we, we sit there on the planning commission, we talk about plan 2040. And the people who are have the project before us are where's the legal requirement? Exactly. There's no there's, legal requirement for us to but we're voting on plan right. as if plan 2040 was the code. Mm -hmm. Right. That didn't help. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So, what don't you see in uh, the code? Anything yeah. that's in the, um, I mean, it's kind of an obvious framework for thinking of this, but I would expect the consultant to go through Plan 2040 and try to find in the code what was in Plan 2040. And I mean, there's going to be there's not going to be a lot. I know Affordable Housing Advisory Board looked at the code and done that and said, I'm not seeing here what we need to have happen. I think one of the more interesting ones that we highlighted both the staff and later on was one of the best forms of affordable housing we have at the moment is manufactured mobile homes. Our code is very hostile to that when you look at it. It's only about in one or two districts in one or two very limited circumstances. I was just there last week. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the, the question is going to be, I think it's going to be with them is, you know, what housing topologies have we not put in the code or that we've said that are there, but we've never fully enabled. You can, townhouses can be built by code. Nobody does. But you can't. Because if you go down and break through the stuff, it doesn't ever flow out to an actual product. I wasn't sure, like, there's something like you point out and go, this is in 2040, it's absolutely not reflected. If we don't get mm -hmm. this in there, this is a fail. Right. Anybody just have a prior to feeling on that? In the introduction. Can you say that again, this person? Sorry, I'm, uh, I was in the I'm Pedro. Oh, hi. Hey. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a joint person. Hit me for Karen to call you out. <laughs> it was only fair. That's right. <laughs> Pedro, could you hear me talking to you? Yes. Yeah, was, oh, good. I was going, Pedro, Pedro. <laughs> well, it's nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah, thanks Thomas. for joining us. Especially since I'm not the uh, most recent one on board. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is it like the Supreme Court where Pedro has to get coffee? For yeah. Uh, I don't like that yet. <laughs> I, that's usurping my role. <laughs> but I'll allow it if you'd like. <laughs> Thank you for to be back first. Thank you for having me. Well, I mean, we didn't reserve this extra long because we figured was, you guys would probably want to do a festivist style area of grievances on the code. Festivist. So, I mean, just want to lay it out there. Anything else you look at and just, you know, like I said, the consultants are going to probably talk and have a lot of discussions there. But is there anything in the upfront you just want to put on the table and go, I don't like this. I really like that. Give you a follow-up email. We've done our homework. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You've gotten something from this discussion, I imagine. Yeah, okay. There yeah. we go. Yeah. <laughs> I think well, what I was gonna say is I think the things I like are that's very clear about defining what the planning commission's review is supposed to entail. Like when you go to find the when you go to the section that talks about review criteria for the planning commission, all that stuff needs to be like, I think it just needs to be as clear as it is now. I think it's great. And that's so that's less to do with like what it provides for development and more for process. Kind of along that lines, is there something in there that you look at and go, I wish this was here, or which just gave us better guidance on, on an action? You know, one thing you talk about that you know your your roles are enumerated. <clears throat> the planning commission shall recommend, recommend the conditions or deny. Mm -hmm. Doesn't say defer. Doesn't say mm -hmm. table, doesn't say 
any number of things. That's a function of sometimes your bylaws or a function sometimes of different ap application types. Is there a clarity you wish the code had for your role of responsibility? If we have a vote and it fails, <laughs> and we never know if to stick another vote. Like, yeah. I've been on here six years and I still don't know that yeah. answer to that. Like, Make that part bold in my threads. <laughs> what happens next? It all depends on the applications. I, <laughs> we need an infographic. Exactly. <laughs> like Part of the staff idea. report provide a flow. <laughs> <laughs> it, it might be you could have the infographics just behind the planning commission <laughs> diets, you know, just so that right. could be the backdrop. So you all know Kyle. There's, there's a there's a photo that Kyle showed me one time of a of a I think it's a detective, and he's covered like this walls of sticky notes and strings and these things, and he's like Here's how you get to a final development plan. And it's like a room covered in sticky notes and strings. And I'm envisioning that for city commission. That's right. There yeah. And you put that behind yeah. you all and you see it on the wall. Yeah. Definitely. Sorry, not coming to the panel out of the meeting that we have the ability to defer. I think we would need that because there's just times when we know we don't have the information we need to make a good decision. Yeah. <laughs> Just it's, about. It's, a, it's a bylaw function you have, not a code function. Right. right. So it's, it's a little bit of a which document do we run to to then get the answer to the next process step. So it's a little. That's only happened by necessity. But yeah. You get questions that could be answered by I'm kind of curious whether there are any commissioners who feel that we have deferred to excess. What did there was? I mean, there was a. There's an annexation. For sure, there was the. It was the, the annex, annexation. It was definitely the Eudora um, a golf course. Annexation uh, north of Rock Shop. We deferred that. Yeah, that's <laughs> we deferred that. We deferred that for their. For them, not not because we couldn't make a decision. Well, I would we didn't that as a proud moment. Actually, I thought that was a pretty decent interaction. But I guess my question is because I know I have, um, I have heard at least one person suggest that you know deferral is a kind of failure because we ought to be able to take more constructive action and not just ask the applicant to wait longer. I don't personally believe that, but I'm wondering because I wonder. If, I feel uh, like we have a responsibility to do our best to get to a decision, even if that decision is no, and send it on to the commission and let the commission then make a decision. Is that do you because there's that? because there's cost and time associated with it for the applicant. Now, there's something legit in that, and if deferral is something that you know even the applicant has some you know preference for. In that, then yeah, then deferral might be the way to go. But I feel like if it comes before us, we've got some obligation to try to get to a decision. My personal opinion. I think it depends on how long the agenda is. Because <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we—that's when we've had some big right. ones, and then we've yeah, deferred it because it's yeah. midnight or it's yeah. twelve thirty, and you guys don't get paid by yeah. you know staying the next we day. We can't think anymore. Yeah, I think that's. We can't, but I do think that, that, that. But I think that comes down to though, and I like you a lot. <laughs> Sometimes we can take an issue and beat it to death, and I can hear Jim's opinion fifteen times when that's not necessary. Like maybe Jim's opinion twice is necessary. 
So I think that comes into when it gets deferred, there's good discussion that goes on, but there's also like beating the horse over and over and over. Yep. So I'm just picking on Jim because I like Jim and I like you too. <laughs> but, um, but I think that's part of, I think that's part of, you know, when things get deferred, it's because they're taking yeah. a, a super long time. I don't, I agree with you that I think you should be able to make a decision. I think there are questions that come up that lead to greater discussion, but I think at some point someone has to say, okay, it's time, like, let's take a vote. Tell us where you stand and let's take a vote. And I don't, I know that the commission's never, since at least I've been on, limited discussion to a certain time period. And I don't know how you would not defer things if we let discussion go on and on and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. So I what's your thought on that? I'd agree with you. That. I'd agree with you that, that sometimes we are, we're not at, at, at consensus and we'll continue to talk it through with the idea that maybe we'll get there when maybe that shouldn't be the goal. Maybe the goal should be we air that concisely, cleanly. Well, and then some, make a decision. Sometimes somebody will just say, we're never going to have, we're it's going right. to be divided by yeah. go. Yeah. So, and then we get a crappy motion. But I think we try, I think at least this commission has tried really hard to make a decision that the group is okay with instead of making a, deci right. a decision. Right. And, and at the same time, there's been there's been a couple of occasions where I've, I thought I was here and I've listened to Jim or I've listened to others. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've said, okay, yeah, that makes perfect sense. <clears throat> I don't know what the right balance is on that, but I do feel like we ought to get to uh, to your original question. My personal opinion is we I think we owe it to the applicants most as much as we can to get to a decision. Do you think if it benefits the applicants though by deferring that that should I mean, is that what are are we supposed to try to work so they can get it to where we think it needs to be to to pass or yeah. I, I personally think that the applicants ought to be kind of bought into that whole process. They're on the phone with us. They're they're working with us on that. If an if the applicant believes deferral will give them the opportunity to make adjustments based on the feedback they're hearing and come back again, then yeah, that's great. Yeah. But us deferring just because we didn't we couldn't quite get there, you know, on our own volition. I I struggle with that. I can't remember when we've done that. Where, I think that was just the really late night awful one. Uh, but I think about the annexation. Yeah, I think if, if we're the final deciding body, I would rather defer than say no, because then that's a, a hard stop if that's, uh, if that, and, and a lot of times it's like, hey, X, Y, and Z, and it's, a, and it's an easy pass for us. Um, and, and I like it if we ask the applicant, like, what does deferral mean to you? Would you rather have a vote or recognizing that this would be a stronger if you can comply with these two? Yeah. And, and sometimes they'll say, just take a vote, but sometimes they'll say, no, no. Yeah. Don't turn it down. I want to fix that before. I yeah. And I think that gets back to this question of what's next. That you, I think, um, Karen, that you raise this probably more often than most. Like, okay. When we get to that point, we say to Jeff, okay, if this, if we, if we deny, what's next? If we defer, what's next? Because we're not at a point where we can approve. And I'll go back to that uh, Medora golf course, you know, case where. We were really concerned about the implications, or I think a majority of people were concerned about the implications of just a wholesale rezoning. But at the same time, as a group, we uh, supported the intent of this business owner. So we didn't want 
we wanted this business owner to be able to have the opportunity to do what they what they said they wanted to do, um, but it wasn't possible under the existing. The, the, I can't remember exactly what it was. The existing request. Yeah. The zoning was big there, but the, the key to remember when you talk about deferrals is that your action, if you affirm or deny something, that's it. We're done. You're you're out of the game. Right. You're in, that is advancing the governing body most likely for somebody else's consideration. So then your action sets the voting bar for the governing body. So right. if you recommend denial, it's out of your hands. You won't ever see it again. But if you want to see it again, the only way for it to come to you is to a deferral. Mm -hmm. If you're not advancing it out, you're just putting it on pause for them to see it again. So your action is, you know, seven three to deny. You know, that doesn't mean anything. The mouse don't mean anything, but when it goes up, it goes to supermajority voting for both governing bodies has to, if they want to turn your opinion around. But if you motion affirm or deny, it's out of your hands. It's gone to the next body for you. The only time that it's not the case is the comprehensive plan and where you're on level footing with the county and city commission. Yeah. That's the only one where you have basically a sole stopping authority. See a flow chart would help that. <laughs> on the golf course. The golf one. course it came to us <laughs> with the wrong ask. So yeah. we deferred it with two possible remedies. Right. I mean, we told them. I mean, we were pretty explicit. Mm -hmm. This is what we can go with. Come back, and then it turned into a whole newspaper. I know this commission took a lot of heat on. It. I thought you guys did exactly the right thing. Huh? I thought you did exactly the right thing on that. What did you? You, you caught something that could have been well, something the newspaper different. Correctly reported. What you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you caused yeah. the problem. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. The mistake we made, though, is that we never engaged the applicant in dialogue about what does this mean to you, because they didn't, they didn't, they didn't understand what we were doing. Hmm. We didn't understand what the repercussions were for them, and I think that's where we failed. I think what we did in the process was the right thing. So that's how we ended up in golf lessons because well, I started, I went there and had a conversation. With well, them. to me, to me, the owner, it was obvious from the start, the owner was not the person asking for what was before us. Right. It was the people that wanted to buy. It was the investors. Right. And so I don't know if we would have gotten anywhere, but but you're right. We should have had a direct conversation with the actual owner. But uh, that's that's a good lesson. A question yeah. that you've got me thinking now, um, in, the, in, the, in the question around simplicity and simplifying things. Is there an opportunity to move some of these things like setbacks that are that we would consider to be administrative-like things into a bucket of consent where we just have, we don't necessarily go all the way through it. We just offer it up for the commission to vote once on a consent agenda and then remove the time then back for... In olden days, if I remember correctly... Is that the tornado siren? No, it's a vacuum. Okay. <laughs> you cannot have a consent agenda because you have to have a public hearing on the item under state statute. A public hearing item is not a consent to the necessarily constitute a public hearing item because the public isn't getting a chance to speak or weigh in on it. You're just blanket consent approving something. So I don't think you can have a consent agenda, but it's worth a it's worth a second ask to city attorney's office just to find out that's the case because that is I mean city commission can consent absolutely out right. I don't know why. And someone can. Someone has the right to pull it off if they want to. Would that would require a bylaw change, or is that like a statutory? I'd, I'd have to look to be sure, but towards at least an ask to find out. 
Yeah. I can't think of anything but a very small handful of things that I would feel comfortable passing without asking questions and hearing it again. And also, I think most of those things that fall in that handful, we've talked about making them administrative. Right, administrative. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the... Some of those might be tied into a bigger issue and not just, that's not the sole issue. I mean, there's, there's something else that triggered the new setback requirements under the existing code because they want to change something, which we're going to have to talk about. Fundamentally, 80% of your agenda is a code derivative. What you're seeing, you're only seeing it because the code is compelling that you're actually seeing it. So, variances are low hanging fruit. I mean, that's something that we compelled locally in that item. You've got to see special uses and rezonings and certain other things by other rules. But I mean, well, your agenda is just a code derivative. You know, just thinking about another category of deferral that I think we've done fairly often and that. I have at times been a little bit uncomfortable with is we've deferred because we don't think the applicant has done due diligence with public right. notice or public, not, not public notice, even just public engagement, public engagement. <clears throat> and I've sometimes wondered about <clears throat> our role in demanding that. Is that an appropriate We're the ones that have to take the community anger if they didn't do their job. <laughs> it's required just, by the code. That yeah. there be there be that so but we've we have decided we've yes. deferred because we don't think they've done enough that is engagement yeah. and so i've compels notification that doesn't compel a meeting with the neighborhood association it used it, the first version of the 2006 code held yes. a meeting with the neighborhood and the smart code compels a series of meetings before it can be adopted mm -hmm. to go through that process but really outside of the newspaper the mail the posted notice that is all that's required for code for a notice something to go through now we always advise the applicants you need to talk to the neighbors you need to the associations mm -hmm. meet with the townships talk to the people in the area we can't compel them to do any of that action but I've been surprised that when we ask why we've deferred, we're like, you go out and talk to the community again, and then we'll hear you again. And that, that's one of those things that we've used as a signal is because the community, and you all expressed that as being a value in your decision-making, we will impart that during pre-application meetings as being a value that needs to be representative. Our commissions will ask this of you. I can't compel someone to have a public meeting. Can we put it in the code? Yeah. But the way the way I look at those deferrals is we can we either I think sometimes it's been like there's a ton of community input and it's clear that there's not a meeting of the minds between like what the neighbors are saying what the applicant is saying and a, them talking may benefit them and also like we could vote on this and we may vote against you but some of these issues could be resolved if you just go talk to the neighbors so I, I've I've sort of envisioned those being less like go do this and more like this is going to help you get to yes if you can go resolve some of these things before we just vote on this and when there's clearly a bunch of animosity it's between the neighbors and the applicant i'm trying to think have there been those since i've been on the board i mean it seems like we're bringing up things that don't ring a bell with no we haven't me. met for two years <laughs> i mean i, I so i'm not sure how big of problem this is if if things have been deferred and i know we did on the annexation but that's not been a problem recently i would say i can think of maybe one in the last three years where it's occurred 
Um, yeah. One active oh, one. Heard one, with one, one. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. was the yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's mm -hmm. very it's not very common that you you would defer for that as a specific reason. Some of these will have multiple reasons, yeah. and that'll be one component of the facet yeah. of it. But I can only think but of one where that was the, the, one. the sole reason. Yeah, the well, the deferral that's active. I mean, they went through a whole big public process now based on our deferral. Still active item. Yeah. But that might be the only one you've seen. Yeah, so I guess in answer to your question, so in the last three years, there's been one. You know, if that's what Jeff's saying, it doesn't appear to me that that is a huge problem. Do I think it is incumbent upon us to put energy into coming up with a decision? Yes. Well, that's what I see happen. So I, while I've only been here a short time, I have not seen that as a problem. Yeah, and I hope I didn't take us off onto too much of a tangent. It was coming through the, you know, what code should say about our responsibilities and our and and our commitment to an outcome. Uh, that deferral is not not part. It's not explicitly. You, you mentioned it as a bylaw function, not a code function. But uh, and it just recalled to me that I've heard. A, a diversity of views about our practice of deferral. And uh, I think it's a great discussion to have related to the code because more the way that you maneuver with those processes and applications is a function of how that code wants to respond and react. So it helps us understand how you're viewing that process portion. Okay. I will say that one thing that I'll, that frustrates me about deferrals, and, we, and I don't think it happened, we don't do these a lot, is you, if, if we've talked about something for two hours, and then we end up deferring it. Like I know we're gonna be back next time, and we're gonna have to relitigate all this all same stuff. stuff. Yeah. Like why? So it, I, so that's me. Remember what we said. <laughs> exactly. That's right. That's a good point. That's why. That's a, that's an example of like the only time I get a little worried about deferrals. Like th this is a this is a waste. I mean, it could be a waste. I guess. Yeah. You know, we're gonna time. be back here in two three months talking through all this same stuff. And that's where I think, where I said earlier, I think you've done a good job with that, <clears throat> trying to think of specific times, but in my head, you've gotten us back on track where you have made a comment, okay, guys, here's really what we need to talk about. And, and I, I can't think of the specifics, but it, my thinking is that you have done that, that I have seen you do that in the time I've been here. Karen's done that a couple times too. Okay. What did I do? Yeah, when we've gone down in the weeds and getting us back to what our task is at hand. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is true. Yeah. Speaking of getting back on track, yeah. <laughs> about, like, about five minutes. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, it's all it's all been on track in my opinion because I think it, again it shows. This gives me an idea of how you're viewing your role in that process and how that process is serving you and your decision making. I've been filled out the in my opinion now, but I know we got a, about another hour ahead of us in the middle of the break. So I didn't know if people wanted to take a five minute break to uh, regroup and I can clean up my notes and get those together. And, so and when minutes. we come back, we're going to hear from Karen and Julia. So before the mid month. Yeah.
Simon, so you say before the mid-month or? Yes. So we're going to switch it around a little bit. So before the mid-month topic, we're going to have our uh, two veteran planning commissioners who have been on the planning commission for six years each. Yes. <laughs> I just you shake your head. Six How long. did she get here? It's almost over, Julia. It's almost over. <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> we asked them to sort of give insight, advice, <laughs> warnings, um, <laughs> just in terms of their time on the planning commission to sort of help us go forward. Um, whether it be particulars to the land development code coming up or just how we, how we conduct meetings, what our concerns are, what our interests are, how, what our roles should be in the community, any sort of insight that they gleaned from the past six years as they part ways with a smile <laughs> and, and a good luck. <laughs> so which one? Oh, I've talked a lot. You just got here. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long, long six years. Um, I feel like it's been longer than that, to be quite honest. Because I was on when she got here. Because I took over somebody else's term. Um, and I've said this every time I get the opportunity to talk. So Jeff, this will not be new. Uh, when I first started, so my background is I do some civil law, a lot of family law, a lot of criminal law. So when I came to zoning and codes, I was like, what the hell is this? I will try to keep my curse words to myself as I speak. Uh, and so I remember my first meeting, I looked around and I was like, what the hell did I agree to? Exactly. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> So I'm like, I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna give it a couple meetings and see how it goes. Um, so I would read the staff report, I would read correspondence from the community. Some of our packets back then were really hefty, and I did not read the I did not read the entire packet, but I read the staff report and I read um, some other stuff. So my big takeaway from the commission, I thoroughly enjoy when um, community members come and talk. To us, I get pissed off when community members attack other community members who may be on the opposite side of whatever they're here to support. Um, I think it's valuable to acknowledge the community members for their showing up and the staff members who work very hard and often bear the brunt of um, some disdain that may come from the community. One meeting that I will never forget was the Big Springs one and this loud, obnoxious dude in overalls cornered Mary outside and was telling her what he thought of her. And me being the dainty person that I am when I walk up and see this, and I was like, why is she listening to him? Like, why is she putting up with this? And I was like, oh, because she works for the city. Well, I don't. So, <laughs> so you got to hear my opinion on, on his comments to Mary, but I think just appreciating what staff does and what they go through is um, very important. Um, we've had, I don't think, I don't remember who else was here when we had a certain person in our state that keeps running for political office despite losing, um, came and told us what we were going to do or what he was going to do to us if we voted against his project. Um, and I thought that was a very, very interesting um, but we have uh, a person here that was there. Was I? Okay. Um, but I think one thing that I do that 
that I do question still is when we have a staff report and there might be one person that shows up from the community to voice their opinion on whatever the, the issue is at hand. Sometimes I feel we bend over backwards to try to get, to put in different conditions to appease that person. And it gets, it, it gets a little difficult when we're representing like a community at large and not that particular person with whatever issues they may have with whatever projects going on. So I think that is something that I would um, suggest people keep, keep in mind, like the purpose that we're here and it's not just for us, it's not for our neighbor, but it's for everybody that's in um, this county. And we've met some great people and had great people come and talk. I have a lot of respect for everyone that's on this um, commission. I remember when I first came on as well, Dirt was dirt to me. I didn't know there was different types of soils. I had no idea there was different types of soils or different types of plants and all kinds of stuff that I, I mean, it's green and it's pretty. That's what I said. And so that's been very um, educational. Karen's taught me things that I thought like, what the hell? In my city girl world, I would have never um, known. 99% of the stuff <laughs> that I know now. Um, but I think everyone brings a unique perspective here. And it's, I've learned a lot from various um, commissioners and <clears throat> even watching the uh, elected officials work the room when they come once a year is, is very interesting to me. Um, but I do, I do it's, it's been a great experience. I will never volunteer for this commission again, but it's been a great experience. Because um, you have to, when I was first asked to be on this commission, I was told it was one meeting a month for not very long. <laughs> and Mike Amix is the one that I, told me that. So I, Mike, I will, I will never forget Mike for that. But um, then I get here and that's part of my like, what the hell is this? And it's, there's something that comes up every time that we meet, I think that I'm like, things I wouldn't think people could get upset about. And then I don't know if he was here for the last meeting where I kind of was at my wit's end. <laughs> and there's a lot of regulations. People buy property and they want to fix it up and they want to maintain it. And I just, sometimes there's a lot of conditions that we want to impose or we sit around and brainstorm. And I'm like, okay, people, we got to draw it back. Like, get back to the basics and I think maybe you had said something and someone else last meeting that I was like okay we got to get like what is our purpose and is our purpose to tailor it so that every person is happy and we have now 30 conditions on the special use permit or you know there's some things that are covered in the code that can be enforced so we don't in my opinion necessarily need to make it part of the special use permit so I think that's something that um, I would also encourage people to, I think we were talking about like a noise ordinance or something, I can't remember, or maybe it was trash. I don't, I don't recall that last special use permit, um, but there's a lot of regulation, I think that we as a, as a commission want to add on to those. And I think, I just, there, there's gotta be a better way. There's gotta be a better way. So that's my two cents. 
All right. Well, uh, as I've heard from me a lot, both <laughs> and today, I ask a lot of questions and say a lot of things. Um, one of the things that I want to just draw attention to, and because I had attended some planning commission meetings like long, long ago, and my first thought is, who are those bozos and why don't they treat people better? Um, at that time, there was a very different culture than what we have here. The commissioners were uh, rude to each other. They were rude to the public. They were rude to staff. Um, I don't know what, who, whom they were serving, but it did not feel like the kind of public process any of us would be proud of. So when I was first asked, would I serve on there? I was like, I'm going to go watch some meetings <laughs> and see if this is something I could stomach. Like that was kind of my thought. So, but this, this culture of respect that we have now, we haven't had very long. So just to be sure that people actively and proactively work to continue that. I love that we, we listen to the public and, you know, we listen respectfully and, you know, we make eye contact back when we had eyes with each other uh, and, and, and you know, respect for the staff, but, but really that we disagree with each other and then it's all okay. Like that's part of what we're here for. We're here to disagree with each other and that's, it's a, it's a good thing. Um, so I just would, as we had these two years of Zoom, that we were still able to maintain, you know, that, that integrity, I think is great. I think we'll still have to you know, build back a little bit just because, you know, none of us have done well in Zoom in terms of like culturally, like it's, it's easier to be short with people, you know, on a virtual platform. So I'm really excited that it's going to get back in person where we do our best work. So, so I would, I put that on, on everybody here as I know you will do very, very, very well with. Um, one of the things that I've noticed and that's what I learned from uh, Patrick Kelly when he was leading meetings is how much exhaustive time he took explaining the process at the start of every meeting. Mm -hmm. And and then when I became chair some years after that, I noticed that whenever I would skip that part, like the wheels came off the bus. And because if, if everybody who comes there to speak is already uh, nervous and you know they they don't know what the process is and they they you know we're big government right so there's there's kind of a you know chip on that shoulder but the more you can explain this is the process this is when we want you to speak it, you know we may ask you questions again after that if you're okay with it just then people kind of relax and recognize that uh, okay I know what my role is and I know how to participate um, and especially once we put in the uh, general public comment. At, at the beginning, and it's it's very confusing. Like I came here for public comment. They said the words public comment, <laughs> and I'm going to stand up. And then people feel embarrassed because they missed it. And it's like I said, the, the, the times when I remembered to do it, I think things went better. The times when I forgot even a little bit, it, it seemed like I, it, I you know, I rolled this chair like we suffered. I like when we, if 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 the if the public bring questions, even if we can't answer them right then, we say. We're not going to answer it right now, but, but we'll get to it. And that we really do try and, and address people's concerns if they put them in the letters. Sometimes it's like, we have so many things to cover. And maybe it's like in our minds, we've already either accounted for that or discounted for that based on our experience. But I do like it when we take the time to specifically say, hey, we heard from somebody or a specific somebody that had this concern and this is how we addressed it or didn't address it or can't address it. Just just so that people know that, hey, you know, that, that thing we sent into the ether, it, it got somewhere. Um, I, I think once we get back into in-person, like those short times when you can interact with somebody either before a meeting, just holding the door and saying hi, or, you know, if there's somebody you recognize, go down and 
if talk with them at the break or you know, shake hands afterwards, whatever. I think those things really help to solidify a relationship where they would feel comfortable coming to you for another item, like like beforehand, and and then you get that information. So uh, I think one of the main things to keep in mind: we like to cater to whoever came and spoke, but we can't we can't give be that the only voice that we hear because we represent the ten of us represent the people that aren't here to speak, that don't have the privilege to come here and speak. You know, in the time off the the transportation, the drive into town, or the internet, or whatever that might be, or just you know didn't know or too busy to be engaged, but there's a, a, a lot of community interest that will get very vocal people who may be mainstream or they may be you know, on a fringe and we want to make them happy, but we have to consider like, what did we not hear? And, and part of that sometimes is um, just ourselves being engaged in the community and knowing people who are, would fall into all those categories. Like maybe you actually talk to them about it or maybe that's just the voice in your head that kind of says, you know, like, let me flag that because even though we didn't hear it, I think somebody else if they'd been here, would have said that. So um, I think for the most part, you know, I get really passionate about our decisions. And then once it's out of our hands, I don't feel like, I mean, I, get, I feel like I stay in my lane pretty well. Like that goes on to the city or the county and they play their role. We played our role to the best that we could. And then after that, it's, it's just okay. You know, there's, there's always different ways to see things. There's only been a few where I felt like, um, I think there was something weird in here that I need to follow up with it and make sure that that information gets passed along. And it's usually things that should have had a different process or um, like, and I, the one I think is the, the rural home business regulations, like almost everyone that's come forward. I'm like, it's because they're bad. It's because the regulations are bad and they're not working and we shouldn't be dragging neighbors through the mud against each other. We should have a different process. Um, so those are kind of the things when, but for the most part, I think, even though I'm super passionate about things, I can kind of let them go after they, we've served our role. Um, most of the other things I've kind of said earlier, I, I think, David, I think you mentioned that I'm always asking like, if this, if this vote happens, then what, then what? And it's because we've been voting alphabetically for two years. I've been the deciding vote on everything for two years. So I was like, okay, I need to know I'm, I'm counting as people are voting. Like, shoot, it's down to me again. And now it's going to be Charlie. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and, and I think maybe that's something, if, if ever we can get away with that, we used to be, we wouldn't sit next to the same people so that we didn't develop kind of any, you know, so we didn't make any friendships or, you know, develop any weird power dynamics or whatever. But I think there's a bigger power dynamic and Sharon has to vote. I always, I always worried about being first. Yeah. I was like, oh no, yeah. <laughs> I have to make up my decision now. Uh, you know, I think we'd all have to really stay awake if you mixed it up. <laughs> I, I, I didn't like that when I had to vote first a couple of meetings ago. <laughs> I know, it's uncomfortable, <laughs> I saw it as just personal growth and I was just gonna fight my way through it. <laughs> Um, that's that's kind of all I have. I mean, I said I talk a lot. So every time we've lost somebody off the board, I thought, you know, what are we what are we going to do without Penny or Eric or Patrick or you know, and and it, it was it's fine. And you guys are awesome, and you're going to um, do great. And I'm going to sleep in and go to bed early, and maybe you know, go to my fire meetings again. And I do have a four o'clock Zoom meeting that I'm yeah. still going to step up. 
but it's been fun. it's been very interesting. Yeah. I've met some great people. So, Jim, I met Jim. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. he's a great. And we're still going to see each other. The nice thing about being together, since we'll be not together on Wednesday, I'm assuming, are you guys going to be here on Wednesday or be on the meeting on Wednesday? I was planning to go in person if it's allowed. Yeah, okay. okay. Well, I think it's allowed, right? <laughs> yeah. Interesting segue, because I'm all about this today, okay. is it's a hybrid meeting. So if you'd like to be in person, <clears throat> you respond to the quorum call to Denny, let her know if you're going to be in person or on Zoom so we can make sure we have the room arranged appropriately, but you're more than welcome to be in person in the chambers starting this month. Julie, you're going to be there. Well, is Pedro going to be there? <laughs> no. I mean, I don't think he doesn't officially start. He doesn't get to start. Oh gosh, yes, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just checking my calendar. Okay. Well, I only ask if we hope you'll watch. Yes, yes. So, yes yeah, I remember before I joined the month before I joined the commission. Um, just because uh, I, it's different. It is different. The month before I joined the commission, um, it was Eric's last meeting as chair, because that's when we turn over. And whatever the, the items were, they just ran out to, um, I ended up being the last person in the public sitting in the gallery. And you know, you get to the point where you ask, is there any public comment? And Karen looked over at me and no one knew who I was. <laughs> like, well, there's one person there, but yeah. So, so yeah, it's 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 a good experience to show up and listen. But, uh, yeah, well, uh, I know you got to go, Karen. But I mean, it's nice to be able to be here with you guys because we have the certificates for you both. But I'm not going to say anything because on Wednesday, hopefully, well, I'll say something about you guys, and hopefully, the other commissioners will have things that they want to talk Thank you, sir. You, he's a person. The Butler roast. I'm game. Go. <laughs> We'll, we'll talk about telecommunications towers all the time. Okay. All right. Quick. Who here has ever, who has ever been on the commission with telecommunications towers? Three. Oh, really? See you, Karen. Oh, wow. See you. See you. Oh, okay. Okay. It's been a while. Thank you. Oh, okay. Wow. That's shocking. Like Karen said earlier, I don't remember if we've ever covered telecommunication. Oh, I remember. So, yeah. you, if you you would remember, if you oh, did. yes. <laughs> if you oh, I remember. You have it. Okay. Yeah, I know, but you yeah. get it. Yeah. I should okay. say, Julia and I always said no. Okay. <laughs> After we were told we weren't allowed to by whoever the attorney was. Like, That's the best when we have other attorneys come in and tell us that we can and can't. Oh, do. yeah. <laughs> Well, you love that. <laughs> it's like once, once at a meeting when uh, we asked the applicant, you know, what if we deny this? And the response was, I don't think we want to go there. And it's just like, are you kidding <laughs> 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 me? Jeff, how long have you been director? Oh, boy. Uh, since June of 20. Okay. I was planning manager for two years ahead of that. That's right. The interviews were delayed because we were because of the pandemic. Because what? Oh, yeah. Because I was on the whatever. <laughs> well, thank you, and thank you, Karen, for those. I think that's very helpful. So I've made mental notes. Uh, you remember me? So yes, 
So thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, we're, we're excited now. <laughs> now, if you, the thing is, is if you scare him off, you have to come back. Right? Exactly. It is wonderful. It's the best time of your life. Here's, here's the chance. This always happened at a mid month meeting. A few people came in and you get to tell us a little bit about your background and why the hell you want to join <laughs> Uh, and then we can answer yeah, because in the it, you know in the business meeting we don't really get an opportunity just to chat. Well, that is the segue to the mid-month meetings. So, um, are you suggesting that maybe we have Pedro like explain himself now or yeah. at a mid-month? We're here. <laughs> Who knows when okay. we'll all be back in the same way? Okay. <laughs> well, the reason I decided to. Uh, Join this committee. I I found that, that it was one more way to expand my knowledge and really get involved in the community. Uh, and it was it is another way to learn how the city works, how things are managed, and how uh, how basically you know the government makes decisions that affects me and all of us in general. Um, <clears throat> Another reason why I wanted to join it is because I got many clients there are, are concerned uh, where the real estate market is heading or where we have been in the last two years. Uh, what's going on? Is it going to get better? When is it going to get better? Uh, and I found that there was just one more way to have a voice on a boat that it will impact another homeowner. And, and I'm hoping that, that impact would be possible. So, you know, where there's a decision for expansion, or a decision for, for a development, and with my expertise that I had in last year, and with the support of all my other fellow estate agents, I'll be able to come up with a decision that I think will be the most appropriate for the case. Being, you know, <clears throat> listening to a lot of expansion out west and things like that. Have a vote. So basically, my main concern is just to help my clients and help the city. Mainly homeowners. So, did you guys talk about that earlier? What Peter was talking about with, um, <clears throat> oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, investment groups coming in and buying homes. Was that part of the topic at all? No. It's a good topic. What'd you say? It it's is a, a good, good topic. topic. Yeah, I was interested. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that has a lot, will have a huge effect on planning, but I don't, and rental market and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's a, a huge effect on pricing. Yes, on pricing. Because, price, yeah. yeah. And we usually get the yearly and now rental market analysis and things like that, but some of that stuff's disappeared during the pandemic. Yeah, the, the retail market is getting ready to kick off and start up again, so we'll get that, because we didn't do it, we were scheduled to do it right in the middle of the pandemic, which is not really a good time to be doing it, so we laid out for two years, we're going to come back and start that one in the summer. Residential lot inventory is gearing up to start its process here in the future, so we'll have that as a, as a scope and scale to bring back to y'all soon too, but it's, a lot of that you just got shifted around a bit with the calendars, but you know, conversations I have with economists lately is um, 
you know, the bigger thing that's going to change the way that people treat housing from going from commodities to actual housing is going to be the change of the interest rates. Yeah. Because you're going to have people can't cash flow commercially at certain rates, so they're going to start returning back to different, you know, product types when those interest rates come back up. Because you can't make that much money to recoup the cost across the interest rate anymore. But when you have those big investment people come in that pay cash for it, I don't know what effect that has on <laughs> it's just going to be all on the interest rates if it actually will, will perform it out at a point where it actually would be worth their while to do it and have those conversations because i'm seeing some people draw back from the market right now in some of those different economies so it's, just, it's going to be interesting how that that fluctuates and pulls out of it i think the other one's going to be interesting is to see how the insurers start responding because they're raising interest rates based on natural disasters and so that starts to price people out of certain markets and have certain considerations so going to be a lot of the factors around the housing market is actually not related to things that planning commission really has a role in. It's all the externalities going on around it that have a lot more impact. That's actually one of the things I worry about is that when you read the paper and concerns from um, the realtors and the home um, home association, what are they called? Homeowners association. Is they think that planning is going to be the silver bullet. If we just build more houses, um, that'll be that's that solves it when there's all these other things that are happening, and I so I just I I I, I get a little worried when people are focusing all their attention that we're somehow going to be re resolving that issue. Well, when that goes into the wasn't it? Didn't we just have a discussion when we had the uh, people from the last meeting that were wanting to rent? The house next to them out in the county and then someone pulled up a map of how many airbnbs there are in the county <coughs> so then there was talk about regulating them like they do with ones in the city um which i think plays into going back to inventory affordable housing like it's all connected it is and you know there's, there's all kinds of facets with that because if you look at just the, the raw numbers of what you see in the city of Lawrence, there's about 44,000 housing units in the city of Lawrence, and currently there's about 83 of them licenses as a short-term rental. And the reality is 55% of the Lawrence market is a rental market, so over 22,000 of them are rentals. And the conversation isn't necessarily about the amount of them. The conversation is, are they at the right spot with the right amenities at the right time for those individuals? And that's that's a conversation we'll have to have with land development code revision is. Is the code giving us the right item at the right place at the right time? My assumption would be no, based on what you're seeing in the market, because the code is going to dictate a minimum lot size, which is going to set a minimum ground price, which is going to set a minimum home price at the end of the day. And if you have setbacks involved and that shrinks your building envelope, then that's just land you can't use. So two 10 foot setbacks is 20 foot of space you can't use per code. In downtown on the 5850 lot, it would have been another house. So there's conversations about the code, the way that it works with middle housing, missing middle housing, excuse me, and how it derives out of that subdivision regulations to have those conversations. So it, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. It's going to be, it's going to be tricky because you're going to have to have a conversation about not just accessory dwelling units, but buy right duplex, buy right triplex. You know, is a quadplex okay if it's designed in a certain configuration? Because a lot of those factors that, that fold into it and our code can only view the world and an rs7 lot has to be a minimum seven thousand square feet but in reality it's probably going to be closer to 9800 square feet of a lot and can only be a default 
and that's the most prevalent land use we have in the city of RS7. So I, I'd like to know some more about you, Pedro. <laughs> I, we, I kinda, so how long have you been? Did you grow up here? No, um, <clears throat> sorry, I am originally from Cuba. I grew up uh, and I moved to the States in uh, 09. Uh, and I've been living here in Lawrence since then. Okay. So how did you end up in Lawrence out of all the places all in, the the world. in the world? Yes. My sister, she was living here at the time. <clears throat> uh, she convinced me to, hey, you, know, you should come to Kansas and go to Lawrence. So, uh, she always said this is one of the great cities in the country. So, uh, so yeah, uh, that's how I actually ended up here. Usually from when people who are not from Kansas say, I'm going to Kansas, they go, Kansas, yeah, man, we're Kansas. So good for your sister, right? <laughs> so yeah, and then many of our friends uh, that we have across uh, the country, they they all have the same thing. So when I go to Lawrence, I just want to relax because it's the type of city that just you feel safe. That's what it's like. Uh, and Charlie, after that, I made my who is my current wife. Stay away from the courthouse. Yeah. I don't know now, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, and I have two daughters, so I'm planning on raising them here in town. Good. Well, I'm glad you're here. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're here. How old are your kids? Uh, the oldest, she is 11, she just turned 11 uh -huh. uh, last month, and the youngest, she just turned two last month. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, you've listened to us all day. You, have any, you want to know anything about anybody that you're going to be working with? <laughs> uh, I sure will have my questions. <laughs> <laughs> Time and try to absorb as much as I can and figure it out all the terms. <laughs> well, just to ask, yeah, I should yeah. to ask. I do ask a lot of questions. So. And the nice thing will be, I think, what when you have when you start in June, you'll have a few months under your belt by the time November or whatever rolls around. If we have another orientation and some of the stuff, I, I think, once you've like been in a few meetings, a lot of it will click better. And you won't even be the newest person. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And apparently, Jeff still brings his coffee from what I heard. Okay. <laughs> early. I always bring coffee to the commission. It is a standing rule. <laughs> right. Uh, and your first, your first thought was not, see, I hadn't met Julia before other than seeing her online. So I already like her when she says, she wanted to swear a lot. So was that your first thought when you came? Is it's not like I want to, I do. Oh. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell it's not style. So what got you out of Cuba? I was in, and I was studying in the, the University of Havana. And uh, my major was in economics. Uh, after two semesters in Cuba, um, I sat down and realized what I was learning, what the country was doing, 
how they actually uh, basically plan the economy in the country. And uh, at that point, I realized that, that it's just going it, it's just gonna keep failing. And no matter how many times you keep trying to fix something that is broken and is unfixable. Uh, and you know, uh, communism is, is not is not that's not the answer. And I look at their financial plans and how they want to you know, run the country, what the plans were for the next 10 years, what they wanted to do. Uh, and I just I just I don't know that say I this is not gonna work no matter how you try to sell it to me. So uh, my mom was living in, in Cancun at a time with my sister. Uh, and I, I moved there and just spent a few months. And then my sister said, Well, you know, I'm uh, citizen of the US, you want me to go out and start a paperwork. I said, Well, yeah, I'd love to. You suggest people visit Cuba. Yeah. Cuba, it is a my list. It is a wonderful country. Okay. Don't get me wrong. It is a wonderful country. Uh, it is one of the safest places you can actually be in the world, period. There's no violence, there is no drugs, there's no gangs. That doesn't exist. Okay. It's very safe. The only problem is the economic system. It doesn't work for its citizens. It just doesn't. It's a, it's a regime. It only works for the better. And beautiful country. Everybody's tell people stay in power. You can give us a whole a whole lesson probably on, yeah. on how that works. Yeah, that's how they, they just stay in power through manipulations and, and force. So when you talk about clients, what do you do? What were you talking about real estate clients? Yes, um, yeah. I'm a real estate agent with Kevin. So you're going to have a different, a very different perspective than probably a lot of us from that, just your work. I think that would be very helpful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think we've had, have there been, I don't, since my time, I don't recall any real estate agents on the commission. It's been quite a lot. Interesting. Have hey, you ever get a chance to go to Cuba? No. It's a nice place. And people there are really nice. I visited a few years ago. It's a wonderful place. It's beautiful. Aside from the government, it's a good place. Definitely not in Kansas. Yeah. Definitely not in Kansas Definitely when you're not. there. <laughs> well, thank you. Welcome. And I'm sure you didn't realize you'd be put on the spot, you know, for right away first thing. But... <laughs> Yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, we do are these mid-month meetings, and they're a time for us to, to learn a lot about the inner workings. Wait, no, that was what you had about only one minute per month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so. Until, until you're a vice chair or chair, and then it's Yes, yes. Um, so Becky is now going to describe what our mid-months are about. So yes, thank you. Wonderful segue. <laughs> yes, All right. Thanks, John. This is our final push. We'll make this quick. Um, basically, there's a couple of things. One is that, um, as you know, because of the pandemic, we have been uh, doing the mid-months a little bit differently. We've been holding them on uh, what would be our Monday 
uh, planning commission meeting date when we can, when the schedule will allow. Um, it's looking like we are gonna be able to move back to a more normal schedule. Um, and so we're still working out those details, but we do anticipate that uh, starting June 8th, we'll be able to have them at a mid-month time. Um, more than likely we'll hold them in this room. Uh, we'll still stream them via Zoom. Um, so it'll be a hybrid format. Um, but uh, so kind of I wanted to get that information out to you all to know that, that we're uh, looking to move back to that uh, schedule. Um, but then also it's been a while, you know, uh, at these planning, at our orientation is really when we gauge what the, our topics should be. What is of interest? What does that schedule look like or as far as when topics come up? So really wanted to check in with you all to see if there are things that could be added. You can see there's a lot of to be determined on there. And that is because we haven't had this opportunity to really check in and fill in, fill in this calendar. So um, there's suggested topics there that are ones that have been um, discussed before as potential topics that we've kind of put there as a, you know, that parking lot. Um, but also are there other things that are not on the list that should be added? Um, and what would you like to see moved up to fill in those blanks? One, one to note on there is we would lose potentially one of your fall days to the second orientation. Right. That's true. So, if, so do keep in mind the October or the November meeting may, may be in lieu of an orientation session. Well, I think you know what I'm going to request. Oh, I do. <laughs> and it's right in the middle there, the bus tour and development yes. patterns. I think also considering the turnover in the commission, mm -hmm. the fact that we'll have a number of new commissioners, it's probably a really good opportunity to kind of bring things together. And so for the few people who have not heard me talk about this before, uh, when I joined the planning commission uh, four years ago, it was one of, one of my requests that... Um, it would be great to understand what we do in the context of the history of planning practice. Lawrence has been around for 160 years. Planning's been around for what, 130 years or so. Um, and Lawrence neighborhoods reflect the history of planning. And so that's why development patterns. So basically um, to visit different neighborhoods and, and described to illustrate how they reflect how planning has, has changed over time, how the practice of planning has changed. And because really we are in history and someday people will look back to what we're doing right now and say, oh yeah, that reflects you know this philosophy at the time. So I just think it contextualizes what we're asked to do on a monthly basis. That's my request. October might be a nice month for a bus tour. <laughs> yeah, that's cool fall. But all of them look mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. And in terms of just thinking back to the work plan, if I remember correctly, the west of the K-10 plan is the one that's um, the one that's scheduled first. It's starting to Right. So maybe that would be rise to the top um, for a mid-month, since that's coming up the soonest. And also the East Lawrence plan is underway too. Would that be something, would that, is there, could that be a split one like some of these others? Is there enough time or, or would 
one of those take a whole mid-month meeting? Uh, we can check with the staff. I can't imagine that we couldn't put them both on the same on mm -hmm. the same day, but we can just double check it for sure. Mm -hmm. As far as the development, that would be so it's kind of ready to do it on day nine. So, as we start to get into the process, just so everybody up to where things are going. Could you talk just a little louder? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you guys switch positions? <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying that the forest development. Code should probably be on a regular meeting night somewhere in the next mm -hmm. couple of months after the steering committee gets. And then once there's some idea of what the process is, so the planning commission as a whole can continue to have some input as it moves along. So it might be a recurring theme during the update in the land development code so we don't get it on five days before a meeting and have to try to digest it all. When does that steering committee start? Uh, to be determined right now, we're still waiting on appointments. Mm. I would expect pretty soon. Okay, well, I didn't know if it was several months off or next month I, uh, in terms of when the steering committee would get going. Probably, probably the next couple of months, we would probably get that started. Okay. I think you've selected the consultant or whatever who's going to be working on consultant is on board and then we're waiting for appointments for the committee themselves. And a lot of the advisory boards are going to be appointing in the same way that you will. The city commission wants to get the steering committees appointed sometime next month. Okay. And, and then they'll start scheduling meetings after that. So if we have a bus tour, let's say October 12th, and the two potentially two plans the East Neighborhood and the West of K-10 on one of those dates, then the orientation on another day, that leaves us one, one more mm -hmm. opening. I still think there should be a budget for SACs. I've advocated for that every year. I'm just saying. I, I yeah, I've got to commend. No, Thank you I mean, like much. cookies, like something good, healthy for you. You missed, you missed lunch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sweet. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And we've covered some of that stuff today. Application types and roles, um, update on ongoing projects and plans. Um, uh, I guess the residential lot inventory is probably because mm. that's in the news and that's, I mean, people are gonna be coming to us about affordable housing, residential lot availability. So that sure. sounds like maybe that would fill in that yeah. last date. Yeah, opening. I think by December, we probably have a pretty good idea of where that, if not wrapped up, you know, yeah. I would expect it to be wrapped up. They'd have a good yeah. idea of where it has kind of totality. And the Southern Development Plan, is that south of the walkie or down toward the walkie? Is that? It's uh, effectively, <clears throat> pull the map The purple shaded area, right? Oh. There's this. Talking about like fish stock and waterfowl, or what? Well, like what <laughs> development? Oh, okay, I get it. So South Iowa. And I'm and like wondering, <laughs> wondering, like what development is taking place south of <laughs> <laughs> Fresh, 
precious little. <laughs> and that, that um, development plan is slated for an update in 2024. So it's. it's, it's yep. okay. Thank you for zooming in. I was missing. <laughs> 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 Speaking, was there anything else about the mid month? No, other than also just want to touch base it, the things that are already on there about the to be determined. Does that look? Um, oh, you already had a residential lot. I, well, we didn't, didn't get to it. We didn't get to it. Oh, okay. So, um, uh, is that document posted somewhere? It is on the page where you get your agendas at the very top. It'll have a, a little calendar from month there. Got it. Oh, familiar. Okay, so. So, so what we're looking at is plan 2040 growth tiers, flood plan infrastructure. Yeah, okay. and then for July, yeah. we've got flood plan yeah. and green infrastructure, okay. and then an update on the Lawrence bike plan, and see about school in okay. August. So if we filled that out to our satisfaction. Okay. And as you know, if things, mm -hmm. we, we do have the opportunity mm -hmm. to manipulate, so if things, we, if there are more mm -hmm. pressing things that come up, we can have another look at it. But that's helpful. Thank you very much. Thank you. And in our remaining time, um, is there was there any hope of getting the Uber computer program <laughs> to have a demonstration so we can all leave? I can check on it real quick. <laughs> feeling odd about oh, it's the feeling odd. It's like yeah, okay. I thought you think that you're saying we might feel odd about uh, no odd. odd. <laughs> okay. odd. I'm feeling pretty odd, odd. about this. <laughs> it's a weird demonstration. Yeah. <laughs> and I know there was some knowing laughter earlier talking about Newtown developing east of us. Oh. So I, since I don't take the newspaper and come to town once a week, uh, would anyone like to? Elaborate on uh, any of this. Last night, the county commission set the. I didn't watch the whole thing yet, or uh, it was Wednesday night, so I haven't watched all of it yet. But they set the parameters and the dates on how they're going to review an application for a new town by the name of Clearview, uh, south of you. Yeah. Clearfield, clear I think. Right. Clearfield. Yep. Yeah, clear something. Mm -hmm. Clearfield. Based on some old township church or old Yes. Um, south of Eudora, east of Baldwin. Basically, you know, the maps we saw that next era, well, the Citizens for Responsible Solar were giving us the maps that showed the area next era was looking at with all the houses were. They filed a petition with a requisite number of signatures, which is 50, in order to institute the process to incorporate an 18 and a half square mile area as a new town. So that goes to the county commission approval, and the county commission has to set the process by which to do it and what type of information they want to consider. And what experts they want to bring in, and it's a whole long laundry list of things to look at, and then ultimately the city county commission will vote whether or not. And that's what's happening. It'll be part of the They there was 
about that when Karen and I were down in that area talking with some people? What do you think about this? And my response was, know what you ask them for, uh, what you have to do. Because um, Big Springs asked the same thing. And they went, oh, no, no, no. They, they, <laughs> the pay for roads, pay for fire. And well, it's globe, is globe looking at the same thing. They have to set up their own taxing district, their own elected government, their own planning commission, their own law enforcement. They've got to all their own roads, all their infrastructure, uh, contract with the city county for emergency services unless they have their own. I mean, it's seems unlikely. Exactly. <laughs> the money alone is oh, not yeah. going to. I mean, I think that shows the feeling there is rather than this actually getting to fruition, but against the solar it's uh, against next era. It's yeah. really against one company's version of solar and that one company's version of solar is not actually what's reflected in what we approved mm -hmm. and what the approved. In fact, what we approved would make that very difficult to occur. Um, just the whole process. I mean, it, I mean, Dexterity themselves even admit getting all the necessary land. They don't even have the land under contract yet, which raises another issue. What happens if you incorporate an area that already has contracts? What does that do to property rights that are already been assigned to somebody else? I don't know. I just want to make sure we, we get out of here on, on time. So um, we have a demonstration. The, the a very angry eyes that shows us is, is uh, up and going like a uh, like a very temperamental computer. Uh, that's what you describe it here. Every dot on the map constitutes one person inside of the tracks. And so what you're seeing there is a white dot is a current resident. And as the blue dots shade out, it is by decade of when they would join in. So I'll turn down the white dots. So you can see is the darker dots are people that would be adding between 2015 and 2020. The kind of mediums is between 2020 and 2030. And the lighter color dots are people adding between 2030 to 2040. And this is the backbone population model that runs behind plan 2040 and its understanding of growth. So Every dot's a new person that would be added to that, and the white dots that I turned off were all the current population that was there in 2015 when the model ran through. So what's the percentage of, we've thought about in percentages, this looks much more dense, of course, is like 50% growing out west of K-10 or? It's all modeled on the future ladies that they adopted plans. So it could be, in that case, um, the West of K-10 area, if we just double check it, its population top end was 18,000 new people. Wow, that's how. What's what's that as a percent of all of the new people in the plant? I'd have to go back and look, but I want to say it's probably in the twelve to fifteen percent range off the top of my head. But it's um, hmm. got a lot of info that goes on inside there. But definitely, I'll, I'll bring my my friend here to the June meeting because this is a uh, part of how the tiers have worked and all the, hmm. the details that come along with it here. But you know, some of the stuff that we see is. As you can see there is that the model does want to time out at certain rates and patterns. So in this instance, that section wants to add 2,000 people in that decade between 30 and 40. So wait a minute, you just said the model wanted to add 2,000 people 
between 2030 and 2040. To, to just this section or what? Well, I, I got lost in that. Uh, or to, to, to total. So just that section that's highlighting in blue, oh, okay. those 2,000 people being in. And that's the same, what's the, what are the roads there? I don't think it actually has a road. Well, that's 6th like Street, the northern, the northern boundary of that highlighted polygon oh, is 6th Street. That's what I would have guessed. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. can walk south, up. South yeah. Yeah. So does it... So does it show if you show the whole town the, the bulk of the growth then from the town is out here as opposed the, to out east? Yeah, under the current adopted future land use plans, that's the way that it wanted to repopulate. As you can also see, it's trying to it's adding to the south, to the east, and a little bit to the item. But the other interesting thing is the model actually works countywide. Mm. So it's kind of panning around, you start to see what it's trying to do and where it's trying to do it at. Mm. And this is all, of course, best guess at the moment that the model ran based on all the things that we could feed into it, land use, zoning, building permits, growth data, historical right. trends. So right here, no new people. Right next to it, a lot of new people. Why? Um, very likely, without going into the specifics, there's probably a multifamily zoning district in there that's not been built. So looking for density. Looking for density. So that's what it's trying to do. And to kind of give you a ballpark of what Lawrence looks like, <coughs> Uh, with without the growing component, if you want to kind of see that, that is how we look in right. the instances. Oh, so interesting. You, so you can see the density around the campus, and then you can mm -hmm. see as it kind of filters out, it gets a little kind of lessens out, but that density bolts around those mm -hmm. areas. And that's from oh, that's from the 2010. That's from the 2010 census. This was the uh, the one of its starting grids that we put it on. Mm -hmm. to so when you go to 2015, because that's right. There, right? What is that? So the 2015 oh, like would, would be those dark blue dots would be the 15. Mm. That's what was. That's the way the model was predicting 15 to 20 for growth. So these sectors are growing in that next five years. You yeah. probably haven't had a chance to calibrate it against observed growth. But no, we no, haven't. Okay. We've also been waiting for the census to release this next one to, to an yeah. accurate number. Yeah, mm -hmm. to, to stress test it again one more time to see what it was. But yeah, so the model was predicted and it was told to do that? two things was just, first fill in and then we just fill in and go out. No, it's oh, not about it. And that was how it, it created it because the comp plan it says in fill first and go out. Sure. So, okay. And then this is just like the first time I saw this, it was yeah, we finally because it's probably about density matter, right? It's not literally this represents one person. It's fill this space with random dots at a particular density. So yeah, but it does this calculate one that little thing that comes out of the Yes, yes, yes. So then, what the heck's right there? I don't. Why is this so dense right here? Uh, was based on what we're seeing with certificates of surveys and actions for divisions in the county based on wow. the items. Fortunately, uh, I can't I can't even picture what's there right now that would ever cause that yeah. to show up like that. Oh, but that's what that's what the approved based on what subdivision annexation regulations yeah. would permit right now. That's what it was seeing at that point in time when it was wow. patterning out and going in that direction. And of course, you know, this is this was the model dispersion run from 
2017. So it's, um, that's how the world looked at the model at that moment in 2017. You run it with wow. the new subdivision regulation, it would look, it would look considerably different. different. Yeah. We'd have to run yeah. it with some new feature land uses, new building permit histories, and probably you know, break a computer or two along the way for fun. But I mean, it's it, it was the best moment that we had out of it we could see. So <clears throat> I mean, there's a ton of new growth, but it's all north of the walkie. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would I would expect if we reprogrammed it, put all the new data into it, it would behave differently. Because quite recently, when we were testing it out, every time we would run it, we ran it for a week, you know, every week for about three months to see how it behaved. And just based on the number of building permits that were coming in or rezonings that were occurring, it was remodeling in all kinds of different ways. That's how mm -hmm. we did it. We had dialed it in because it was responding to the new inputs it was given. So we think it would respond pretty differently again today. So the next time that this is another, the next iteration is when you get the census figures. When we, when we get census data, we have a pretty good understanding of what it is. And that's probably going to fall right in the perfect moment where we get new information from uh, Transportation 2050 and its smaller geography areas. That will give us an opportunity to baseline it and then push it one more time to see how it looks to behave. So, so a pretty good idea. So with it, you put in additional information, which I guess is iterative things that have come into you and you say it shows different results each time. Is there a trend that you can pick up in that where it's different based on the new information but not wildly different in terms of its projections? Or? It's not wildly different. It's just, it, you can tell that it's recognizing certain things that occur, like a rezoning has come online that wasn't there before. So it goes, oh, you're, you're a new density. I need to add some people over here. This is a potential space and this wants to behave a little differently, but it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's you can run it every week. You're not really going to see a lot, but if you run it every year, you might see a different pattern depending right. on the impulse you get. But it's this was the this was the backbone for a lot of that kind of just understanding where we where we've been at and where do we think we might go to next. Yeah. Conversation. Just doing some machine learning as a part of it, you know? Or? No, it's it's based on some algorithms that are good old-fashioned kind of okay. sit down and, and try to do it. It's not not super advanced where I can't have it, you know, fly a plane or do anything fun yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not quite level Terminator style, but also not yeah. quite outside yeah. the, you know, can't yeah. pencil out and double check its map. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll talk more about this in June. Yeah, Very so cool. it's usable for transportation. Yeah, yeah. Great. I have no idea how long it took to start it up. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do. Well, I'm glad we had some time just to look at it. Yeah, exactly. Just since you, you did do that. Thank you. Over so we can see it. Yeah. Any closing thoughts then from commissioners, staff? Nice things job. we didn't cover? Well, honestly, there probably were some things that we didn't get to. Um, but I think we. Very good job. I think we got a good chunk yes. of it um, done. But any remaining closing thoughts? No. Except good meeting. Over. Yep. Thank you all. Thank you all. Thank, thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so thank you. much. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. making this happen. Thank you very much. Yeah. Nice to have us. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah.